Excuse me, we'd like you to have this flower from the Church of Religious Consciousness. They say, see a brawl to get that booty act <laughs> Lay it down or smack them, yak them. Cold got to be. Yo, <laughs> shit. Flight 209er, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Huh? LA departure frequency 123.9. Roger. Huh? Request vector. Over. What? Flight 209er, clear for vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now our radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger, over. What? Huh? Who? I was in the Air Force, stationed in Drambui, off the Barbary Coast. I used to hang out at the Mogumbo Bar. It was a rough place, the seediest dive on the wharf, populated with every reject and cutthroat from Bombay to Calcutta. It's worse than Detroit. I was captivated, entranced. It hit me like a thunderbolt. I had to ask the guy next to me to pinch me to make sure I wasn't dreaming. Excuse me. I happen to be passing. I thought you'd might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Well, won't you sit down? Thank you. Cream? No, thank you. I take it black. Like my man. Joey, we have something here for our special visitors. Would you like to have it? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Sure. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? Do you want me to check the weather, Clarence? No, why don't you take care of it? Joey, you ever hang around the gymnasium? You like movies about gladiators? Would either of you like another cup of coffee? I will, but Jim won't. I think I will have another cup of coffee. Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. It was at that moment that I first realized Elaine had doubts about our relationship. And that, as much as anything else, led to my drinking problem. Oh, I can't stand it. What is it? Oh, yes. Oh, it's my stomach. I haven't felt this awful since we saw that Ronald Reagan film. Joey, have you ever been in a, in a Turkish prison? Oh, I should have had that second cup of coffee. Jim never vomits at home. I'm sorry I had to wake you. I'm just looking for a doctor. There's nothing to worry about. Stewardess, I think the man sitting next to me is a doctor. Sir, excuse me, sir. I'm sorry I have to wake you. Are you a doctor? That's right. We have some passengers. They're very sick. Could you come take a look at them? Yes. Yes, of course. You'd better tell the captain. We've got to land as soon as we can. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Tell the captain I must speak to him. Certainly. Captain, how soon can you land? I can't tell. You can tell me I'm a doctor. No, I mean, I'm just not sure. Or can't you take a guess? Well, not for another two hours. You can't take a guess for another two hours? No, no, no. I mean, we can't land for another two hours. Fog has closed down everything this side of the mountains. We've got to get through to Chicago. Doctor, what's going on? I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything like this since the Anita Bryant concert. What was it we had for dinner tonight? Well, we had a choice, steak, fish. Yes, yes, I remember I had lasagna. This is Captain Over speaking. Been a little bumpy up here, but we'll be past it in a few minutes. Uh, a couple points of interest. We're now flying over Hoover Dam. And a little later on, we'll pass it at the south of the Grand Canyon. 
Meanwhile, relax and enjoy your flight. Now we know what against you. Every passenger on this plane will have fish for dinner. We'll become violently ill in the next half hour. Just how serious is it, Doctor? Extremely serious. Starts with a slight fever, dryness of the throat. As the virus penetrates red blood cells, the victim becomes dizzy. Because we experience an itching, a rash. From there, the poison goes to work on the central nervous system, causing severe muscle spasms, followed by the inevitable drooling. At this point, the entire digestive system collapses, accompanied by uncontrollable flatulence, until finally the poor bastard is reduced to a quivering wasted piece of jelly. Chief, we got fog right down to the deck, every place east of the Rockies. There's no possible place they can land. They'll have to come through to Chicago. Looks like I picked the wrong week for smoking. Wait, don't panic. On the belt line of the automatic pipe, there's a hollow tube. Now that is the manual inflation nozzle. Pull it out and blow on it. What the hell's going on up there? This is due to periodic air pockets we encountered. There's no reason to become alarmed, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. How many times have warned those people about food inspection? You'd think after all these years, someone would listen to you. Oh, well... Airport management, the FAA, and the airlines. Oh, cheats and liars. All right, let's get out of here. The stewardess said... Both pilots. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Doctor, I've checked everyone. Mr. Stryker's the only one. What flying experience have you had? Well, there's single-engine fighters in the Air Force, but this plane has four engines. It's an entirely different kind of flying, altogether. It's, it's an, an entirely, entirely different, different kind of flying. It's sad anymore. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. Oh, down, get a hold of yourself. Stewardess, please, let me handle this. I've got to get out of here. Calm down, now get back to your seat. I'll take care of this. Calm down, Calm down. get a hold of yourself. Doctor, you're one of the phone. Everything's been pulled by the seat. Excuse me, we'd like you to have this flower. Excuse me, sir, would you? Donation to the Reverend Moon? Juice for Jesus? Read about Jehovah's Witness? How about Buddhism? How Jerry's kids? Oh, yeah. Scientology? Or nuclear power? I know, but this guy doing the flying has no airline experience at all. He's a menace to himself and everything else in the air. Yes, birds too. Okay. All right, I'm going to level with you all. The most important thing now is that you remain calm. Yep, the most important thing you can do right now is remain calm. Poker Fraud Alert Radio is starting late, but remain calm. It's going to be a regular show. It's going to be a normal show. We probably don't have CalWatt, which is the reason we started a day later anyway. He's, he's kind of awake. Um, let's, let's see. I'm going to text him. He was like kind of half awake when I was last talking to him about like 15 minutes ago. So you still there? Call in. Anyway, 
I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being broadcast live and recorded on September 20th, 2019. The time is 9.26 p.m. We have a free roll at 11 minutes ago. 9.15 p.m. is when it started, but you can still get in for 14 more minutes with late registration. You start with a full stack, so you got a decent shot still of cashing. It's $115 this week. 100 came from, you guessed it, Eric Benzamokin. And $15 came from Guki Heimowitz, a user who was banned from the forum for a while. And then uh, we came to terms, and he's been back on the forum and listening to the show, and uh, everything's forgiven and uh, gotten past everything. $15 from him, I appreciate that. And he's also been running some contests on the site recently, so he's been a good return to the forum. So $115 is the prize pool this week, and the prizes are paid as follows. 55 for first, 30 for second, 20 for third, and 10 for fourth. That's 55, 30, 20, and 10 on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, to understand the rules of winning the free money. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. If I didn't get you in today, if you emailed me or whatever, then uh, you'll have to wait till next week. It's always good to do this a few days in advance, at least, so you have some time. I had some unexpected things occur today, which uh, delayed me in starting this show. I actually had every intention of starting on time, but I actually was not even home for quite some time while the show was supposed to be going. Got stuck uh, in a cell phone matter in purchasing a new cell phone service, not even for me, not even for me. I was getting new cell phone service for somebody else, and a big fail occurred. I'm so frustrated, I don't even want to tell you guys the story. But it's a big hassle, and it's not even over. So (laughs) I'm not in the best mood about that right now, but I'm going to try to put that aside, as I always do when I have life setbacks and frustrations, and I this show on schedule to do. I can't take that frustration with me to the show. And in fact, some of the shows where I sound completely normal, uh, sometimes I'm very upset about something. And you could never tell. I hide it. I've always said you can't even tell how I'm doing in poker based upon my demeanor on the show because I sound the same whether I'm on a big upswing or downswing. And I don't usually talk about whether I'm I'm on an upswing or downswing. I just... uh, Just deal with it myself, either way. So, we have a number of topics to talk about this week. Trader Ruski said that he will come on tonight, so we're definitely going to get him. Calwatt, probably not. If you want to text the show, or call the show, it's the same phone number, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's an old 70s rotary phone, which is on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. 702-430-1808-702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. The main phone number, 775-372-8355, you might recognize is not a Vegas phone number. Vegas is area code 702. 775 is for the remainder of Nevada. But if you look up where this number is for the show, 
It's actually located in Amargosa Valley in Nevada. And that is actually in the news today, because today is the Storm Area 51 day, where there's this stupid idea that was started up as a joke that people should come and, in a mass group, Storm Area 51, where it's believed that either aliens or alien secrets are hidden away. I, I don't believe that this is really going on, by the way. I'm talking about Area 51. Like it, it's, a, it's a real government facility, but I don't believe that there's anything involving aliens there. I think that's a myth. But anyway, there was a plan today that was hatched a number of months ago to take place today for a very large number of people to come down there and storm it with the belief that they can't stop everyone. Like if if 100,000 people storm it, they won't be able to stop them all. And people can just force their way in and find out once and for all if there's aliens or alien crafts being hidden there. The person who started that whole movement said he did it as a joke and then it caught on. It got like a 1.6 million people responding on Facebook that they will come do it. But I knew when that was happening that it was just people on Facebook messing around and that very few were seriously going to come and storm it. Anyway, the Amargosa Valley is where this is. Basically, this 775-372-8355 number is located right there, not in Area 51, but right next to it. So I actually saw some news footage today, very underwhelming news footage of a bunch of guys just kind of milling around a convenience store in Amargosa, Nevada. And the cops are like, okay, people, you you, you got to peacefully disperse. And they're like, okay. <laughs> That's pretty much all that happened. Nobody stormed anything. And it was a non-event, as I expected. But that city's been in the news lately. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's actually where the main phone number of Poker Fraud Alert is located. So we have phone numbers in lots of places, including the call to listen line, which you can call to listen to the show at any time. It's not a call-in number, meaning you can't be on the air by calling that number, but you can listen to the show by calling 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. And then there's an alternate call to listen line number. You can see all of that and any other number to the show that you may forget on the radio tab near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. Just click where it says radio, and you will see all those numbers listed. The call to listen line is great because it just plays the show. It does not require a smartphone, a data plan, the internet, none of that stuff. It doesn't waste any data. And it never buffers. Absolutely never buffers. I streamed a show today. Not my show, but I streamed a show that I like to listen to. Not about poker or gambling, but a show. And it buffered today, and I was pissed off. I had a weak connection where I was driving, and it it just stopped. And I wanted to hear the next thing the host was going to say, and it just stopped. And I said, he needs a call to listen line because his damn show is buffering. Mine does not buffer if you call the call to listen line. There are other ways to listen. We have the live show on Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We also have the live show on the TuneIn app. And you can listen live, of course, through PokerFraudAlert.com off the radio tab. Some ways to listen in the archives. iTunes, Google Play, the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app also has archives on it. There's two entries for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. One is live, one is the archives. And then we have the Bullhorn app, 
You can download the MP3 directly from the radio forum on Poker Fraud Alert. And even Alexa can be used to listen to the last show that was archived. You just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast. If you add the word podcast at the end, it'll play the last archive show. If you just say, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, then Alexa will play the live show or what's currently being streamed as a rerun. Because when we're not live on the air, it just streams a rerun. It picks a random rerun and streams it. Same with the call to listen line. It's the same thing. So if you're just kind of out somewhere, you just want to hear a random show, just call the call to listen line or go on the TuneIn app, or I guess you can't use Alexa if you're out somewhere, but there's always something running. Always something running on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, even though we're only live once a week. Though I will say, even though we're live once a week, we actually tend to produce more content per week than shows that are on for an hour a day, five days a week. So it's, it's a long one appearance per week. Last week it was seven hours. This week I don't think it'll be seven hours, but last week it was seven hours. This week I'm estimating like five, maybe. We'll see. A lot of topics, but I don't think we have any like really long topics. We might have two interviews next week, by the way. We may have a female advantage player, a longtime female advantage player who has supported herself through advantage play in Las Vegas for quite some time. And she's been profiled in magazines before and on other shows. Uh, I've gotten to know her through Twitter. I actually first got to know her because I made a false accusation against her about nothing about scamming or anything, but it's just a false accusation of being rude to me at the poker table. It turned out it was a lookalike. <laughs> but but she also thought she played with me at a different place. Though she didn't think I was rude, but she she imagined that she had played with me when she actually hadn't, and I imagined that I had played with her when I actually hadn't. Two different incidents. Very strange. But she will be on the show next week, probably. And we also will probably have someone on next week who's going to talk about Vinny Favorito, comedian in Las Vegas, scamming him. So those are two interviews we probably will have on next week's show. Just want to give you a heads up. We were possibly going to have them last week, but we are going to have them this week. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, The agenda. Let's talk about the agenda, and then we will get going. I'm trying to keep it shorter. By the way, we have three minutes to get into the free roll. Three minutes, and then it's done. Oh, the chat room. Don't forget the chat room. You can go into the chat room if you're listening live. You need a flash-enabled device. I mean, you know iPhones or iPads, but you need also a forum account in good standing to get into the chat room. You can chat during the show. Okay, so here's the agenda. The embattled WSOP.com manager, Bill Reaney, the manager of the entire WSOP.com poker site. I don't know about the content on WSOP.com, like just content you read, like about tournaments. I think that's run by someone else. But as far as playing poker, legalized online poker on WSOP.com, he was the manager of the whole thing. Bill Reaney, longtime industry person, who did, may I say, and I think everybody in poker agrees with me, he did an absolutely horrible, terrible, no good job running WSOP.com. Now that is old news, but what's not old news is the fact that he is no longer with WSOP.com. He has left. 
it's not been made public why he left or if he was fired or if he quit, but uh, I have my own theories on that. We're going to discuss Bill Reaney, his almost six-year tenure with WSOP.com, why he might have left, and what the future of the site and legalized online poker might be now that he's gone. I was not a fan of his, let's just say that, both from my own personal experiences and from what I observed and how he treated others. In fact, others' experiences with him were much worse than my own. The body of Tony from Five Dimes, a.k.a. William Creighton is his real name, was supposedly found in Costa Rica, which might kind of bring closure to this story. He's been missing since almost a year ago. I think more than a year ago now. I think he disappeared in August of 2018. Anyway, it appears he's dead. You never know with the Costa Rican government of uh, whether they've really found his body. I think they're still working on it, identifying it, but they believe it's, quote, highly likely to be him. Tell you a bit about that and uh, let you know where the whole thing stands. Last week, we had breaking news on the show, which we probably didn't cover as much as it deserved to be covered. The Venetian Maximum Prize Pool Tournaments. Which, by the way, the way most people in poker found out about this over the past week was from Poker Fraud Alert. We had a very, very popular and well-viewed thread on Poker Fraud Alert that brought people's attention to this in the scam sh- Scandals and Shadiness Forum. Not everybody found out this way. I mean, there were other people who were talking about it independently, but a lot of people found out this way. Uh, as of broadcast time right now, in the week since the thread was created... There have been almost 6,000 people that have used that threat, which is a lot because poker is not a huge community, and especially uh, poker players who would care about reading something like this. I didn't even know there would be 6,000 people, but but apparently there were. So uh, most of the people who've read about this have read about it on this site, even ones who are not people who listen to the show regularly or people who browse the forum regularly. Because I, I shared this around in various places and it caught on. So I'm going to give you an update on what's going on with that Venetian 150K guarantee event. And uh, who knows, there might even be a phone call. We just found this out last week when the show started. And at that point, almost nobody knew. I wasn't the first one to find out, but I was uh, among the first. So it, it was not being discussed very much on social media when I covered it last week. And that's why it didn't get quite the coverage that it probably should have gotten. And we had a lot to talk about the show with seven hours. That's the other problem. All right, vlogger, and yes, vlogger. I'm not. I'm not going to say vlogger. I'm going to say vlogger. Vlogger Ryan DiPaolo got a lifetime ban from the Borgata after filming without permission. Yeah. So I'll play a few clips of Ryan DiPaolo's work. I'll tell you my opinion of the ban he got, and also I will tell you my opinion of him and his channel. He's a very polarizing guy. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I will tell you how I feel about Ryan DiPaolo. Mike Matisau and Phil Helmuth are back in controversy involving the same thing that got them in hot water last time, and that was Life at the Bike. Different incident, but same situation. It had to do with them both playing on Life at the Bike. Last time there was a controversy that Phil just got up in the middle of the session and then took money off of Mike's stack as Phil was staking Mike and people got mad that it's called going south. It's not 
supposed to be allowed. This time, a different controversy, which we'll talk about when we get to that segment. A Houston poker club accidentally gave away $250,000 for a promotion where the winner was not actually the winner. (laughs) This really happened. And this is not a huge, deep-pocketed place like Commerce. (laughs) This is is not a large place. And they gave away a $250,000 promotional prize to the person who did not actually win. Brilliant. The Poker Stars PCA... I announced that 2017 was going to be its last year. I announced this pretty prominently at the time. I announced this in in 2016 that the 2017 PCA taking place in January of that year, that was going to be the last PCA, and I put it out there on Twitter. I put it out there on this show, enough to where PokerStars actually found the need to respond to me. There was a conference call with people who were uh, investors and others, and they actually had to address the rumor on the conference call, like, uh, no, actually, Todd Wattellis was not correct about this. Sometimes he just says things. (laughs) They actually had to explain, because I put this rumor out there, which turned out, well, not to be completely true. See, it continued at the Bahamas in 2000. Well, I said 2017 was going to be its last year. So in 2018, it did return, but under a different name. So I actually was correct that they rebranded it. I just I heard it was ending completely. So I, I was mostly wrong there. I'm not going to take credit for that one. I was mostly wrong. I thought it was going to be over completely. What they actually did is just uh, rebranded it. And now, three years later, I turned out to be correct because the Poker Stars PCA is really leaving and will not return in 2020. So 2000. 19 was, I guess it was two years off. 2019 was the last year. And this is for sure now. This is not a guess on my part or a rumor. It wasn't a guess. Someone brought it to me, who usually is pretty reliable, and this time they had bad info. But, or shall I say, that time they had bad info. This time the info is correct because it's been reported everywhere and PokerStars has confirmed it. A weird embezzlement story has occurred out of Goldman Sachs in India involving a supposed online poker debt. But the story is very odd, and I will tell you what we know about it so far. Seth Polanski has clarified with Card Player Magazine the situation regarding the WSOP leaving the Rio sometime in the near future. Many have thought that maybe the WSOP will be at the New Caesars Convention Center, which is being worked on now for 2020. I decided not too long ago that that's not going to be happening, that at the very least it's returning in 2020 to the Rio, which I've said before on this show. But I was pretty convinced in 2021 it's going to be at the Convention Center. Well, Seth Polanski says it's not true. It will be at the Rio through 2021. But is there more to the story? And... Might some of the things Seth said end up not being true? And if that's the case, is Seth lying or could he be telling the truth and it does not go down like he says it will? I will cover all of that on the segment about this matter. The MGM has the Bellagio and the MGM Grand for sale. But don't panic yet if you're a fan of those properties you're not going to have to join another player's club or earn a status elsewhere to have a status at those properties if you have a good M-Life status. What the plan is, is to sell them and then lease them back 
I'll explain what's going on with MGM's sale and leaseback attempt. Finally, a lawsuit has been filed against Kevin Hart, who can't catch a break recently. First he gets in that uh, bad accident, and now he's getting sued, over an allegedly unauthorized sex tape that Hart was said to have taken at the Cosmo, featuring him and another and a woman. I was going to say another woman, but it's just one woman. Unless you want to say Kevin Hart's a woman. Now, it's true he's, he's short... Height-wise, he's he's kind of woman-like, but other than that, he's he's not very woman-like. That you wouldn't you wouldn't confuse Kevin Hart as a woman. I, I better watch the way I talk, otherwise he's going to want to box me like he did uh, Antonio. Though I, I would have a big reach advantage over him in a boxing match. I didn't watch their boxing match, but uh, I am a lot taller, and in boxing, that actually is an advantage for reach. So maybe I would box him. Anyway, that is our agenda. Trader Ruski, let's see if we can locate him. Let's see if we can locate him. Otherwise, I've got to start this myself. I've got to shoulder the whole burden here. I can't find him. I swear, I was watching the time tick away when I was trying to get that cell phone. And I was like, oh, radio is going to be so late. I was just getting so aggravated. And by the time I left, I didn't accomplish much. That's, that's the worst part. I, I actually have the phone I bought sitting in front of me just to aggravate me during radio. And I, I, I don't think I've ever put out such effort to, to get new cell phone service. Again, it's not even for me. It's for somebody else. But uh, I'm assisting with them. I'm assisting with the process. And uh, it's been a disaster. Not Not the fault of the person I'm doing for. Just... The fault of uh, the cell phone company. Anyway, let's let's just get started. If you're not in the free rolls too late, registration closed eight minutes ago. And someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. That's the way the free rolls go. Someone will be $55. Oh, here we go. You know, hey, actually, I'm going to call Trader Ruski, though. I'm going to call Trader Ruski. I don't, I don't like when he calls me because I want to be in control. Glad we found you. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Ruski, glad we found you. Uh, I, I decided to call you once you tried to call me so we don't have the problem me connecting people online. Because if, if you start the call, Skype thinks you're in control, and we can't have that. We can't have a, a Trader Ruski controlled show. So uh, I'm sure you understand. So, that could get ugly. Yes. So uh, thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. I was afraid uh, we lost you somehow. And uh, though I, I would excuse it. I mean, you've, you've been here just about every week, I think, uh, for 2019. So. For sure that yeah, no, it was perfect. I had an event last night, so I wasn't going to be able to make it. So uh, tonight was perfect. That's right. So, so even though I delayed the show a day, see, Cal Watt is traveling, and he told me, "Look, if you if you want to if you want to have me on the show, don't do it Thursday because I can't make it on Thursday for sure. Friday's a maybe." So I said, "Okay, well, we'll do Friday the maybe." And he probably could have made it if I didn't get stuck at that cell phone store. Uh, but he was like half asleep when I texted him before I started the show, and then he just never responded again. So I was like, ah, we, we delayed the show a day for nothing, but it wasn't for nothing because Trader Ruski also could not make it that Thursday, which I didn't even know at the time I delayed it. I, d- I just assumed Trader Ruski is just available, but he was not available last night, and he is here now. So at least we got that. At least we delayed it a day for a good reason. So uh, let's, start off, let's start off talking about the WSUB.com thing 
And this is really a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive story. You're, you're not going to find it anywhere. You'll find one post on 2 Plus 2 from John Mahaffey, who's also posting on Poker Fraud Alert, by the way. Good guy, by the way. I've, I've never met him in person, but I'd like to meet him. He's, he's a, a nice guy, smart guy. He's, I, I agree with just about everything he posts about uh, the poker and gambling world. And uh, he's, he's mostly these days a gambling and poker journalist, freelance journalist. But uh, he's had his issues with WSOP.com over the years. And so he, he was the one who brought the story out. He was the one who found out in some way. I don't know how he found out. But he found out that WSOP.com was going through a major change that is not apparent right now if you just go play it. But behind the scenes, a major change has occurred. And that is Bill Reaney, the manager of WSOP.com since the beginning in 2013 when it started, is no longer with the company. And that's been verified. He's not there anymore. So Mahaffey brought this out on Twitter. And then I looked into it after that. And I did a story about it on Poker Fraud Alert. And really the only write-up of it to... My knowledge right now, as of airtime, the only full write-up on this matter is on Poker Fraud Alert. And I believe we're the only radio show covering it, too. But I think it's a pretty big deal for reasons you'll hear during this segment. Now, given that I have spent much more time in California than I have Nevada over the last uh, six years, I haven't had as much opportunity to play on WSB.com as I otherwise would have. If it had gone up earlier, if the legalized online poker started uh, earlier because of the... It was, it was able to start because of the reinterpretation of the Wire Act in 2011. And it eventually got going in 2013. But had it gone earlier, when I was living in Vegas, I would have played on there a whole lot. WSOP.com has some advantages over other online poker sites in that it's legal... It's regulated. Your money is safe. There's there's no way you're not going to get paid. Uh, there, I've heard about stories of delayed payments and other fail occurring with payments, but you'll eventually get paid. You're, you're not risking it. Like if you play on Bovada right now or ACR, these could just disappear anytime, or, or they could just decide you were cheating and take your money, and even if you weren't cheating, just tough luck on you. I'm not saying this is likely, especially with Bovada that's been around in some form for almost 20 years now, but these are unregulated sites, and at the end of the day, they will do what they feel like doing. So WSOP.com is not like that. They have to answer to regulators, and there's a large U.S. company behind it, being Caesars. So these are all advantages, but the disadvantages are, number one, you can only play in three states right now, Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey. Number two, the player pool is pretty small for that reason. And number three, the site is not run very well. And number three does not have to be the case. The first two are unfortunately probably going to be the case no matter who is in charge. But the site was not managed well at all. And that became apparent very quickly. WSOP.com was the second legalized online poker site to go up in the U.S. The first one was Ultimate Poker, which is now gone. It's been gone for a number of years now. That failed. Ultimate Poker rushed to be first to market, and 
they had a proprietary product, kind of like what Galphon's doing, except Galphon's not serving the U.S. And much like what Galphon's doing, there were a lot of problems with the proprietary software. And uh, much like what Galphon's doing, there was a lot of mismanagement. And much like what Galphon will probably soon be doing, the, the ultimate poker's gone. WSOP.com is still there. In fact, they're the only choice right now in Nevada. In New Jersey, there's other sites you can play on, like uh, Party Poker and Poker Stars. These are special New Jersey versions, not the international versions. But there are other sites you can play on in New Jersey. But in Nevada and Delaware, it's a monopoly. It's WSOP.com and nothing else. And this, it's been up since uh, late 2013. Bill Reaney was the card room manager. He was the manager of the whole thing. And when he was first hired for this, uh, I don't think I heard his name that he was hired for it until the site actually went up. But whatever, I had heard of him before. He wasn't an unknown name to me. I knew he was an, an industry guy. I knew he had some kind of association with online poker, but only recently did I learn the full extent of that by going to his LinkedIn. And I had read his blog before. And when I had read Bill Reaney's blog, I wasn't like a regular reader, but I'd occasionally go to it and read it. And this is before he started WSOP.com. And and my impression of Bill Reaney then was that he seems like a reasonable and intelligent guy. Like I'd read the blog and go, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy seems like he's on the ball. It seemed like a blog that made sense. So when I heard Bill Reaney's in charge, I said, okay, good. It sounds like, uh, I don't know that much about him, but it sounds like a good choice to me. Well, he was not. He was the opposite of a good choice. He was a horrible choice. And that became apparent very quickly. WSOP.com was absolutely positively mismanaged. And in some of the ways it was mismanaged, it was mind-boggling how it happened. It's it's one thing that there's mismanagement because of uh, lack of funds or, uh, or because of very difficult things to get around such as uh, regulations of, of the government that it's, it's running under or whatever. Like, there's, sometimes there's issues that appear to be management issues that are really not simple management issues. But a lot of the problems that WSB.com had, a lot of the stupid things they did, were very, very avoidable. I can tell you if I were the card room manager, and I, I don't like taking this approach. I, I never like coming on and saying, you know, if I had this job, if I were in charge, I would do it. Okay, fine. I, I won't lie to you. I, I, I do like saying that. I enjoy saying that. I, I, I enjoy looking down upon others who failed the job, especially a job I know I could have done better. But still, I can tell you, 100% certainty, I would have done a far better job than Bill Reaney. But not just me. Just about any other person who knew online poker well and had some management ability would have done a far better job than Bill Reaney. I wasn't the only guy in the world who could have done better than him. Like Just about everybody put in this position who would have qualified for it would have done a better job. This guy did a horrible job, and it was especially horrible given that this is an intelligent guy with a lot of experience in the online poker industry. This wasn't like a Jeffrey Pollock situation where you get someone dropped into poker who before had nothing to do with poker and screwed some things up. This was someone who was a veteran of online poker, not as a player so much, but but working behind the scenes, working in management, and he still managed to royally screw everything up and basically do everything wrong. Well, almost everything. I'll tell you, there's one thing they didn't do wrong. 
So I'll start off with the good. The one thing they didn't do do wrong was they decided to partner with 888.com to provide their software. And the reason that was not a mistake was that they immediately got a mature software product. Not that it was a great software product. I, I don't like the 888 software, to be honest, but it's not horrendous. It's just not great software. Like PokerStars is way, way better. Old Full Tilt is way, way better. Party is even better. But the 888 software, it's, it's, it's usable. <laughs> it's usable and it's, it's not all that buggy. So it's, that was a reasonable choice. So they got a mature product that they could just drop into uh, production and, and, and run it without uh, having to worry about a ton of bugs and, and, and extensive testing, et cetera, et cetera. Something that plagued Ultimate Poker basically to death. As their, their software was awful, lacked features, and had, was full of bugs and crashes, and people got fed up and quit. So I assume Rini made that decision. Provided he did, which I think he did. I don't have any information that he did, but from what I know of his job title, that that was his decision. So good job on that one. That was the right move. Ultimate Poker made the wrong move. They spent, uh, I think, like uh, a lot of money. I heard something like, like $25 million. So They spent some kind of obscene sum of money developing their own software, and the whole thing was a fail. So WSOP.com avoided that by just licensing the 888 software. So good job, Bill, on that one. But... That's about where it ends. And it's not that surprising that Bill Reaney made the right decision software-wise and the wrong decision with everything else because guess what type of manager he was when he worked at the other poker sites that he worked for, you know, that he was at in the past? He was a software manager. Hmm. So that explains it. So Bill Reaney got hired based upon his impressive resume, which you can see on LinkedIn. If you go to linkedin.com slash in, like I-N, linkedin.com slash in slash Bill Reaney, B-I-L-L-R-I-N-I, linkedin.com slash in slash Bill Reaney, you can see his, his history in online poker and other things he's done with his career. This is self-reported, so, but uh, I assume it's correct. Uh, he worked some jobs in the 90s involving uh, mostly tech stuff, but uh, some other things too. But he worked for AOL. He worked for eToys, which I assume is gone. I think that was one of those dot-com boom sites of their like late 90s, early 2000s has failed. But whatever. He was director of software development at eToys. He was a director of technologies at, at AOL. And he was also uh, the CTO Chief Technical Officer at E-Companies, whatever that was in 2000. There are all kinds of companies in 2000 that aren't here today. In fact, they, there were all kinds of companies in 2000 that weren't there in 2001. For those of you that remember those days. He was a program manager at Full Tilt at the very beginning. Or almost the very beginning. From August 05 to September 06. So I forgot exactly when Full Tilt went up, but I think it went up slightly before... That, but pretty much from the very beginning, from the point it went up, he was a program manager, whatever that is. I have to assume that has to do with software. I mean, I know what a program manager is, but I don't know in the context of what Full Tilt was. So he was a program manager at Full Tilt. He was the poker product manager at Party Gaming from September 2006 through March 2007. 
And then for almost two years, from March 07 to December 08, he was the poker room manager of Party Gaming. So that's a pretty big job. In fact, so was the Full Tilt job. So he was a program manager at Full Tilt. He was the poker product manager and the poker room manager at Party Gaming for two and a half years combined. Then he was the poker manager at Betson, another big European site, from uh, only for four months uh, for... Uh, a poker manager at Betson. And he was the poker program manager at WPT Enterprises for two years from 11 through 13 before he took the WSP job. So he's had a lot of jobs. Now, you might notice that he is jumping around a lot. He only spent four months at Betson. He's only spent uh, two and a half years at Party, spent a year and two months at Full Tilt, and maybe that says something. It, it, well, it could say... Basically, one of two things: either he's just one of these guys who's never satisfied with what he's doing, is always looking for something better or more interesting, is just jumping job to job to job. Which there are some people like that. I've, I've, I know people in my personal life like that who just don't want to stay at one job for any length of time, even though they do a good job where they are. They just get restless and move. Or maybe he was doing a crappy job and was either getting fired or kind of being pushed out, and he kept jumping from job to job to job. And funny enough, the more different places he'd worked at, uh, probably built his resume even more. And it's like, oh, look at him. He's worked for Party, for Full, for full Tilt, and for Betson. Yeah, of course we want to hire him. So that's basically what got him the job at WSOP.com. I wasn't privy to the hiring process, of course. I'm just speculating here. just want to make that clear. But I have to imagine that when this job opening occurred, that they looked at his resume, and you think, well, great. This guy's got it all. He's got the software background. He actually has been a software manager for various prominent online poker sites during the poker boom. He was also a poker room manager, not just a software manager, mostly a software manager, but he was a poker room manager for more than a year at party. So really, who better to, to pick, right? Seems like a smart guy. Is a smart guy. I'm not, I'm not saying he's dumb. He's a, he's a smart guy. You can tell. You can tell by, by looking at his writing and, and looking at his job history. and You can tell this is a guy who has brains. So he's got brains. He's got the experience both in managing a card room and with managing the development of software for card rooms. And, like, why wouldn't you hire him? So they hired him. And he joined WSOP.com in September of 2013. I forget exactly when WSOP.com launched, but it was, I think, very shortly after that. So he was there at WSOP.com from the beginning. I have to imagine that uh, there's a good chance that he was the one who worked out the 888 deal. Now, maybe not because it came September 2013 and it went up pretty quickly after that so it's possible someone else was getting that going so maybe this wasn't maybe maybe the one thing i'm giving him credit for he didn't even do i'm just thinking of that right now it's a good chance actually that was already on its way when he when he joined i I just noticed that but okay i'll give him credit anyway just to be nice but i don't fault caesars for hiring him here and that's important to understand caesars makes a lot of dumb mistakes there's a lot of 
idiotic things they do that I criticize on this show. Not this. This was a hire that I thought then was okay, and now that I know more about his history prior to coming to WCP.com, I think the hire was absolutely fine. But where they made the mistake was that once they noticed that he was wrong for the job, and by the way, they noticed, okay? They noticed pretty early. They didn't get rid of him. He stayed, and he stayed, and he stayed, and WCP.com became a fail. It was an epic failure. Much of this was not his fault, but some of it was. And only now, in September 2019, six years later, is he gone. So what failures occurred, and what could he have done differently? Well... Uh, so someone is saying my volume is low, by the way, compared to Trader Ruski. Let me see here. I could turn Trader Ruski down, but maybe that's not the solution. Maybe I could turn myself up. Let's see here. Let's see here. I never like to hear there's volume problems. It upsets me when there's volume problems. Okay, I turned myself up, so hopefully that will help you guys. If I'm still soft, let me know. And forget whether that's like compared to Trader Ruski. I I can adjust Trader Ruski. I can turn him up and down. But I I want the volume to be good. Especially we have some people who listen in noisy environments, and I want them to be able to hear. So I I'd rather be loud as long as I'm not distorted. I'd rather be loud, and then people can turn me down if I'm too loud. Uh, the problem is when I'm too soft, you can turn me up to the top volume, and I'm too soft, and that's a problem. So being too loud on a podcast or a radio show is usually what you're going for as long as it's not distorted. But I know it's also annoying when there's two hosts and one is louder than the other. It's frustrating too. Okay, I'm being told it's better now. Okay. Producing the show during the show, everybody. It's one of our proud things we do here on PokerFraudler.com. All right, so let me get into what Bill Reaney was doing wrong. And in fact, some of my personal experiences with Bill Reaney and in fact my attempt to report Bill Reaney to upper management of Caesars and get him fired. Either get him fired or get him off his ass to do his job. One of the two. I didn't care if he got fired. I just, something had to change. And I made an effort to get it done. So, let me start with this. Uh, In, uh, basically right away, when WSOP.com started, there were problems. And people were starting to call it out. Not the type of problems you'd think of. Like, not so much software problems or crashes. But just a lot of weird issues with their promotions and with the lack of responsiveness from customer service. And the actual customer service that you'd call on the phone was awful. It was outsourced and it was totally useless. This is how... Let me give you a reenactment. I'm just going to do this right now. A reenactment of calling WSOP.com customer service. I'm actually doing my own ring here. Hello, WSOP.com, customer service, may I help you? Uh, yes, uh, I- I'm having a-, a problem getting to my account. Can you help me? Oh, yes, yes. Um, what, 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 what is your issue, my friend? Yeah, my problem is that when I try to log into my account, it's giving me an error message saying uh, code number 038. So my password's working, but it's, it's not letting me in with this code 038. Can you tell me what that is? Oh, one second, my friend. 
Okay, you need to send an email to support at WSOP.com. Okay, I know I can do that, but, but what is this code? No, but my friend, I, I cannot tell you this. I do not have access to that information. You need to send an email to support at WSOP.com. Is there anything else I can help you with, my friend? So that, that's basically the way it would go. Anything you called up about, they would just tell you to email support. <laughs> so what was the point? Like, why do they even exist? Like, every time I called them, it was always email support. They, they could never do anything. But that was the least of their problems, by the way. There's just one of many problems. Uh, the first real public complaint about the problems going on there was uh, – well, actually, I guess it was the second one. The, the, the first real public complaint came from me. I had a problem with getting my status matched on WSOP.com. And what they had at the time was they would match your status at Caesars to your status on the site to get you more rake back. So they actually had a bunch of levels from bronze all the way up to seven stars. And four of the levels actually were the same levels as the Caesars cards were. Gold, platinum, diamond, and seven stars. And then there were others in between. So I was a seven stars, which means I should have been able to be matched and just instantly get the top rake back, which was like 30 or 35%, which I thought was great. You just got to get status matched. So I had the hardest time getting status matched properly. And I I was pulling my hair out. So uh, I was... I I guess guess this was going on at the same time as Gabo Boy's problems. So I'll I'll talk about mine first and I'll talk about Gabo Boy. So I was... So first of all, this just shows you the incompetence. They had an email address, a dedicated email address for their players club called the Action Club, actionclub at wscp.com. One little problem. They were telling everyone to email actionclub at wscp.com, but a separate internal decision was made not to use that address anymore, so it was not checked. (laughs) I'm not kidding. So you, you, you would email the Action Club, you get no answer, and it turned out that they had abandoned that email address and then just... Nobody was told that on the support side. So you got no response. Uh, I already told you about the useless 800 number. But uh, I had a problem with getting my status matched. And they were just sending me nonsensical form letters back every time I kept asking them. Finally, after like several attempts, I got back a message saying... Your status of diamond has been matched now. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm seven stars. Please match me to diamond. And the response I got back was basically starting all over. Okay, sir, I see you want a status match. Please give us your name, your player's card number. I'm like, oh, my God, this is an endless loop. <laughs> we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I get diamond instead of seven star. They finally do something to give me diamond instead of seven star. And then I say, look, you did the wrong one. Okay, sir, let's start again. I'm like, oh my, it wasn't even like, let's start again. It's like, okay, well, you want a status, a status match? Well, okay. So I tried and tried and tried, and they just absolutely would not uh, match me to seven star. They weren't refusing. They just were not understanding. They're saying, well, sir, we see we've already matched you to diamond. I say, yes, but I'm supposed to be seven star. Well, yeah, but we've, we, you said you wanted a status match. We gave it to you. I go, yes, but it's supposed to be seven star, which is above diamonds. But, sir, we've already completed this. I'm like, oh, my God. This, 
they've got like monkeys working the, the, the lines here. I, I, I was going crazy. Uh, so I tried to get a hold of Bill Reaney about this. This was my experience with Bill Reaney the first time. I thought, okay, this is when you go to the manager and say, hey, can you intervene with me for me here? And by the way, I wasn't asking for favors. I wasn't asking for exceptions. Their policy in December 2013 is if you're a seven stars, you get matched to seven stars. That was their clearly stated policy. They just were having a very hard time actually doing it. And they were initially ignoring the emails because there was going to an address that they tell you to email that actually wasn't being checked. So I, I start to, to tweet to Bill Reaney. And he just doesn't answer me. First, he gives me like a generic answer, and, and then he just uh, stop an- stops answering me. Uh, and uh, so I, I was getting nowhere. Finally, I got someone, one of the few competent employees who's actually based out of Vegas. I got him to help me. But already I was starting to think, okay, there's something wrong here. Like Bill Reaney, he should have taken the reins here. He should have taken over, and he didn't. He basically hid from my problem. But okay, I thought maybe it's just me, but it wasn't just me. There were a lot of different problems. I guess a little bit before I had my problem, there were some rakeback issues that occurred that were being brought up in the WSP forum on 2 Plus 2. They, they started a sponsored forum on 2 Plus 2 where people would supposed to go there and get support, right? It was a, a support forum like many other sites have or have had on 2 Plus 2. So they had a sponsored forum on 2 Plus 2 at WSOP.com support forum. And some people were complaining that this special rakeback promotion they had in November of 2013, where you get 20% extra rakeback, that it wasn't being calculated right. Well, after a lot of being ignored, finally Reeney answered after a long time, and revealed that the calculation for the rakeback was incorrect because when they said you're getting 20% extra rakeback this month, the people who were assigning that rakeback thought they meant a 20% increase of rakeback over what you're already getting, not a 20%, meaning like instead of it going from like 20 to 40%, that you'd be getting going from like 20 to 24% because 24% is uh, is. 20% more than 20. So so that's how they did it wrong and everybody got screwed. And they really meant 20% rake back additional this month. And the, so it was miscalculated. So tons of back and forth before they finally uh, corrected this. Like I can, first of all, it's a pretty boneheaded mistake to make to have this be one of your first promotions and then to bungle it that badly. But fine, you know, people make mistakes. Pretty big one. People make mistakes though. But the time it took for this to be researched and corrected and even acknowledged on the forums was very a lot longer than it should have been and then came the really disturbing thing was that it was found that a few months later they quietly deleted the threads about that whole mistake now it had been resolved by then they weren't trying to prevent it from being solved but they deleted it to scrub it from history. So they have this WSP support forum, and they're starting to delete old threads that don't leave them in a flattering light, which, as you can imagine, is not a good look. That's not, what, that's not the way a support forum is supposed to be. 
a support forum is for public discussion of issues on the site. And if there's things that are unflattering to it, then so be it. Then you correct them and you, you put out there, hey, we corrected them. You don't, you don't uh, kind of bungle it and then delete the thread so no one knows it ever happened. That's not being honest. That's not how forums are supposed to work. People were also unhappy on the WSOP forum that Bill Reaney was not very responsive. Here they have the support forum, and yet it was being ignored. People were posting there, and Bill just wasn't answering, or he'd give like one-line answers and not really spend any time on the problems or really solve anything. So Bill's solution was... So people are complaining, complaining, complaining that he's not responding in the forum. So finally, Bill's solution was that he's going to hold office hours in the forum. (laughs) You know, like like he's a Harvard professor or something. Have you ever heard of office hours in a forum? A forum's in a chat room. A forum is a place where messages stay up, and you can answer them at any time. So if you post a message on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to me at 2 p.m., and I don't check the forum or I don't have time to respond until 9 p.m., well, that's fine. Then eventually you'll check it after 9 p.m. and see my response there. And then at your leisure, you'll post your response. And at my leisure, I'll post my response. And then if someone finds all of this the next day, then they can see everything all together and read it all at once. That's how forums work. It's just a, a chain of messages back and forth that are in public. So why would someone need to hold office hours when a forum is usable 24 hours a day and when people are not actively sitting looking to chat each other in real time on forums? The whole point of a forum is you post a message, you leave, you come back and see if they responded a few hours later. So Bill Reaney actually held office hours, and and you may say, well, that's not a bad idea. Then at least you know when he's there responding to you. No. The, the, The purpose of the office hours was so he could not respond at any other time. So he told these restrictive office hours of like a few hours per week. And if, if you don't get an answer from him or if in the middle of the discussion, tough luck, it has to wait until the next office hours to, to, to get back answers, which is insane. Now, it's fine for him to say, hey, uh, I'm typically answering these at this time of day. But it's not even like he was doing it every day. They're just like per week. There were not that many office hours and they were pretty short. And then he absolutely would not respond any other time besides the office hours. And the responses would be of poor quality. You'd get like a one-liner back from him. And then by the time you ask him for clarification, uh, then the office hours are over. <laughs> he has to wait till the next office hours. If he responds at all, he also would just ignore a lot of things. Uh, so this wasn't working out. He, he didn't understand forums, which is surprising, but he, he didn't understand forums. That's not, you don't hold, I've never seen office hours held on forums. So nothing was getting done there. And people were very frustrated because WSOB.com was a they, – they had a support forum on 2 Plus 2, and that was the only site that had a support forum that did not use it as a support forum. And basically what they eventually said was, you know, we're actually – we're a support forum, but we're actually not a support forum. If you want support, email support at WSOP.com. <laughs> they, they really said this. So they've got a support forum, but it's not really for support. I mean, can you imagine? And I said, if this is what you want to do, if you want to make it just informational, if you just want to make it where you guys announce things, then close it so people can't post. Make it so you can only post, but, but other people can't. Then it's clear it's not a support forum. But if people can post to you in a forum called WSOP.com support forum and you don't give it support, that, that's crazy. So 
the, the, the support and the responsiveness of issues on WSOB.com was horrible. And we're talking about in the first uh, six months of the site. There was the issue that I had. There was the issue with uh, a, a cheater got his money confiscated, and one of the people who was playing with him didn't feel that that money was being distributed properly back to the people who got cheated and was trying to understand the, the policy of the site about cheater money, what happens with that. Uh, and, and Bill was not was very unresponsive. Uh, there, there was that matter of that screwed up promotion with a, with a 20% extra rake back. Uh, there were a lot of other concerns that were brought up other to- over time, and you just, you just wouldn't get answers. It was just very non-responsive. And the thing that was infuriating is there was no one to talk to. There was no one you could find that could help you because the guy who's supposed to be doing it didn't want to answer questions. So you had this like informational blackout that you thought you were not going to have on a regulated site. It, it kind of reminds me of this. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want? Yeah, that's 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 pretty much what I was saying about WCB.com. Where's the beef? And I don't think there's anybody back there. <laughs> The whole joke of that commercial was that these old ladies, they, they, they go to get a hamburger and it's this tiny piece of beef on a big bun. And then they, they want to know where all the beef is. And then it's this big, empty, abandoned place where there's no manager to answer to it. So basically the place screws up. The place gives you a substandard product. And then if you have issues, there's nobody to answer you. I don't think there's any back, anybody back there, said uh, Clara Peller, who gained some fame from that commercial at a very late age. That, that was basically what was going on at WSB.com. I don't think there's anybody back there. Now, why wasn't there anybody back there? Why was Bill Reaney so non-responsive? Why was he holding office hours like twice a week or whatever for a few hours to answer questions and still barely answered? Why, why was he so non-responsive? Was it that he was so busy that he just couldn't fit this in? No. I believe, and again, I can't say for sure, but I believe that Bill Reaney just feared customer service. It, it, he's just someone who doesn't like working with the public. He's, he's a behind-the-scenes guy, and he should have always been a high, behind-the-scenes guy. Um, he would go into his shell and curl up into a ball when any kind of issue or controversy or criticism of the site would take place. He was someone who had a very thin skin, that he'd get insulted very easily, even if people weren't insulting him, if they were just bringing up real issues and doing so politely, he just, he had a hard time confronting adversity. Even if the fixes were simple, he just, he, he would get very stressed out. He'd get very panicked if people brought problems to him that he had to kind of solve in a public setting. He didn't want to help you in a private setting either, but especially a public setting. He just would freeze up and, 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 curl up into a ball and say, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. Just, just, just don't bother me here. Let me, let me, let me hide here. That, that's basically what he did when problems were brought to him. And that's not the way a poker room manager 
is supposed to handle things. Now, a software manager, they don't deal with the public. The software manager, if you're a customer, how often do you ever speak to the software manager of any company? Never, right? The, the software manager works behind the scenes. So the software manager does not have to interface with customers or directly solve problems with uh, issues in how the company's operating. He has to solve software problems, but he doesn't have to solve uh, logistical problems. He doesn't have to solve customer service issues. And these are two very different skill sets. And apparently Bill Rini was horrible at these other skill sets. He probably, as far as managing software products, he was fine. But as but the, the, the funny thing is that there wasn't much to manage on WSOB.com from a software standpoint because they were licensing the software from elsewhere. So the one thing he was probably good at, uh, there, there wasn't much to do. And what he did have to do, he was very bad at. So this is a guy, horrible at customer service, horrible at dealing with the public, horrible at managing crises and issues, extremely out of touch with the wants and the needs of online poker players, both of the grinders and the recreational players, doesn't understand how forums work. (laughs) So this, what looked like a good hire, was actually a horrible hire. A horrible hire. And this became clear to everybody. It's not like he had his defenders and his detractors. This was a guy who was universally despised by those who played on the site. I, I didn't hear one grinder on the site say, hey, I think Bill's doing a great job. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of dead here, but that's the way the market is. But, you know, but, but he's doing all he can. He, he's doing a bang-up job. I, I can't think of anyone who could do better. No one said that to me. No one even said, hey, I think he's doing an okay job. Everybody told me, that they thought he was doing about as bad of a job as he could do. Why? Because he, he would hide from everything. And above that, they were not doing the right things to bring traffic there. But let's back up for a second. Why did he take this job? If, it, if he's afraid of dealing with customer service issues and dealing with the public and managing crises that could come up and managing logistics... Why would he take this job if he's bad at it? Wouldn't, yeah, he, this is not a young guy, so he, he should know his strengths and weaknesses by the time he took that job. Why would he have taken the job? Well, let's think back a little further. There was a lot of excitement about legalized online poker in the U.S., and the last thing we had seen in the U.S. were things like Poker Stars and Full Tilt, which were wildly successful. So it was thought that once legalized poker comes, that we'll return to that, that They'll be huge, especially because they're not illegal anymore. It'll be easier to deposit, and everything will be totally legal and legal to advertise everywhere. And this has the potential to be bigger than Poker Stars. So here, Bill Reaney is given the opportunity to manage that whole thing. Who wouldn't take that? He probably thought that he wouldn't have to deal with customer service things. He probably thought, hey, I'm just going to come in. I'll be the big picture guy. I'll be managing everything. I'll be managing the next huge thing in online poker. I'll be managing a brand that's almost guaranteed to be successful because it has the recognition, WSOP.com. So I'll come in, I'll manage it, I've managed before, and I'm going to be at the helm of something huge, and it's, it's pretty much going to run itself, and I'll have people under me who can uh, take care of the little things. That's probably what he thought. 
he probably didn't think that he'd be on the hot seat for all these things that were happening. I'm not defending him, by the way. You, as a manager, you have to be on the hot seat. You have to take responsibility for what's happening under you, even if the product is not as successful as you thought it would be. But when reality came, it turned out that there was just not much traffic. First, they were not even combined player pools. It was only Nevada and only New Jersey separated. And people just weren't that interested in playing on these sites with a small potential for traffic. You needed a much bigger potential player pool. PokerStars had the entire U.S. and actually the entire world. Here they only had Nevada and New Jersey separately. So there weren't many games that were running and people would open it and see it's dead and close it and never play, never deposit. So yes, it was hard to get traffic and they were not the only site that struggled and no site has been successful. Party has not been successful. PokerStars has not been successful in New Jersey. Uh, Ultimate Poker folded. So I, I would be not correct if I were to say that Bill Reaney is the reason the WSOP.com is a ghost town. But he's part of the reason. It could be doing better than it is. When you get dealt a bunch of lemons, as you've heard the old phrase, you make lemonade. And he did not want to make lemonade. He just sat there with the lemons in front of him. He, he sat there with the lemons and, and squeezed a little lemon juice out of it. It's like, oh, well, I kind of juiced these lemons. That should be good enough. When the traffic doesn't just come, when, it, you, when you don't just open up WSOP.com and it's flooded with people who want to play poker, when that does not happen as some people were hoping and expecting. What do you do? Do you just sit on your hands and go, whoop, okay, I guess guess traffic kind of sucks. Well, we'll just stay the course and do the same thing. Or do you start to think about what unique and innovative things you can do to bring people there? Well, unfortunately, he chose to just stay the course. So the promotions at WSMP.com were incredibly boring. Deposit bonuses, uh, free tournament tickets, just, just very standard stuff that's been in the online poker industry for many, many years. And that's why he did it, because that's what he was used to seeing. And that's fine if you have an existing player base. But if you've got to excite people to come over to your site, they're not going to go, oh, wow, a deposit bonus. Wow. Well, that's going to make me start WSB.com. It's not. You, you've got to do something drastic to get games going in the first place. Then start doing the deposit bonuses and other things to bring more people in. And he didn't understand that. He just thought, okay, just put out some standard promotions that worked on full tilt and party, and and it'll work here. Well, it didn't. It was a ghost town. Why didn't they run rake-free for some time to get people used to playing there? Or maybe a super-reduced rake? Why didn't they make it at least rake-free for a certain amount of time for someone who starts a game, or for the first two people who start a game? Or some kind of very, very high rake-back for them? where they pay the rake, but then they get 90% of it back if they started the game. Something like that. Something incentivize people to get games going. Incentivize pros to even play each other because they know they're not being raked or barely being raked. Uh, They had some rake race, but that didn't really excite anyone. People just played the games that were there. They didn't incentivize starting games. Higher props. That's been done. That's been done in brick-and-mortar card rooms for many years. They didn't hire any props, as far as I know. So games didn't run. They didn't go. And what about their loyalty program? I already told you about some of the fails that occurred with the status match, but putting that aside, they basically copied PokerStars' model 
It was, it was a ripoff of PokerStars model. And that does not work for a site like WSOP.com because you can't play on that 12 months out of the year if you don't live in a state where you can play. So if you live in California and you play on WSOP.com when you visit Nevada, you're not going to be able to play 12 months a year. You can only play when you're visiting Nevada. So they needed to tailor their program to the temporary player, the one who will show up, play a lot, but then can't play anymore because he goes back home and cannot legally access the site anymore. In fact, the site shuts them out. But it wasn't. Instead, it had the same model of where you earn status, but then if you don't play for a little bit, then, it, then you go back to the bottom. And that's awful. Like, that's, that's exactly what you don't want. That's disincentivizing people to come and play because they know once their trip is over and they come back in three months that everything they've earned is gone. Never bothered to think of that. Never bothered to think, you know what? Our, yes, this VIP format works with poker stars, but we're a different situation over here. Let's figure out a VIP program that works right. Nope, never thought of that. Just slap up a very generic one that's like poker stars and call it a day. I don't even know what Bill Reaney did all day for 40 hours a week. And I think he got paid well. I don't know what he got paid, but I think he got paid well. I don't know what he did all day. I I used to think about that. What is this guy doing? He's not handling customer service concerns. There's no software to manage. That's licensed out to someone else. The promotions are all very generic. Like, What's he even doing? What is he spending 2,000 hours a year doing? Because that's, that's what a full-time job is. It's, it's like 2,000 hours a year. What is he spending 2,000 hours a year doing? He was there for six years. He spent 12,000 hours on this job. What did he do? Do you see 12,000 hours of work, even accounting for the fact that much is behind the scenes? I don't. I, don't, I, I honestly don't know what he did with his time. It's weird. So really the stuff he could have done right, good customer service, solving issues, being responsive, being a go-to guy when their outsourced support fails, he didn't do any of these things. In fact, he hid from problems. He was just the wrong man for the job. He was the total wrong man for the job, though it seemed like he was the right man on the job, right man for the job on the surface. Now, how do I know that they recognized early that this was a problem? Well, I know because I had a phone call with one Seth Polanski back in 2014 when Seth was upset that uh, I was trying to uh, bring attention to the fails there to upper management. See, I contacted uh, Mitch Garber through Twitter. And Mitch Garber is the boss of this department. So he's the big boss. He's the the big upper management boss there. And uh, I contacted him on Twitter and I said, I'd like to have a discussion with you. He was the uh, Caesars Interactive Entertainment CEO, by the way, at the time. I think he still is. And I said, hello, I'm a longtime online poker player and high-limit player on WCB.com. I'm very concerned about the way the site's being run, especially from a player and co- a policy and customer service standpoint. Many others in the poker community share this concern. Would I be able to arrange a meeting with you or another Caesars representative to discuss this? A phone call will be fine, too. Not looking to complain and not asking for anything. Would just like to provide honest feedback and help the situation. Thanks. This was in April 2014. I sent this on Twitter to Mitch Garber, the CEO of that 
portion of Caesar's. Well, that got their attention. That got their attention. So Seth Polanski contacted me and said he would like to talk to me about what's going on. So I said, okay. So I talked to him. So I, I have to take a break for a second. When I come back, I will tell you about my conversation with Seth Polanski about Bill Rainey and about WCB.com and why I left the conversation very discouraged and feeling like even though they were aware that Bill Rainey was doing a crappy job, that uh, no one was interested in changing anything and that WSOP.com was going to hopelessly be a fail site, which turned out to be correct. So when we come back, I will tell you all about that. And then we'll discuss why Bill Rainey left and what's going to happen going forward on WCP.com and with legalized online poker in general. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, so we're going to continue the segment. And I'll explain to you about my call with Seth Polanski about Bill Rini, where Seth was basically trying to 
convince me, hey, back off, please. That was really the purpose of the phone call. Like, I'm going to tell you some things, and I'm going to listen to you, and then please back off. Not back off like I'm not allowed to say how I feel about it and or give my opinion, but kind of like, hey, I think you're being too hard on Bill and the site, and we'll hear you out, but can you please not be as harsh? That was basically the message of the call. I wasn't threatened or anything. I wasn't told like, hey, stop saying this. We're going to ban you from Caesars. Like that never happened. It was a cordial phone call. There were never any kind of uh, threats implied or otherwise. But at the same time, we, we didn't agree on some of the topics that were being discussed. So I, I think Seth felt it was necessary to call me because Bill was kind of melting down. He had been under criticism for a long time, or not a long time, for the time he'd been there, for the six months he'd been there. He'd been under a lot of criticism from a lot of different people. Everyone said he's doing an awful job. Everyone says he's not responsive. Everyone said that everything's being mishandled. And then I was very loudly saying this, and now I was trying to talk to their big boss, Mitch Garber. And Bill was probably in a panic going, oh my God, now, now, that, now this guy's trying to contact my boss and I'm going to get in trouble. And, and Seth's like, hey, I know this guy, let me try to handle it. So Seth called me and we, we discussed various things. So I asked Seth, why are they not handling support on the WSB.com support forum on uh, 2 plus 2? And he said, well, we, we don't have enough funding for this to have a full-time person handle uh, the, the WSP.com forum on 2 plus 2. It was really meant more as an informational place. I said, okay, why, why don't you take away the ability to post there? We'll think about that, but we're really just trying to get everyone used to emailing support at WSP.com and, and, and just we don't like people having to use two different things for support. We want just one form. I'm like, well, then don't have a support forum. <laughs> I wasn't understanding that one. And so he's like, okay, we'll take it under advisement, but... All they ended up doing was just abandoning the forum. They didn't even shut it down. They just left. <laughs> uh, I, I told them there needs to be someone who they can go to that will hear them out for concerns, not just emailing support at WCB.com because that support email doesn't do well. You get a lot of outsourced employees who are in other countries who don't understand, who, who can't do it well. You need someone who's like a manager there and – Bill Reaney hides from it, so who can we contact? So, so Seth was like, "Well, okay, uh, you know, people can can reach us on Twitter." And he said, "He said, you know, you can contact me. You can contact Bill Reaney." He was trying to give alternate ways to be contacted. Uh, he said he didn't feel it was a wise use of budget to put someone full time to man the forums. And I said, "How much?" How expensive is this? Like, you don't have to pay someone a fortune to do this. <laughs> then they, I, I talked about the deletion of the messages from support, where they deleted a lot of threads and messages that were critical of the site. And that's a very big mistake. It looks like a cover-up, especially the, the community is very sensitive about this, given the scandals that have occurred at the various sites over the years. And he said, well, uh, actually, 2 plus 2 itself suggested the deletions, which I don't believe. I, as much as I criticize 2 plus 2, I can't believe that 2 plus 2 would have said, why don't you delete threads that are critical of you? I, I just can't imagine anyone at 2 plus 2 would have said that. But that, that's what he told me they claimed. 
Uh, but he said, we really wanted to, to stress that it's not a support forum. So we removed the support-related messages so people don't get confused by that. <laughs> now, to be clear, this was a conversation with Seth Polanski, not Bill Reaney. But this was on behalf of Bill Reaney. Notice it was Seth calling me, not Bill. I, I have a complaint, like a lot of complaints about the way it's being run. Instead of Bill going, hey... Uh, let's talk. Let's let's have a frank discussion about what's going on here. Instead, it's like, no, no, I I, I can't talk to people. I, I I I can't. I can't. I can't. And Seth's like, don't worry, dude. I'll get. I got it for you. That, that's that's probably what happened there. Like, why wasn't it Bill calling me? Yes, I knew Seth, and I didn't really know Bill. But but why was it Seth? Why why wasn't it? It was Bill's job to do. Seth had some association with WCB.com, but he wasn't a decision maker there. You know, Bill Reaney was the manager but Seth made the call because Seth can do things like this and Bill was scared to do it I don't mean scared like something's going to happen to him it's like he's uncomfortable it's like a, it's almost like a social anxiety of, of some sorts so that's not who you want as your, your poker room manager so then I, I brought up with Seth the Bill situation and I said he's not doing a good job he's not responsive he ignores people he hides from problems he does this strange office hours thing. He's just not accessible. But he's expressed a lot of support for Bill Reaney. He said Bill's intelligent. He was a big advocate for poker in general. He said that uh, he wasn't even aware that Bill was ignoring me with my support issues a few months prior with that thing with the Action Club problem. He said uh, Bill Reaney is very responsive. That's what I know of him. And I said, well, I don't know what you're watching because that's everyone's big complaint is he's super unresponsive. But in general, Seth seemed very pro Bill Reaney and did not want to even concede one point about that. Like he conceded some things about the site not being run well and there's some mistakes that were made. But as far as Bill himself, he, he thought Bill was a great employee. He said that the Bill's doing a great job. Bill's very capable that just, just wait and see. He's, he's going to really impress everyone. I don't know if Seth really believed all this. I think now that I, now that uh, the dust has settled, I think that call five and a half years ago was because Bill was in a panic and was talking about quitting. So Seth said, "Let me let me try to quiet down one of the loudest critics and appease him a little bit, and and maybe this will go away." I wasn't the only one, by the way, but there was a. I was one of them, and I was one that Seth had talked to before, and I got to know him over the years. I'm not friends with Seth, but I, I got to know him just in my interactions with him over WSP matters. So I, I think that was the purpose of the call. I think Bill was in a panic, and Seth's like, let me help. So when the whole call was over... Which, by the way, I told Seth I'm going to post about the call at the time, which I did, and he said fine. So I'm not revealing private phone call details and, and betraying him in any way. I told him I'm going to post all this. Do you have a problem with it? He said no, so I posted it. But when the whole thing was over, I said, crap. I kind of feel like they know that he's not doing a good job, but they're just standing by him. I don't know if they're all friends or, or if they just feel bad for him or if they just don't really want to shake anything up or whatever it is, they seem to be protecting Bill Reaney. That's what I got there. 
I wasn't expecting Seth to bash him, but I could. It was just such high praise and support that I could tell that Bill Rini was going to be entrenched there for a long time, and the site was going to suck. And th- and that's what happened. Now, why was he entrenched for a long time? How does a guy like Bill keep his job when not only are there tons of customer complaints, but the site's also not doing well? It's not like the site is making money hand over fist, and and he's also not good at customer service. You could say, well, the results are still good, so they're going to let him stay. Here, the site was a ghost town, and he was not liked by anyone. Constant complaints about him. So why would he have held his job for six years? Why didn't Caesars fire him? Well, I don't know for sure, but my suspicion is that because WSOP.com is under the same umbrella as the WSOP, that it is not under the same pressure to perform as other departments might be. So basically, if the whole WSOP does very well financially, which it does, it makes a ton of money, then if one element of the WSOP, in this case WSOP.com, is not doing as well as expected, well, who cares? It's just that's something to be concerned about within the department. But as far as upper management is concerned, as long as the World Series of Poker is bringing in a lot of money, then the exact specifics of where it's making the money and where it's not, that's not really what they're going to worry about. And that, that's a very like big corporation view that's typically taken. They, they don't like to micromanage. They, they don't like to dig deep and say, well, where within this department can we do better? Usually that's, that's where the heads of the departments come in. And if the, if the department is doing well overall, they don't ask questions. So that's how I think Bill got away with doing such a crappy job for six years is that the success of the World Series of Poker, which is in the same department, was saving him, even though his department was an epic failure. So I think they just kind of let him stay. And I think the people within the department, for whatever reason, just either liked him personally or just didn't feel like searching for somebody else to do the job or or had already become very disillusioned with the lack of traffic. So, like, why expend the energy into replacing him just to have it still be a fail site? So I think they kind of just let things be. That's that's what I think was happening. I think they were kind of down on the future of WSB.com as far as making money for Caesar. So they said, all right, whatever. It's just, let's just leave everything the way it is. Whatever. So let's talk about Bill Rini leaving. Uh, John Mahaffey heard a rumor that Bill Rini was leaving. And then he went to check Bill Rini's LinkedIn and found that yes he was leaving or had left already not was leaving he had already left if you go to Bill Rini's LinkedIn again it'll say Bill Rini former former head of online poker at the World Series of Poker it says he currently lives in Thailand which we'll get to in a second here's the description of himself in no particular order, I'm a husband, U.S. Army veteran, former stockbroker, technology geek that taught himself to program C, Java, Perl, and Bash back in the early 1990s and still dabbles in a little coding here and there, PHP, Swift, SQL, etc. Scuba diver, world traveler, 26 countries, online poker and gaming industry leader, self 
self-proclaimed raconteur, mentor, lover of the fine single malt scotches, owner of two wonderful dogs, amateur photographer, infrequent blogger, product manager, grammar butcher, atrocious golfer. If he's going to admit to being atrocious, then he'd say atrocious manager, too. Harley writer, guitar strummer, online privacy and computer security advocate, public speaker, close follower of traditional and non-traditional cryptocurrency payment models, uh, fintech enthusiast, real estate fixer-upper and flipper, problem solver, non-performing mortgage note investor, entrepreneur, cautious artificial intelligence follower, and voracious reader of nonfiction. It's funny, you read all that, you just don't picture someone who's going to like curl up in a ball and hide when... Simple problems are brought to them. But again, different skill sets. Different skill sets. And that's what got him here. He's not a customer service guy. He's not a problem solver. He's not a big picture guy. He's not good at logistics. He's not good at innovating. He's not good at thinking on his feet in this sort of realm. So why did he leave? Apparently he was making money. Apparently he did not have another job lined up. I don't know that for sure, but it says on his LinkedIn that the only job he currently has is Libdeck Holdings, which is his own little real estate operation that he's been running for two and a half years. So he definitely, like he didn't go, go take this job or suddenly go to real estate. He's had this little Libdeck Holdings, which I don't think is doing very much for the last two and a half years anyway. So without another job, why did he get up and leave? If he was making money and probably didn't have to work very hard and was entrenched there, was he fired? I wondered that. I wondered if maybe they finally had enough. Maybe they just were tired of being a fail site and there had been a lot of complaints and they just said, hey, we need someone different. But there was not an announcement of his departure. There was not an announcement of a replacement. I thought, well, maybe they fired him and they're looking for his replacement. But then I saw something, again, that I'd seen the first time but had kind of ignored, and that was his current location of Thailand. It says on his LinkedIn that he was working for WSB.com until September 2019. Well, today is September 20th, and this was found a little less than a week ago. I assume it was around a week ago, or maybe two weeks ago, that he left WSOP.com. So if he was fired, how would he have moved to Thailand so quickly? That's a big deal to move to another country. So how could he have done that move so quickly if they fired him, if he just showed up to work and they canned him? The answer is, he couldn't have. So this makes it look like he quit. This makes it look like that he's been planning this for a while. Maybe he even told them that I'm winding down my time here in September. I'm going to be leaving and moving to Thailand. But whatever it was, it looks like he planned his departure from WSB.com and just left. But why? Why would he leave? Probably paid well. Well entrenched there. Looked like uh, probably didn't have to do that much work. Well, he had his Twitter protected. This is a guy who was a blogger and actually protected his Twitter where if he didn't accept you as a follower, you couldn't view his tweets. Can you imagine the manager of WSB.com protects his own Twitter? (laughs) 
that is the sign of someone who is very, very uncomfortable with their position. He was so sensitive to how he was being perceived, so sensitive that all eyes were on him and his failures at WSOP.com that he actually blocked the ability to see his tweets. I'm not talking about blocking individual people, which he's done too. I'm talking about blocking you from even viewing his tweets. And this is a guy who is a blogger. This is a guy who used to like to put his opinion online and like to be seen online. And he's protecting his tweets. That's how far it got. Because there were so many problems over time with WSOP.com where just a lot of kind of little problems that every time he mishandled them and hid from them. And people would bash him and people would make fun of him and people would say, why hasn't he been fired? And very critical messages about him that were deserved, but they were very critical messages from a lot of different people. I wasn't even doing it that much because I, I don't play on there that much anymore. I, I kind of didn't get involved in most of this, but I think this was really, really grinding him down. Think if you're a person who can't handle public criticism, can't handle public scrutiny, can't handle controversy in public, and, and you're the head of this, which is always getting criticized. And then you kind of hide from it, and, and then you get criticized more for hiding from it. Think of what hell that must have been. So I think he hung on for a number of years, one, because the money was good, and, and two, because he thought, well, maybe at some point it'll get better. Maybe the online poker landscape will change. Maybe California will join in. Maybe other states will join in. It'll become huge like it was expected in the first place. And he waited his time out, and after six years, it just wasn't going anywhere. After six years, it's still a ghost town, even with the combined player pools with New Jersey and Nevada. It looks like it has no future. This is not going to become the next poker stars, and he knew it. And he hated the job. That's my opinion. I don't know this for a fact, but it sure as hell looks like it, especially with protecting his tweets. So he finally threw up his hands and said, I've had enough. I'm not cut out for this. This this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I expected. My life is so stressful with this job. I'm tired of being public enemy number one with Nevada online poker players. And when I kind of hide from dealing with being public enemy number one, I become public enemy number bigger one. So he said, screw it. He probably has money saved up. Probably doesn't need this job. Looks and says, hey, I'm getting older. I think he's probably around 60 or something. Probably said, I don't need this shit anymore. I'm, I just, I want to go to Thailand. I'm going to go to Thailand because I enjoy Thailand. He lived there before, if you look at his LinkedIn. I'm going to retire to Thailand. I'm done with this shit. Screw WCP.com. Screw everybody in Nevada. All these poker players who criticize me all the time. Screw them. I'm leaving. Goodbye. I don't know how abruptly he quit, but I'm guessing he probably gave them some notice and and left. And there you have it. And we have a caller on the air. Hello. Caller, are you there? I don't hear you call back. Caller from the 505, who I could not hear. Trader Risky, still there? Uh oh. wonder if we're having issues here. Let's try to take the call again. Call, are you there? Oh, I know what the problem is. Hold yeah, on. Hello, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. I, 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 I had. <laughs> So I, I hope you didn't try to talk traders. I, I had Skype muted the entire time. 
No, I was yeah, no, and I was able to hear the caller too. But I guess you yeah, I know they couldn't hear you. I was like, I was like, why is it so quiet? And I go, oh, I freaking muted Skype. Okay, I, I muted Skype when I played the commercial, so people don't like call during the commercial and screw up the commercial. And then I, I forgot. I'm like, I'm not going to forget to unmute this, and then I forgot to unmute this. Okay, so uh, caller, uh, sorry about that. Uh, what would you like to say? Hey, what's up? Um, I was about to send you a wall of text about a recent incident I just had with WSOP. I wound up calling gaming on them a week and a half ago. I um, I was trying to process a cash out, and they sent me an email stating that they needed to verify my account, and they wanted me to send in, like, a statement and shit. And I was like, well, I use PayPal to deposit, and I've already verified that account, and I shouldn't have to show you, like, an ACH check or anything. And, like, we're going back and forth or whatever. And I'm like, well, they're saying, well, you've used this as, like, a, a method before. But the last time I used my bank account was months ago. And the account's been busto a few times over. So it's not like I had, like, a pending bonus or anything. And, like, I was getting pretty pissed with them. And I don't know. I guess support just – I'm not sure if they understood the difference that you verify, like, like – the method you use to deposit. So I, I wound up, I was just like, whatever. I finally send them like three months worth of things or whatever. And then I get a message saying that, Oh, you need to verify again. <laughs> and I'm like, well, in all this is by email, by the way, like, like you said, there's no one you can call. And then I get pretty nasty. Like I'm going off of them. I'm like, what the hell are you guys talking about? And then I get another thing stating that it's just this generic shit they send out about, oh, you need to verify and it's our policy, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, whatever, I call. So I email gaming and a guy calls me that day and he's like, well, what's going on? I'm like, I explained the same thing. And then he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm speaking with management now. He's like, I'm not talking to just regular support or whatever. And then, like, about an hour or so later, I get an email from WSOP saying your cash out's going to be processed and blah, blah, blah. But oh, what's wow. bullshit is that they did two cash outs. They sent me $10 in, in an ACH deposit and then the rest in PayPal. And they just probably did that to kind of cover themselves and be like, oh, well, we need to verify this, like, but it, I didn't do. I didn't request ACH. I requested PayPal. Yeah, I think you're and right. Also, I didn't deposit with this. So yeah, and you know what? Your your experience is similar to what a lot of other people have had recently. And that that may have. By the way, this type of thing might have been the final straw with Bill Reney because this has been a big problem in 2019, especially. I, I mean, it may have been before, but people, I've heard, especially heard loud complaints about this in 2019 of this ridiculous like over verification of past deposit methods, even ones that are long defunct, and people are like. And, yeah, and, exactly. and only only when they try to cash out and people are asking, wait a minute, why, why is this on cash out? If, 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 if I can deposit without you guys scrutinizing it, how come I can't – how come cash out isn't the same thing? It's either, elite, it's either legal or illegal, my deposit. So you should have the same amount yeah. of scrutiny both ways. It shouldn't be if I'm giving you money that there's no scrutiny and when I'm taking money out, there is scrutiny. That may be the way that uh, these unregulated sites do it. But you, as a regulated site, that's what I told. Uh, I told the, that exact thing to the gaming agent. I'm like, when I deposited, they didn't verify anything. They waited till I cashed out. Yeah. What I think is bullshit is I use the William app a lot, 
it's way more convenient. Like, and it's not as much, it's kind of a pain when you first sign up because you have to go there. But after that, you could use your debit card. You could go to kiosks. I mean, they do work with Bank of George. But other than that, like, I don't see how that app is so much further than WSOP. Yeah, and, and uh, so, so so there were a lot of people complaining about this, and their ca- their cash apps being held up, and the and their their support be just being non responsive, and were just sending you just generic emails back, and very similar to what you described. I saw a lot of complaints about that on Twitter, and and there were complaints about this uh, to gaming, and in fact, uh, speaking of complaints to gaming, John Mahaffey, who I mentioned earlier, a year ago went to gaming because they they were even worse with him. They told him he hadn't played enough to be able to cash out. And this wasn't to clear a bonus or anything. They, were, they just they just said, "Look, you haven't played enough." And he actually had played. That's the funny thing. It wasn't like he played one hand and wanted to cash out. He played a fair amount, and and he barely won anything. I think he won like 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 forty bucks or something. And they they told him, "No, you can't cash out. You got to play more." And he said, "Uh uh uh, that's not legal. You can't do that here. You can't say." It, there's a, pl- a playthrough requirement for my my deposit, so they wouldn't budge, and 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 he wrote a negative article about them, and he went to gaming, and he had a big fight with them afterward, where Seth Lansky called up, and they had a big argument, and uh, a big long thing, and and uh, apparently, uh, obviously Bill Reaney was, he, he didn't directly deal with Bill about this, but uh, Bill obviously knew about this too, and uh, like this type of stuff should have stopped too, and a- as you see, the, a lot of times these regulated sites they like to blame. Oh, this is gaming's fault. Gaming makes us do it this way. Well, apparently not, because when you called gaming, they made them do it the right way. So uh, this is yeah, ju- yeah. This is just so incompetence. Now or later, it's cleared up magically. Yeah. So so this was this was just incompetence on their part. So Bill couldn't even say like, oh well, uh, we we hate to have to do it this way, but gaming requires it. No, it's the ob- the other way around. You complain to gaming, and gaming won't let them do it this way. So. Uh, it's th- this is the type of thing that was probably going on. There probably were a lot of gaming complaints. Like I, I didn't even know you had made a gaming complaint. Um, I, I, there's, there must have been a lot of these. And, oh, and also you're, I, I hate the like you said the reward points. Like I live here and I don't really mess around with it because I know if I stop playing for a month, it's just all gonna be gone. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a dumb thing, and uh, so I, I think. I, I wonder if the gaming complaints is what finally uh, drove Bill over the edge where he couldn't stand it anymore. But I just get the impression, and by the way, I didn't get any of this from anybody who works there, so I, I, I'm just guessing at this, but I get the impression he was under a lot of stress for a long time because he just hates dealing with shit like this. And finally, he must yeah. he finally must have cracked and said, screw it, I have enough money, I, I, I'm getting older, I don't want to deal with this, I don't like having to protect my tweets because everyone makes fun of me, uh, I, I'm just tired of it. I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going to Thailand, I'm retiring... Uh, that's it. So he, so he's gone. And, uh, um, obviously how can you have a product that hasn't had one change since it opened? I, everything's the same, like the graphics, the games they offer. Um, they still won't do mixed game tournaments. Like it's the exact same as day one when it opened. Yeah. There's no innovation for sure. I, I think maybe PLO was added. Maybe that was the one thing. Yeah. And then, you know, there's some they have to wait for 888 to make changes for them. But, yeah, they, they could have they, they could have contracted them to do more. And as I said, the promotions, they could have done a lot more. And the the action club, they could have restructured. They, they didn't do prop, any of this. Prop players. Yeah. Prop players. They, they didn't do any of this. And this is all on Bill Arini. He just did not do a good job. In fact, other than perhaps deciding to partner with 888, which may or may not have been his decision. I can't think of one thing that he did a good job with. The entire site, I think, was one mistake or misstep 
after another. And, and so while the market size is a big problem and will restrict any site from doing well, there was massive mismanagement here. And the fact that he lasted six years of that job is mind-boggling. But uh, I gave my theory how that happened. Now, real quick, um, do you think it's possible? Because I was wondering, one thing that could traffic is if they let you uh, bet on the client, like sports bet on the client. Because I, I don't know when the DraftKings stuff will roll out. Like, Hopefully they're going in another direction to where – they want people that know what they're doing, so they just kind of clean house. And if they, if it's DraftKings with like poker combined or something, yeah, I, I know I mean, they have the, a partnership with Caesars, but yeah, that, I mean, I, something I like that could help. Yeah, something like that could help if they combine it with sports or with the DraftKings stuff. Yeah, the, there, there's some possible hope, and and also the possible hope could be if. Uh, Online poker starts to come to bigger states. Like if if online poker gets finally legalized in California, which has been a long slog and still is not close yet, but but if it finally gets done, they have a direct path in because they have now two properties in California, so they can uh, they can directly get in and, and start oh, running yeah. immediately. So they so that would be a big boost to them. And then if if they can get in New York and and Texas and the, uh, if they can get some big states involved, Pennsylvania, it, 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 which has already legalized online poker. So if they can get in with some of these large states and get a bunch of them together, then it might have some hope. So it's not necessarily dead in the water, but at the, and I'm going to discuss in a second what the future is right now for online poker. Now that he's gone, but uh, so it's not dead in the water. Oh yeah. Take it easy. So uh, are you, you're going to get yeah, off here. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. So I thank the caller for his uh, contribution here. I didn't know that story. I know there's others who've had that situation, but uh, that's, that's pretty bad. And that's, very typical, but okay, he's gone now. He probably just quit and went to Thailand, got sick of everything. So he's gone. Now where are we? Now where do we go? <laughs> now what do we do? And now who's in charge? The, the answer is right now nobody. I mean, there's someone technically in charge, but there's no active manager right now. There's probably like an, a, an acting manager who kind of takes on Bill's old duties and holds the fort down while they're either looking for somebody else or maybe they're just waiting for the sale to El Dorado to be final. So so they can uh, they can handle the whole thing. Maybe the current uh, the current guard there at Caesars doesn't want to deal with this until El Dorado that whole thing gets settled. Whether the the sale goes final or if something interrupts it, and then at that point tackle the whole thing. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, there there was some uh, some reaction to Bill's firing within the poker community. Uh, in fact, there was actually at, at, at the Rio, there was there was uh, someone – actually, this was announced there. After someone had read my article and they actually – it wasn't at the Rio, sorry. It was, at, it was at the Bellagio Poker Room and at the Aria that this was announced and uh, someone actually recorded with their phone the – The, the reaction. So I'm bringing this up here. Sorry, I didn't have this ready for you. This is regarding uh, Bill's uh, demise from WSOP.com.
They broke out into the song there in the Bellagio and in the Aria when this news broke. But seriously, that's kind of how the online poker community should view it. It at least has a chance now. It will require some more states, big states to get on board. And it will require a new hire who knows what he's doing in this realm. Not just a good software manager, but a good manager, a good card room manager, a person who understands the industry. And as we've seen with Mr. Galfond, a longtime online poker player who's been part of the industry since the 2000s is not necessarily a good card room manager or card room owner. It takes a certain type to be appropriate for that job. You have to understand the market. You have to understand customer service. You have to understand what players want. You have to understand how to innovate. You have to understand how to entice people to want to actually play and not just copy others' promotions. If we get that in place, then online poker in the U.S. on the legal front may have a chance. So I will tell you, if you placed me in the position, I could not get it to be a super active site right now. I would have to wait until more states legalized it. But I, I could do better than it is right now, unless the damage is already done. It's, there's also the matter of when a site has sucked for six years, some people just don't want to come back. So that's the other problem. But I do have some hope now. I'm glad he's not going to be in charge because... I, there aren't going to be that many choices. So you, you don't want one of the major choices and the, the best-known brand name to be run by someone who is not right for the job. We're not out of the woods yet, though. They might hire, might hire someone who's almost as bad. I can't picture them hiring someone worse, honestly. Like, I really can't. It's, it's sad. I, I kind of hate to say that. But... I, I'm trying to think of a scenario where they hire someone who's worse. I mean, yeah, they could hire someone who absolutely knows nothing or someone who's like a complete moron, but that wouldn't happen probably. The, the person would have to go through the interview process. They'd have to impress someone. They'd have to have a resume that justifies being hired there. Like a, They're not going to just like oh, hire a bum off the street. They're, they're going to have to hire someone who they think can do a good job. So that counts out a lot of people who would be worse. So like, as far as someone they would actually hire, it's hard to picture them hiring someone who would actually do a worse job. Aside from someone who would commit some kind of criminal offense. That's the only way it could be worse, is someone who would abuse his position to commit criminal acts. That's the only way I could see it being worse. As far as I could tell, Bill did not uh, commit any criminal acts. It looks like they may have uh, violated gaming codes and laws on several occasions. But uh, no criminal acts were committed. So I guess I can say that. But <laughs> what a freaking mess. And, and the sad thing is Caesar saw this back what, five and a half years ago. Just fire the guy and say, look, Bill, I'm sorry. We thought you were a good hire. It's just not working out. It's not a good fit. If there's ever a case of not a good fit, it was this. Sometimes when they say not a good fit at a company, when they fire someone, they're just being nice. The truth is the person's lazy. The person's dishonest. Uh, the person is... Uh, very difficult to work with, they're an asshole to co-workers. Uh, there's a lot of times they'll say you're not a good fit when in reality it's much worse than that. This was really just not a good fit. This was a classic case of not a good fit, a classic case of hiring the absolute wrong guy with the absolute wrong skill sets for the job. I understand how it happened, but it, it shouldn't. Once you make the mistake, you correct it. You don't let it 
fester for six years. So that's it. No more Bill Rini. And we will move on. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Let's see what text messages we got. From 734, Christ, dude, move on from Bill already. From the 702, teach us, Todd, how you hide it, referring to when I've had a bad day and I do the show as if I didn't have a bad day. And... Someone sent me a text saying, Phil Galfon is streaming tournaments on Poker Stars. <laughs> yeah, I see that. He sent me a, a, a screenshot of this. Why is Phil Galfon streaming tournaments on Poker Stars? That's pretty embarrassing. You, you own a poker site that's struggling, and you're streaming Poker Stars. That pretty much, that picture there really does say a thousand words. Boy. All righty. I know I spent a little too long on this topic, but whatever. That's what we do on this show. Let's go to a shorter topic. Five Dimes Tony, who we've talked about many times before. A guy who was not well-liked in the sports betting community. Much like Bill Arini, he had customer service problems, but not in the same way. It wasn't incompetence or inability to uh, confront issues. It was that he was too confrontational with issues. Uh, Tony was known as an asshole. He was known to be uh, very difficult, very stubborn, very nasty to anyone who would deal with him that was trying to solve a problem. Very much my way or the highway. Five Dimes, nonetheless, became a successful sports book and still is to this day, even though he's been missing for over a year. There have been people arrested, a number of people arrested from Costa Rica, some of whom fled the country and were eventually returned to Costa Rica, who were all suspected of being part of the plot. When the dust settled, it appeared that what happened was that uh, Tony was pulled over by corrupt cops who then basically handed him over to the kidnappers who then held him for ransom. Then a large ransom of like a million dollars in Bitcoin was collected and sent over to Cuba. And then Tony never reappeared. He just disappeared. And there was a long search in finding for him. There was a body that was found that turned out not to be his, that was thought to be him, but actually wasn't him. But as more and more time passed and not a peep was heard from Tony, it was assumed that he was either dead or in hiding somewhere. Probably dead. There were some rumors that there was about to be a Department of Justice action against them and that he uh, – or that maybe he was cooperating against other people in the illegal sportsbook industry and that the, the U.S. government actually relocated him, that the Bitcoin transfer that was seen going to Cuba was actually done by Tony for himself to go live off of in Cuba or somewhere else. There were those – conspiracy theories and rumors which some of which seemed semi-plausible but probably not it appears that tony's body was found in costa rica and it hasn't been fully verified but it's called highly likely that it's him the disappearance as i said has been traced to like 14 different people we've covered this on other shows so we're not going to go over that again but that pretty much killed the chance that this was a conspiracy because there wouldn't have been 14 people arrested for kidnapping him if this was just a relocation thing. So it really looked like there was a kidnapping and very highly likely he was dead because they arrested all the people involved and yet there was no Tony. So if, if they arrested the people involved, like why didn't they find him being held somewhere? 
So it was uh, tweeted on March 30th by David Purdom. According to Costa Rican authorities, the report is inaccurate, referring to the bodies that have been found. Um, There have been three such reports out of Costa Rica, none of them confirmed by the authorities who maintain that no body has been found. And that's the way it stayed. They were already holding criminal hearings back in April, but a body was found. This was from a Costa Rica website called DiarioExtra.com. And I ran it through a little translator. So I will read it to you guys. It may sound kind of awkward because it's run through a Google Translate, but here it is. Although there have been several situations in the dis- in the disappearance of William Sean Creighton, an American businessman who is soon to be missing a year, there would be a light that could be the, uh, the end the odyssey that the family has lived and generated extensive work for researchers. The previous week, a body was found in Quepos Puntarenas, which is believed to be that of the owner of the bookmaker and for which band, a band was arrested that is linked to the kidnapping. I didn't realize that a, a band did it. I didn't realize that... Uh, Guess they kidnap people and then play music on the side. That was just a mistranslation. Uh, some of these people were c- captured in the country and others in Spain during January, while the rig leader would fi- would have been focused on making money. And for this reason, he he designed, coordinated, and executed the entire plan. Precisely, those involved are discounting pretrial detention, d- domiciliary. And there are others with alternate measures as the investigation progresses. I'm not sure what all that means. (laughs) In the specific case of the corpse located in Kepos, the corresponding laboratory test will be developed to determine if it is, in fact, the man, owner of a sports book who was kidnapped in his Porsche. The probabilities are high, in fact, that they are the remains of the American, but it will be the forensic results that allow to give 100% verification of the information provided. The OIJ, which is like the Costa Rican FBI, together with the private investigators that developed important lines and searches to collect the largest amount of evidence in order to link them to the process. Precisely important details have been revealed, such as the participation of two traffic policemen, uh, Hiron Lopez and Medrano Vargas surnames, who, in a false checkpoint, caused the businessman to stop and thus be able to retain him. So they're basically saying they, they, they didn't pull him over. I think they made a, a phony like stop and do a police checkpoint for a DUI or whatever it is, and then they said, get out of the car, and then they handed it to the kidnappers. It's kind of suck. The police, you think you're just stopping a regular police checkpoint, and it's a, actually they're working with kidnappers. After the event, the last name leader, Morales Vega, left the country by land to Panama, flew to El Salvador, and then to Cuba to finish his journey in Zaragoza, Spain, where he was with his sentimental partner and his mother. Sentimental partner. <laughs> that is partner, just his it's just his partner for sentimental reasons. That's what a sentimental partner sounds like someone that you're, you're really not that into, but you have some like sentimental attachment to them, so they're kind of still your partner. Like an ex that you're really just, the relationship's kind of dead, but you remember your good times from 15 years ago, so you're, she's, your, she's your sentimental partner. During the process, several parts of the country have been visited where it is presumed that the captors reaped Tony's life. Like they reaped his life. That's a interesting way of putting it. Don't fear the reaper. As the investor was known and then buried him. It is expected that if the identity is confirmed, more arrests can be generated by the judicial agents. I don't understand. I thought they got everybody. I don't see why they could 
make more arrests unless maybe they need more charges to those already arrested unless there's other people they thought might be involved but they needed a body first it's a little strange that was uh, a week ago uh i'm not seeing any uh verification though this has been reported on mainstream sites like fox news it's becoming pretty big news um, I'm a Fox News site and get a stupid commercial. They they still haven't stated how they identified his remains and why they're pretty sure it's him, but it probably is. This is the first time, despite all the different rumors, that that he was found dead. Apparently, the kidnappers originally demanded a five million dollar ransom, but a million dollars is paid. And then they killed him. So, that's it. Tony from Five Dimes is no longer. Five Dimes is still there. Seems like business as usual, despite the fact that the owner's dead. So, that is actually the biggest danger that one would have if you're an American who goes to a place like Costa Rica to run an online gambling site. And that if it does well, and you make a lot of money, then there's a target on your back. And the police there can easily be bought. There's a lot of ways that you can be in danger that you would not be in danger in the U.S. It's easier to pull off a kidnapping there, much easier than it is in the U.S., so, and also you're a foreigner, and that makes you stick out more, and people just, they, they, they want to target you more because they think that you're not as familiar and you don't know as many people, and it's just a lot easier to also know that you might have money, that if you're a foreigner who comes there and lives well, they think, okay, there's a foreigner with money, I bet we can kidnap and hold him for ransom. He was especially a target because they knew that Five Dimes dealt with a lot of Bitcoin. So they thought, okay, we'll do the ransom in Bitcoin. And it looks like, I don't know if this was their plan all along to just kill him, to demand the ransom and then just kill him so he can't identify anybody. But that's what ended up happening. That's, that's what does happen in these ransom situations. It's, 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 it's a tough thing because the family, if they have the money, want to pay. They, they say, look, just give us back our loved one and we'll pay. But a lot of times you pay and then the person's never seen again anyway. A lot of times it's it's just easier for them to kill the person and not have them be able to identify anything. Now, yes, it escalates the crime to something much worse at that point, but that's what happens sometimes. That's what happened here. I can't say I feel that bad for Tony... The guy had a reputation of being a jerk. I'm not saying he deserved to die, but this is someone who just wasn't known as being a very good or nice person. So when bad things happen, I I have a hard time feeling bad for them. It's one of these cases where I wasn't sitting there wishing Tony should die, nor did I think he deserved death for things he did that I didn't like. But at the same time, when you think of someone who dies before their time, who hasn't been very nice it's hard to feel bad for them 
especially if they knowingly took a risk of moving to somewhere like Costa Rica to run an illegal sports book, and then it ended up being their undoing eventually. Okay, so let's move on here. There's stories on ESPN, on Fox News, so there's a lot of coverage of this one at this point now that the body has been found. I want to give an update about the Venetian thing. Last week, I broke the Venetian story, which I found out about moments before the radio show started. I really mean moments. I was on the toilet right before the show started, and someone texted me about it. And this is something really bad that I just want to bring it to your attention again. It was, it was one of like a million topics last week, and I, I just want to bring your attention to it again because it's really wrong. The Venetian is running a series called the Lucky Shot series. And in this series, and it's been verified, by the way, there's no confusion anymore. There's no possible misunderstanding. The Venetian has verified that this is the case, that it's a preset prize pool no matter how many people enter. So if very few people enter, then there's an overlay, and that's good for the player. But if a lot of people enter then all the entries past a certain point, the house just keeps, and it is of no benefit to the players. So in the example of the main tournament there, event number one, a $250 no-limit event with rebuys and six flights, if they get 600 or more entries, and by the way, it's a rebuy tournament, it doesn't have to be 600 people, the 600 or more entries, then after the 600th entry, Every single entry that comes in just goes right into the house's pocket. So let's say 1,200 entries are received. Then the rake is 50% because they're keeping half the prize pool. They're taking the 300000 and paying out 150000 And you're having to contend with 1,200 players. So every player that registers after the 600 is a new player you have to contend with that you're getting no benefit of the added money to the prize pool. So normally in rebuy tournaments or tournaments where people keep registering, you may say, okay, well, yeah, there's more people registering, but that, number one, means that the money's going to come at a higher place. And number two, that – when I say higher, I mean like further down. Like, you, like it, it, It's easier to get to the money if it's a bigger and bigger tournament. That's a general rule of tournaments, by the way, is that the bigger the field, the easier it is to make the money, but the harder it is to make the big money. So you don't get that benefit, though. They're paying a flat 81 spots no matter what, and they're they're paying a flat 150000 of the total prize pool no matter what. This is really, really awful, and it's very non-standard. Very, very non-standard, and it's not being disclosed very clearly. It's not being disclosed to people like, hey, this is different than normal. Before you register, watch out. Make sure you approve of this. They just call it the $150,000 total price pool and just leave it at that. So that it, it sounds like a guarantee on the surface until you go to page two of the structure sheet and look at item number nine. So it's really buried in the fine print. And this is a major departure. This isn't just a small change. This is a major departure from the way prize pools work, which for those of you that don't know, most of you do. Every entry into a, a tournament goes into the prize pool, and the house takes their cut, and the rest goes back to the players. 
So with every entry, the prize pool grows. And in guarantee situations, if they get fewer than they expected, that doesn't meet the guarantee, then you still get that amount in the prize pool. So it's better for the players, a guarantee. This is like a reverse guarantee. First, it works like a guarantee, but then after that, they actually are just confiscating all the money that comes in after that number's reached, which is awful. And that's very non-standard. Is this a new innovation? No, this has been done before. It was done at the Riviera in the mid-1980s. This was reported originally by Terry King, a longtime poker community member who uh, was a, a Vegas poker player and dealer in the 70s. And then she moved to Oklahoma, and then she came back to Vegas in the last few years. She's one of the administrators on Real Grinders. Obviously an older woman if she was playing poker in the 70s, but uh, very nice. I, I met her in person. We went to dinner, and uh, she dated Chip, uh, Chip Reese at one point, and she had remembered Chip playing in something just like this in the mid-80s at the Riviera. And sure enough, Mason Malmuth, who's also old, stated that he had played at one of these in the Riviera. So it definitely did exist in the Riviera in the mid-80s. Two totally separate reports about this. But uh, as far as I know, this hasn't been seen since. And most players, the vast, vast majority of players, did not play in that Riviera tournament or were not even old enough to have played in the Riviera tournament. To show you how old you'd have to be, like a Trader Ruski, who's no youngster, who's... What are you, 52 Trudorowski? Yep. He's too young to have played it in, uh, in 84, in 85, when I think this is when it took place. So you have to be uh, already in your uh, later years to have ever played this in the first place. And even then, it's still been 35 years since, uh, 34, 35 years since this was last done. So you can't say, oh, this this is a, a standard form of tournaments that's done, done sometimes. No, it's not. It hasn't been done since the mid-'80s. And they're covering it up. If they were just honest, if they just said, attention, uh, attention players, this is a new form of tournament we're running where it's called total prize pool, where no matter how many people enter, we pay the same prize pool. So please be aware of this before you enter. Fine. Like, I still think it's crappy for poker, but fine. Here, they're, they're purposely not making it obvious. And that's not an accident. What's even more outrageous is that I just talked about the event that's expected to be kind of like their main event, but there are some smaller events that are even crazier. There's one that for $125 buy-in that the total price pulls $4,000, which means if they get more than 32 people, then they keep the rest of the buy-ins. 32! Can you believe it? So if they get 64 people in that event, which is not a large... Uh, uh, that's not a large crowd. If they get 64 people, the rake is 50%. If they get 128 people, the rake is 75%. Insane. So this is true for the whole series, not just that one event I talked about at the beginning. Now, I know I talked about it last week, but this story's blown up. There's now almost 6,000 views on the story that I posted on PokerFraudAlert.com and the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum. People have shared this all over Facebook, this article that I wrote. 
And a lot of people have started to complain about this, prominent names in poker. In fact, Doug Polk even did a video and did a tweet calling for a mass boycott of this event. The problem is that I'm afraid a mass boycott will then cause people to go, oh, well, I bet there's going to be an overlay then. And then people will show up thinking there's going to be an overlay and play anyway. And you can say, well, maybe people will just play up to the point where they have 600 entries and then they'll stop, but you're going to have recreational players who don't understand who will be registering after that. It's it's really lousy. It's it's horrible, and it's at least it's gotten the attention of the poker community. Do not play this, no matter how much you feel like it, no matter how much you think it could be an overlay, which I doubt it will be. The reason I doubt it will be is they have six flights for this main event, and they only have to make six hundred players, uh, six hundred entries total. So all they need is a hundred entries per flight, including rebuys, to, to break even here. So just please don't play this. Do not support this event. This is horrible for poker, super player unfriendly, and I'm glad that people like Doug Polk and others are publicizing this. And it's not just me who's complaining about this. If you want to hear more discussion of the topic, you can go to the last week's show. I usually don't like repeating topics like this, but uh, uh, someone's asking in chat, is there an entry fee too? Like, no, there's not. There's, there's zero rake on it until it reaches the mark of the total prize pool, and then it becomes 100% rake. It's a really weird thing. It goes from 0 to 100% rake once it passes a certain point. Actually, 100% rake. Think about that. So this is an innovation we do not need brought back from the mid-80s. And the Riviera one was subject to a lot of complaints, not just because it was player-unfriendly, but also because of suspicion of shady behavior. What kind of shady behavior? Well, let's think about it. There were suspicions back in the mid-80s that they were discounting entries at the last minute to get more people there. Because why not? Why not let people in for cheaper if it gets more money for the house? So the Venetian could do that too. It's not illegal. The Venetian could say, okay, now we're going to discount the entries to be, uh, instead of 250 125 They can do it. How? They can say they're just uh, comping you the other 125 Totally legal, unfortunately. So there were accusations that the Riviera did that, just to line their pockets more. There were accusations that there was just money was just pocketed by people which who worked there, which more screwed the card room than the players, but that uh, this whole thing was run in the first place, so money can be pocketed and it'll never be known. Uh, there were accusations that they would extend the registration time past what they said they would just to get more people in. A lot of shady things could be done to screw people here beyond just it being crappy in the first place and not very transparent. It's very bad stuff. It, it should not be supported. Stay away from it. Do not play that series. V-Locker Ryan DiPaolo has received a consequence for blatantly breaking the rules at the Borgata in Atlantic City. He attempted to film there without permission. In fact, after being told that he could not film and being aware that he could not film, he did it anyway. And then the consequence he suffered was a lifetime ban from the Borgata. 
Here's the story, and it's generated some controversy among people observing the situation, some on both sides. This is one, unlike the Venetian, which just about everybody agrees is awful. Some people actually are on Ryan's side on this one, and others think he deserved what he got. So we'll look into this, and we're going to actually play some of clips from Ryan's thing, but I I hesitated because I forgot about the fact that we're going to have a phone call to the Venetian. Now, keep in mind that they've probably gotten a lot of calls about this and are really, really sick of fielding calls, and that's why I don't usually like to make prank calls like this. I should have done it last week, but I kind of felt too worn out by the time I got to the topic to make a good prank call. And now that the topic is blown up, which I didn't quite expect it to do, now... The problem is uh, they've gotten a million calls. Not prank calls, but calls of people who are unhappy about this. And I know because people have been saying that they've been calling about it. So uh, it's not clear if we're going to get much of a response because they're probably so sick of talking about this. But we'll try. I mean, we have to, right? This show that's known to make these type of calls, we have to in this type of situation. Your call may be recorded for quality assurance. Thank you for calling, Sabri Cynthia, Venice Resort, Las Vegas. I can help you. Hey, what's up, girl? Hey, uh, can, can you transfer me over to that poker room? I got, I got the I got the bone to pick with the guy who's running the whole thing. <laughs> poker room? Yes, sir. I connect you now. <laughs> okay. Catch all the action in high definition with a cold brew and emeralds kicked. In. Venetian Poker Room, this is Deanna. How may I help you? Yeah, hey, 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 girl, I want, I want to talk to the, who's, who's in charge of this place here? Who's, who's the one who's the manager of the place right now? Well, Christy is shift manager right now. Hey, can, can you put her on the phone? I got, I got the something, something I got to say to her about uh, something in the room that is making me very unhappy. Okay, uh, give me a second. Let me see if she's in the office. All right. Okay? Yeah. Cut is a contemporary twist on the American steak restaurant. Yeah, we ain't got no Fresh, Colonel, Colonel Fabersham here. We, we sourced ingredients. Turn this shit down. I don't like this shit over my fucking voice here. Kitchen. What the fuck of playing this shit in the background? I'm trying to talk here to the audience. So, I don't want to hear about no fucking recipe. Turn it down more. There we go. Okay. So, the Colonel Fabersham, he he said he's going to call here, but I think, no, man, this isn't for you. You know, this is something that you go local should handle. This is something that is important for me to call up and confront them about because I know you're going to be too passive about it. So I say, let me make the call. So Colonel Fabersham, he stand back. Okay, he say, Chico, you do, you do it. You do it. It's all you. It's all you. And uh, and I I say to him, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make them change their mind. And he say, "Have you gone mad to me?" And I was like, "Don't call me! I, I, don't don't say things like that to me. Don't say, have you gone mad?' I, I'm not from your country. I'm, I'm not from England. Okay? I, I don't. That don't mean nothing to me." Wait, whimsical? What is this? Step into one of the world's largest day spas at Canyon Ranch Spa. Oh, this sounds nice. Hold Take on a second. This sounds nice to me. With more than 100 extraordinary services. See, I, I, I approve of this. You the know, experience, including sauna, salt grotto, and relaxation. Sir, I'm going to transfer you back right now, okay? All right, good. Okay, okay, let's do it. I hope you have a great day. All right, Andale, Andale. And round out 
the day with a healthy meal. Hello? Poker, this is Zach speaking. How may I help you? Hey, Holmes. Hey, I, I, got, I got a question for you about the, about this tournament series. You probably got the other phone calls about this, but uh, I, I hear that uh, you are going to uh, have a tournament in about one month where a bunch a bunch of money you you your, your poker room just put in their pocket. Like if you get more than a certain number of entries, they just go, okay, well, we, we keep in all the money. Is this true? Is this really what's going on? Uh, it's, it, it sounds like somebody misled you there, possibly. Uh, so we're we're trying to enter a new tournament series called the Lucky Shot Tournament Series, and uh, there's going to be two ways for you to win in the series. You're going to be entering into tournaments, and uh, in addition to playing your tournament for the prize pool of that tournament, you're also going to be entered into a drawing. Uh, I believe there's going to be five drawings for $10,000 each. Uh, for every entry you have into one of the tournaments, then you are going to get one entry into the drawing. Uh, and over the multi-day tournament, all of the money that goes into the prize pool goes to fund the prize pools across the entire week of the tournament series and goes to funding the drawings. Okay, but this is... You know, so like, that, that is the situation. Okay, well, you know, th- thank you for your answer, but this is making my head spin, okay? Uh, what, 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 what okay. I try... What I, I, see, I, I take a look at the structure sheet, okay? Now, I don't, I don't, I don't learn no English the first, my, my first language. I don't know for sure, but I say... I say that it takes a look. That it looks like you guys have already decided what the prize pool is going to be for for each tournament, and then there is some drawing. I see something about that too. But but I see that there is a prize pool that you already have decided on. And even if like a million people enter, I know it ain't going to really be no million people. But if, even if there is, you know, like the prize pool is going to be the same no matter what. So if you get, you know, it's something that's like if yeah, the the prize pools are predetermined for all the events in in that week uh, of tournament series. Like I said, it's a new. New concept that we're trying out is a static prize pool. Uh, you're going to be buying in for ranging from 150 to 250 dollars, and you're going to have the opportunity to win 10,000 in the drawing and up up to 30,000 for first place uh, in the big tournament. And you're going to be predetermined prize pools for all of our nightly tournaments as well that week. Um, so, uh, you know, all all the money collected initially is going to fund those, and you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the way tournaments breakdown work uh you know generally the industry standard on tournaments is that casinos rake anywhere from you know 30 to 40 percent uh of a buy-in so this potentially could have significantly less rake well it, it could but you know this is what it feels right. like to me you know, I, I understand what you're saying i know i know the casino got to charge a rake and make some money and they no problem to me okay but you know i, I mm-hmm. used to before before i play poker you know i do something else that i, I probably shouldn't say what i'd be doing but i i do something else they probably not uh you know the police don't like too much but but i was selling something okay people meet me i sell them but if i if they if i if they give me money if they give me six hundred dollar for like something they want six hundred dollars worth of stuff and I give them three hundred dollars worth of stuff. They get all mad at me, and I can't say, "Oh, well, this is you." you I am giving you three hundred dollars worth of stuff, and even if you pay me six hundred, sure. I, I give you three hundred. We're giving you value on your buy-in. That that doesn't change. We're still going to give you a tournament where you're going to be eligible to win ten thousand dollars. Well, I may be eligible, but two hundred fifty dollars buy-in. But if, right? if, there's no there's no there's no elusiveness there. Well, it, it, okay. So, so 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 let's say though. Let's you know, say you you know what you're getting into before you get into it. Is well, your options to get into it or not? Of course. Well, that's you know? a, that's so a good if you're point. Not comfortable with getting into it? That's up. There's a good point you bring up because I want to make, I want to make sure that you know I know now okay like I ain't gonna make no mistake I know I can decide whether I play or I do not play okay I, I understand now what what it is about but but 
does everybody who come there know this? Because what I see on your structure sheet, it not say, it, it's very like buried down in the fine print or like number nine, number term, whatever. I do not understand. Like, like why is it not like right there, like real clear to everyone? Say, hey, this is how it works. This is kind of different from what you're used to. Um, so make oh, sure I'm you not know. Mistaken. I believe it says that the there is a set prize pool on, on the on the structure it, sheet. It says you know, it, it says total. With, with it says amounts. It says total one hundred fifty thousand on the on the on the main sheet, and the structure sheet it does right. not it does not really explain until term number nine, and like on the second page. And I'm like, you know, I can see many many people are who who are not heard about this. You know, I, I know people are talking about this. The people who know about this, they make the decision: do do we want to? Do we not want to? And that that is my big. But the you know, problem with this here is because if if you're just going to hold a tournament which is kind of not standard and people they want to play they don't want to play and it is up to them if they understand and they want to play then it's up to them but I am afraid that some people will not really understand. Your concern is that it's misleading. Yeah. I, I don't. I personally don't feel like the flyer is misleading at all. And you know, we, you know, we're open to discuss. You know, the fact that you know the prize pools are all going to be pre-posted before the tournaments start as well for all of our nightlies. Uh, that's not going to be the case in the multi-flight tournament because, um, you know, that we're going to be posting the prize pool on the last uh, day of the multi-flight tournament. But why would you do that if, if you already know if you already know what it is? Why would you post it on the last day? Why don't you say at the beginning, "Hey, we know it's a one hundred fifty thousand. It's what it's going to be." Yeah, um, we, we'll have that information available for people, but we're not going to post it in our system uh, because of the amount of players we're going to have in those flights where we wouldn't be able to post the full prize pool. We have to wait till we get through all the flights, and then we can combine all the flights. But I, I don't know and if And then it's... we'll be able to post the prize okay, pool. So right? the... It's, a, it's a technical thing in, in our tournament system that we, we're not allowed to, you know, we, we have to combine all flights before we can post Okay, it. but can, so, you, can you maybe put up a sign, say, in, in the main one? Can you put a sign, say, the prize sure. pool is 150000 We're, we're, we're going to have signage and, and our flyers throughout the room for the Lucky Shot tournament. Like, I, I, hope, I hope everybody, they, they get to see, you know, that not one person play who does not understand. That everybody, before they get they get they hand over the money... They say, oh, I, I know that the, the prize pool is going to be this amount no matter how many people we get, and I'm okay with that. And that's, at that point, then it's okay. But if, if people yeah, – Of course. If I, people we're buy we're in, not here to mislead anybody here. Honestly, this is this – is, uh, we're striving to generate new players. So, you know, a regular avid tournament player is going to see our tournament structures on a regular basis and like them and come in and play our tournaments because we run good tournaments. This is an attempt to get new players in uh, following the line of our promotion – so the idea is to get new players in, and a lot of players are too intimidated to play tournaments. So the idea of the drawing and a static prize pool is going to draw new players that aren't used to poker in, making the field softer for you, who's clearly an avid player, right? Well, yeah, no, so, so that's so, kind of the idea. We're trying to recruit a new player base for you to play against, so this money stays in poker longer, right? And if we're giving money, the money back to the players through drawings, that's another chance for newer or weaker players to have an opportunity to win money and come back. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. So how, how have you felt? You know, I've noticed in, in poker, people, people, I, I became aware of this because people on Twitter, they're saying, oh, no, no, this ain't no good. And, and I know this Doug Polk guy, you know, he's kind of a hamburger. You know, he, he sometimes annoys me. I don't like his hair being six inches high up over his head. But but <laughs> despite that, okay. I, I, despite that, I, I, I watch his video and he say, oh, we should boycott the Venetian over this. This is terrible. Uh, don't you think this is bad publicity? Maybe you should reconsider. Do you not, not do this? Well, no, we wouldn't reconsider something because some one guest doesn't well, it's like not what we're doing. There are many, uh, there are know, many people who complain. He and everybody else has every right not to play it. 
you know, we'd like you to come in and, and give it a try. I think you'd enjoy it. But if you're, that's, it's not for you, it's not for you. Okay, I just see, it's, from what I could see in poker, there's like very, very few people who say this is good. Many people say this is bad. That's how, this is how I, I recognize well, it because I, I, I would not be looking at tournaments, you know, a month from now that's, that's like well, a small tournament. This, this is new, and history will tell the tale after the fact. Now, do you know they did this? Uh, I, I hear they do this 30 years ago. I, I don't, I wasn't, I'm not old enough to have played them, but you know, they say that uh, 30, 35 years ago they do this at the Riviera, and then they blow up the place. So you know, do you think maybe this, this is a bad sign uh, for Venetian? I don't know anything about that. As far as, I, as far as my knowledge extends, this is the first time any major casino has tried any tournament even similar to this in poker. This is modeled after uh, larger Baccarat tournaments and other casino-run tournaments that way. Um, you know, like I said, it's giving a new player base an opportunity to come in and try something. So if you're interested in playing with new players that aren't familiar with poker, then come on and give it a shot. All right. Well, th- th- thank you for giving you give me the, the answers here. You know, it's uh, I still I, I do not like this much. I probably not come myself, but uh, you know, at least I at least I know. You, I, I give you credit for giving me the time on the phone to answer this. And um, okay, so uh, but I, I I suggest though you reconsider because it seems like very very angry people in poker. It's just going to make you look bad. But it's, it's up to you as your poker room. But I, I just so I, I just... understand. And this is this is not indicative of what our daily tournaments is going to be. This is a tournament series that lasts six days. So, um, you know, if you don't like this particular tournament, come back six days later. Okay. Well, I I, I just don't, don't think right. it look good. But okay, thank thank you for your time. Goodbye. Uh, All right. <laughs> Well, the guy stayed on the phone for a long time. I'll give him that. I like the BS at the end about uh, they're trying to bring in new players and make the field softer. That's the, the only way the field will be softer is if pros boycott it. That's that's the only way the field's going to be softer. It's not going to attract. It's not about attracting fish. It's about pushing away pros. And this isn't about any of that stuff. They just, this is like a clever way to make more money. I'm, I, I'm just kind of surprised they're not retracting it given the negative publicity. I really am. I, I Well, and how about the most tournaments rate 30 to 40%? Yeah, off? that's BS, I know. There are some low tournaments that, that do rake that, but it is true. Like a 250 buy-in price point, they're not raking 30%. That's, uh, I, I don't really, I, I don't think I've seen... 250 buy-ins or the rake 30%. I don't play that level, but I don't think it's 30%. It's definitely not 40% at that level. So that's also an exaggeration. And the, the bottom line is here that this is just, uh, it's very player unfriendly and open to abuse by the casino that they can get away with legally. And, and I, I didn't like that whole answer about the main event, which is the main one where they're going to be collecting this or that where they, they're not going to inform people until the sixth day, but then they're like, Oh no, no, we'll put up signs. But like, their signs could be like in the corner somewhere. Like I, I don't think they're really striving that every person who registers knows. I, I would love to say that that's what they're going for, but I, I think they're doing this with the belief that some people won't know. Is that kind of what it seems like to you? For sure. Yeah. I mean, the flyers are going to be passing out. How about standing in line? And when the 661st person enters, telling them it's not going to go to that. And then what about, I mean, what about the, uh, so that, so they're giving away how much for the $10,000? Oh, so, so I, I think they're, yeah, they're giving, there's a drawing to win 10000 at some point. They're giving away uh, another, in the whole series, I think they're giving away, uh, yeah, I think, I think they're giving away $10,000 extra. There's some extra they're giving away. But it's still it's not 
doing that much to change the situation. It's just kind of a gimmick they've got going. Right. So it's probably like 700 players where then you're just giving them money in their pocket. I think it's even less than that. Yeah. It's, it's, well, but if you include like the 10% rate, you would normally. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Right. So then that bumps it up. Call it 10%. Yeah. Plus whatever they're giving away for the other things. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's just the wrong direction to be going. It's just not it's not even a good thing for poker. Even if even if everyone's aware of it, despite what Chico Loco said, even if everyone's aware of it, it's it's just not good because you don't want to discourage people from entering at a certain point. You want tournaments where people just want to keep entering, 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 or or at least even if it's not a rebuy, at least you want you want people to feel like they want to come down and play. You don't want people to say, "Oh, it's it's reached a certain number of players. I don't want to play now." That's that's very bad for poker. It's very bad for poker for people to enter and know that their money is just being hundred percent raked by the house, which is it, which it is. Where you know if you show up, you're not contributing to the prize pool at all. We know if somebody else shows up, they're not contributing. It's just another person. It's just very demoralizing to know someone who just sat down as another person you have to contend with that's bringing no advantage to for the fact that he's there. And uh, and like I know, like when I play rebuy tournaments and I watch some guy bust and rebuy, even if he's good, I go, okay, well at least they just added money to the prize pool. Not here. So anyway. I'm surprised the guys stood on the phone that long, given they've, they've gotten a lot of calls about this. I expected they're going to say like, something quick and hang up on me, especially with Chico Loco there. That's why, that's why I, I didn't have Chico Loco go too over the top because I, I didn't want to get him hung up on. I, I felt the patience was going to be low on this one. And also the guy, I mean, there was some bullshit in there, but at least he was attempting to answer questions. So I gave him some credit. I, try, I, try, I tried to keep Chico Loco kind of more, a more uh, manageable level. All righty. Uh, let's get to the Ryan DePaulo topic. So Ryan DePaulo is a vlogger with an aggressive kind of in your face, very opinionated kind of asshole style where you're supposed to – that's supposed to be his charm. The guy who just uh, is very brash, is just, just says what he wants to say, doesn't care who he pisses off. Doesn't care who he insults. He wants you to like him because he's kind of outrageous and real. And not someone who's doing his vlog trying to be liked or or to be polite to people. So as you can imagine, that gets people on both sides of the coin. There's people who enjoy it and there's some people who just think he's obnoxious and don't find any appeal in that. Where he's gotten into some hot water has been that he shows up with his phone to record these these vlogs. And a lot of people just don't want to be part of it because they're just in the poker room to to play and they don't they don't want a guy like him putting him in their videos or they just don't want to be in any video. They just they just want to go to the casino and play and not be bothered and not be put on camera, which is understandable. Because who wants to worry about that? You you're there to play poker. You don't want just some guy recording you, and maybe for for number one, maybe you don't want everyone seeing you're there. Uh, who, who might be watching that? You you don't. It's not anyone's business what tournaments you play. I'm not saying it has to be a secret. Obviously, you're out, you're out in a, a setting anyone can enter and, and see you. But it's different where someone at the casino sees you and people at home watching on a video when you you didn't want to be recorded doing that. Uh, then there's also the issue of 
what if you're doing something uh, mildly embarrassing in the video? What if he happens to catch you picking your nose or something? Like, uh, why do you have to worry about this? Why it's it's something where there's a guy going around trying to make what he thinks is entertaining content of what's going on in that poker room. You don't want to be part of it. You're not getting anything out of it. You just want to be left alone. You don't want to be on anyone's on anyone's video. And that should be every player's right in a card room. They should not be forced to be on a video like that. Now, it's it's, another, it's one thing if the card room itself is making a video and you have to agree before you play there that you're on that, but you know that they're not going around with the same sort of agenda. They're not coming the, – the card room, when they're recording, they're, they're not trying to be obnoxious. And usually there's a specific TV table where this is, being take, where this is taking place, and anything filmed outside the TV table is, is like a very quick panning. They're not uh, – going to focus on you and and no one's going to be harassing you and everyone doing the video is going to be polite so it, it's different so i can understand it i i think i probably would not want this of a guy going you know, doing this video in there now there have been videos done before while i've played like negranu records videos which is against the rules of the world series of poker you can't just uh, record a video during poker play but but negranu does why because he can because he gets away with it because he, he's daniel negranu and there's big-time favoritism at the World Series for the big-name pros. But I will say that when Negranu does this, he, he doesn't do this in an obnoxious way. He's not trying to taunt people or, or, or trash-talk people or, or be a jerk. He's just recording his daily video about what's going on that day with him at the table. Or if he sees something interesting or entertaining, he'll mention it. But, but he's not like – Negranu doesn't have an in-your-face style, at least not with that sort of thing. So it doesn't really bother me much other than that, that he gets – favoritism where he can do it and others can't so when we get back to DePaulo, uh he was doing this at the Borgata and they caught him and they banned him they banned him for life but told him in a year he's allowed to appeal so for the next year he can try to appeal all he wants they're going to throw it in the garbage a year from when he got banned which was about a week ago then he can appeal at that point and they will consider it, but they may very well say, no, you're not coming back. So at the moment, it's a lifetime ban, and it's a lifetime ban that can be appealed in a year. So what's 100% is he can't enter the Borgata anywhere on that property for a full year from when he got banned. And then after that, he can try to apply for it to be lifted, but they also may not lift it. It's not like it expires. It's... uh, it's lifted until they say it's not it's, – it's there until they say it's not there, and that may never happen. So what did he do? Well, he, he recorded there when they had previously told him not to. He admits that he was recording. He admitted that he had been warned before. Now, at first he said he wasn't warned before. He said – this is on September 12, 2019 – he tweeted, just got banned from Borgata for a minimum one year for filming. They wouldn't make it a warning. I'm just done. So then people responded, what? No warning? They just threw you out and banned you for life? And he said, well, the thing about previous warnings, it's been like a wink, like, bro, you're going to get me in trouble. Don't film around me. And I, already, I always respectfully say, okay, and then not do it near them. Today was like, you're done. You can reapply within a year. Well, come on. I mean, he, that means he's been warned. Just because some people were nice and said, look, I'm not going to do anything about this, but you know, don't let people see that I'm letting you, that doesn't mean he's not being warned. That just means someone's being nice and isn't enforcing it. That, that would be like uh, uh, a cop pulls me over and says, hey, I'm not going to write you a ticket, but uh, just for your information, don't go 85 in the 65 because uh, 
you're going to get pulled over. And also, uh, don't mention that I pulled you over and let you go for this. If I say, okay, I can't, I can't say next time, well, you know, this is, this is unfair. They gave me a ticket for driving 85 because the last two cops that pulled me over let me go. It doesn't matter if they don't enforce it. They, there was just someone who didn't want, who didn't, who wanted to be nice to him and, and not do anything about it. And was saying, look, if you're going to do this, just don't do it around me. Okay, he finally did it around someone who didn't want to see it. He was very much made aware that this is not allowed there. It's not like they told him, technically you're allowed, but uh, don't tell anyone, and we're just going to look the other way, and then they ban him. That wasn't what happened. They just like, hey, look, I don't want to be the one to, to, to bust you here, so I'm not going to. Just keep away from me. That, that doesn't mean you can. That just means I'm not doing anything about it. So the hammer came down on him, and... It seems like he still feels he was wronged. Yet in some of his videos, he actually would say things like, uh, hey, i got to be careful when I'm filming here. I don't want security to see it, which is weird. How do you make that video that's supposed to be very public and you're trying to make popular, and you're saying, hey, I don't want security to see me doing this? Well, if you're doing this for friends, fine, but you're putting this on the, the Internet for everyone to watch. Aren't you afraid that like, even one person who dislikes you may call up the Borgata and say, hey, look, He's doing it and trying to avoid security. Like, that's just dumb. But this isn't just that he was filming and, and wasn't supposed to be filming, and they finally caught him and the hammer dropped. This, it, was, it goes beyond that, and this is what some people are missing. Apparently, he has a, a history of shoving his camera in people's faces when they just don't want to be on. Now, he claimed, like, like seriously serious complained about it. And then as soon as Ryan DePaulo saw that it was seriously serious complaining, he's like, oh, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're just talking about Doug Polk here. But Doug Polk, he's a, he's a total public figure in poker. So yeah, how can he complain? Look at all the controversial material that he puts out. How dare he complain when I put him on my video? Well, yes and no. Not that I feel sorry for Doug Polk and not that Doug Polk isn't a troll on, on YouTube because he is. But... At the same time, that doesn't mean you can just harass Doug Polk when you see him in the poker room. Like, Doug Polk, he doesn't carry around the, the camera and, and, and harass people in, in poker rooms. So even if you don't like Doug Polk or think he's obnoxious or, or, or you think he deserves to be trolled himself, that, that's fine. If you want to tr- troll Doug Polk or make videos bashing him or making fun of him, then I'm, for, I'm all for that. I think he definitely opens himself up to that. But that doesn't mean you can harass him while he's playing poker and that's what seriously serious was complaining about that he basically saw doug polk there and harassed him and tried to get him on the video probably because it will get him more views if he's like hey this one has doug polk in it but there's others who are not as well known as doug polk that have complained on the two plus two thread about it that they really did not like ryan's behavior when they either played with him at the table or specifically with his uh, his camera now there's some people who were in his corner, someone named uh, Lanky Ross. It'd be funny if Lanky Ross actually was a fat guy. But Lanky Ross wrote, I find his videos brilliant and entertaining. I also enjoyed railing through the World Series of Poker. He, he got like third in the Colossus or something. That was what he's best known for. Uh, however, calling him an ambassador for the poker is a bit strong. Also, he's being caught on a ridiculous amount of blogs. Uh, perhaps being banned for 12 months is a bit harsh, but dot, dot, dot. This person is mostly supportive, I guess. Uh, let me get to one of the comments people made against him. Uh, 
let's see here. There were some that actually had personal anecdotes with how he behaved in the uh, in the room, which I lost. But I'm going to find him right now and read it to you. Uh, scrolling here. Is the problem with 2 plus 2 is a lot of trash here? So you got to scroll through all the trash to get to anything decent. So there's been a problem with that site. Though now that it's deader, it's, it's harder to see. Uh, someone wrote, uh, this is someone sort of in this corner, but kind of admitting that he did do something wrong. is a great guy, though, although he was more brazen with filming than others were. So that goes along with what I just said. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I may have to give up on finding this. <laughs> Someone who posted in his corner who claimed that he observed the whole thing and that the, the security guard wouldn't, uh, like, tried to grab his phone from him. But I think the security guard was worried that he was, like, still filming as he was being uh, caught there. I think that's what was going on. Uh... Anyway, I can't find it for the moment for whatever reason. Oh, here we go. I did find it. Probably way more to it than this. He was at my table in the opener tournament. He was out of control. Berated multiple players. Told an old guy to go fuck himself for asking him not to scream so loudly in his ear. Told multiple players how horribly they played. Very confrontational. Honestly, super bad for the game and vibe for the table. Maybe caught him on a bad day. but seemed like an insufferable douche. Floor had to come over multiple times to issue warnings and stop the old guy from trying to beat his ass. <laughs> That's kind of what I pictured before I even read this post, which is posted by a guy named Fly, Fly Like a Bird, who's been on the site for like 10 years. That kind of is what I pictured. Like just an obnoxious guy at the table who's kind of trying to bait everybody and piss them off. And if someone says, hey, I don't like how loud you're being, he says, hey, fuck off. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Like it's, a, it's just unpleasant to have those type of guys at the table. And then to be videoing it, it's obvious why he got banned. It's it's not at all any kind of miscarriage of justice or, or, or the casino overstepping because they're overly sensitive at this whole thing. If you go to his blog or his vlog, it's actually his his channel is actually pretty well liked or pretty well subscribed. I shouldn't say well liked. It's pretty well subscribed. It's got uh, twenty seven thousand four hundred subscribers. Each video does get uh, usually between like. 20,000 and 100-something thousand views. Though the 100,000 ones have been up for a while, so I guess they... But, like, when, when he posts a newer video, it gets it gets in the five figures of views, so it does... He does have a good following. Uh, I'm just going to click on a random video here. Let's see. Hi guys, I'm here in Borgata with Katie for a couple nights. Let's go to the poker tables. Let's go. Can you hear this, Trey Risky? Can you hear it? Couldn't, yeah, couldn't get off mute. Yeah, I was able to okay, hear okay. it. Even this opening is kind of obnoxious. <laughs> oh my god! This is Ryan DePaulo oh, no. degenerate 
Ryan DePaulo, Degenerate Gambler is the name of this. Hey guys, we're here at Borgata for two nights. It's 10 p.m. and we're just going to now hit a depression. This has got to be pretty close by when he got banned. This is is published on September 8th and he was banned, I think, September 12th. Last game session all night, as we do when we're here when there's no tournament. We're going to play 2-5, no limit Texas Hold'em, and then we're going to play some stupid slots. The D-Gen Tingles. Let me speed this up. I'm going to move forward to see if he's going to bother anybody. Okay, so we're at, he's at the poker table. Let's see. So now he's, he's just showing himself folding and he's playing background music. Sounds like that's the circus. Do you, you, you lift? Do you lift? Do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift? Can't even push me. Come on, push me. If I push you, you're going to end up over there. Uh, all right, cool. See, that, that's what I mean. See, I don't know if they were serious, but there was like a meme on the internet of a do you even lift, bro? It came from the bodybuilding forums, and it became a thing on the internet for a while, where people asked that to each other. So he, he asked that to someone, I think, sitting next to him. Do you lift? Do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift? And then it sounded like he kept kind of hassling the guy for an answer, and the guy finally said, like, if, 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 I, if something like if I push you, you'll end up way over there. But like, it, it kind of sounds like he was bothering the guy. Like, like, what kind of questions do you even lift, bro, at the poker table? And the person may not even understand. It was uh, like a meme from many years ago. Quick update. We dunk doubled up in the first hand to, like, uh, I'm talking about it like it's a fucking tournament. We got all in with the stupid up and down straight draw hit. Got up to 800. Now we're at, like, we're up 25. Basically, we grind, lost most of our <laughs> chips back. But it's cash. Ain't nobody give no fucks. Look at that butt. Look at that butt. Now he's he's filming his own ass while he's at the urinal. At first I thought he's like filming some other guy's butt, but it's in the mirror. I guess that's okay. More circus music. I hate to say it, the circus music is the best part of this video so far. Yo, so we were up, we just blew it. I ended up buying in for 500, cashing out 290, so I lost 210. I totally paid this old lady off. Old people don't fucking bluff. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. So now, so, so okay. This is the type of thing I think people are unhappy about. He's, uh, he's posting this thing about this old lady who owned him. So he's already showing a picture of her and putting like little thug life uh, cartoon hat and glasses on her. A real gangster ass nigga plays his cards right. And with top hair for no reason, gave her 150 and then like all my profit with her was she had a set and then she had a fucking overpair. And both times I just paid her, just all willy-nilly. I lucky I only lost 200 by playing that dumb. I, I don't lose my whole stack, but I'm pissed at myself for playing that dumb. Now we gotta get that 2 a.m. Okay, so now he's trying to buy food. Let's see if we can find him interacting with people. Now he's degening on slots. People like him because this is a guy who just goes all around the casino and does everything. He plays some slots. He, uh, I, I don't know if he feels himself playing table games, but he he, uh, he plays poker, cash games, tournaments. So you, you get to basically see a guy who 
calls himself a degenerate going and playing a bunch of things at the casino with various uh, humorous commentaries and uh, pretty good editing of the videos in, in a, to make them funny. I'm re-entering. Like, like he just... He just made uh, his chips into what he called a chip coochie and put like something like uh, all are beautiful. So I, you know, there's little quips like that throughout. I, I see why I see people like this, but uh, there is the problem with with the filming of people that they don't they just don't want it, and and sometimes he's more obnoxious than others with it. So so he's he's gone. He's been he's been banned, and. When I first heard of these vloggers filming their poker play, my first thought was, is this even allowed? Like, I, I would have thought this isn't allowed. Not just him. I'm talking about just before, even before he came around. And I think this is a very uh, controversial subject of whether a poker room is going to allow this or not. Some of them will. Some of them won't. Some of them kind of don't, but it look the other way. But... You've got to make sure that wherever you're doing it, it's allowed and it's okay. And also you've got to be – you've got to handle like a, neg- a negative checkoff situation. And a negative checkoff situation is where you first assume it's okay, but then once someone objects, you immediately back down. And he doesn't do that apparently. Apparently people don't like him filming them. He gets nasty with them. And that's the problem. If someone said, hey, I'd really prefer not to be on, on camera here. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I won't, I won't include you in the video. Don't worry. I'm not going to film you again. That's what you say. And then the rest of the people, if they either just don't speak up or don't care, uh, provided it's not against the rules in the room and nobody complains, then you're probably in the clear. But it sounds like to him, he just feels it's his right to record everybody and screw anyone who doesn't like it. And that's going to not only make enemies, but it's going to get you banned from places, even ones that previously allowed you to film. Because they... The place doesn't really gain from him doing this. So if he's driving customers away, irritating customers, they're not going to like it, and they're going to put an end to it. So this isn't about free speech. This isn't about casinos being heavy-handed, not letting him produce entertaining content. It's that you have to be courteous. You have to understand everybody else's rights, not just your own. Everybody else's preferences, not just your own. You can't go there and say, well, I want to film, I want to make an entertaining vlog, so screw everybody else. I don't care if they don't like it. No, you can't. Everybody at the casino has as much of a right to be there for their purposes as you do for yours. And the arbiters of that tend to be the casino. <laughs> so, so the casino decides that they want to protect their patrons from being filmed, especially without their permission. Then they can and they should. And I would be pissed at a casino if I said, hey, I'd like if this guy stops filming me. And the casino was like, no, no, he can do it. I'd, I'd be pissed. So that's where he makes his mistake. There's some people that are going too far in the 2 plus 2 thread who don't like him, saying that, uh, oh, he said such and such offensive thing. Like there was even some Jewish comment he made. And he's not Jewish, but he made some comment about uh, some kind of cheap Jew comment. Like I'm the Jew now or something like that. Nothing terrible, but a you know, derogatory sort of comment about Jews being cheap, but applying it to himself. Like, oh, I'm being a Jew here. Whatever. You know, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I'll make those 
jokes myself. And while it's not as bad for me to do it, it's not bad at all for me to do it being a Jew myself, but if, if you're going to make those jokes about yourself, you can't be mad when others do. Like, I don't get mad when people call me a cheap Jew. Because I, I, if I say it about myself on the show and they get offended when they say it to me, then I'm being a hypocrite. So, I, even if you don't like when he says something like that, just don't watch his vlog or, or bash him. You can do that too. But don't report him for that. And there's people saying, oh, we, we don't like what he said about Jewish people. He should be reported. His, his channel should be canceled. Or we don't like what he's doing in the Borgata. His channel should be canceled. He shouldn't be filming people. No. See, I don't believe just ruin someone's channel and get it canceled because you don't approve of what they're doing. And there's been too much of this in general in recent years. I'm not talking about poker. I'm talking about just everything. Where people want things taken off the internet that they, it just kind of offends them they don't like. And that you shouldn't get in the habit of doing. And I never do it. Now, if you were filmed and you don't want your image on there and he doesn't care and puts it up anyway, then go ahead and complain. Then try to get his channel taken down. Then you're justified because you have been personally harmed by him. But if it's just a general dislike of him or his channel, leave his freaking channel alone. So, like, as much as I agree with this ban and as much as I wouldn't even fault YouTube if they deleted his channel for featuring these people who don't want to be on there, if he got, they got enough complaints, I would never complain myself if he didn't do anything to me, nor do I feel like he, he deserves to have his channel taken down, and he especially doesn't for saying offensive things, which apparently he doesn't do that much anyway. And it's, it's done for comedy purposes. You, you, you watch these things here, you could tell he's trying to make the whole thing funny and entertaining. He's kind of obnoxious, but he's not trying to be like really mean. It's just mainly... I'm doing this to be funny and outrageous. But then I guess apparently he does get mean if you don't allow him to film. But the video is coming from a, a, a spot of humor. But still, that doesn't mean he can do it. So I think the ban is fine, especially he's warned before. you got to take casino warning seriously. They say you can't do this anymore, you don't do it. If you do it, then you get banned and you can't, you can't cry foul. You can't. I think that some casino bans are crap that people get where they're not warned and where it's not obvious. Like if you're cheating and you're caught and you're banned, obviously. Uh, that makes sense. But when people get banned for things that are not totally clear they shouldn't be doing, at least give them a warning. As long as it's not too harmful. Like this filming thing, that's a good reason to just warn someone first. But once they've been warned, ban makes sense. Okay, so moving on to the Mike Mattisau and Phil Helmuth situation. You may say, we already had that topic on a previous show recently. Nope, this is a different Mike Mattisau situation. Mike Mattisau apparently broke a long-standing rule again. Last time, it was at Lawn Live at the Bike when he let Phil Helmuth take part of his stack and leave, which can't be done. If you're going to stay in the game, you can't let someone just take some of your stack, even if you owe them money. You have to leave the table and then pay them. So that caused a lot of controversy. And now there's another controversy involving Mattisau, and Helmuth. And this has to do with 
Mike talking about what he was holding during a hand and could influence Phil Helmuth's decision. So what happened was Helmuth had pocket aces and was uh, against another player who had ace-king. And Helmuth re-raised from the big blind and it pushed Mattisau off the hand who had uh, queen-nine suited, queen-nine of spades. The flop ended up coming with, uh, with two spades. And uh, so Helmuth had to navigate that hand. What ended up happening is on the river, there was a, an all-in by Helmuth's opponent, who had nothing but was representing the flush, which got there on the turn. There were three spades on the turn, and then a a river, which... uh, uh, didn't really change much. So Helmuth decided that the opponent probably had the flush, or at least had aces beat and folded. So the the opponent, who just had ace-king, and was really holding nothing, just ace-high, won the hand and, and made a good bluff. So what's the problem? It sounds pretty standard. Well, the problem was that during the hand, Mike Mattisau said out loud that he had folded queen nine of spades. So he sees the spades in the flop, he sees two spades in the flop, and actually says, oh, I folded queen nine of spades. Actually, I'm not sure if he said it in the flop return, but at some point during the hand, he said he folded queen nine of spades. So that gives additional information to Helmuth that two spades are out. And it makes it less likely that the opponent also is holding two spades in his hand. It would have to be two flushes at that point, which happens, but not as often. When there's two spades out, that makes the opponent having a flush less likely. And knowing that specifically it's queen nine, now you can also make judgments about what your opponent has or doesn't have because you know a queen and a nine are out, specifically the queen and nine of spades. So you you can say, okay, I know he doesn't have ace-queen of spades or ten-nine of spades. You can say, well, he doesn't have, I know he doesn't have those because the queen and nine of spades were in Mattisau's hand, and Mattisau said that during the hand. Now, this is a very, very, very basic thing in poker that just about everybody knows, that you can't talk about your hand until the hand is over. I mean, even there's beginners in poker who know this before they even play a hand. Like, the first hand I ever played in poker, I knew I couldn't do that. I knew I could not talk about my hand till it was over. Occasionally someone will react. Like, you'll watch them on the flop, and then the flop comes down, and they'll go, ah! And you, you can tell they had something that would have flopped big, and that gives you some information. You're not supposed to do that either. And I, and I don't do that. I'm, I'm very careful not to react to the flop, no matter what, even if I'm out of the hand because I don't want to give information to my opponents that are playing each other. It's not fair to them. So I will say nothing about what I was holding until the hand's over. And that's what I assume most of you do, what you should do. And Mattisau, who's been in poker forever, he knows that. But he blurted out that he had queen nine of spades, and that probably... uh, 
Well, Helmuth ended up folding, but had Helmuth called, that would have really, really been a problem because you could have said that Helmuth may have called knowing that those two spades were out. And that could have pushed him over the top to call. He ended up not calling, but he could have called. So Doug Polk made a video that was criticizing this hand. And I don't think this is the main point of the video. I think this is just part of a video that Doug Polk made. And then someone asked Mattisau about the video. They asked him, are you going to discuss the new Polk video of you trying to cheap, cheat to help your backer? Because Phil Helmuth is currently Mattisau's backer, at least in these Live of the Bike games. And then Mattisau tweeted back, no, he's a punk who makes up shit for clickbait. I've lost all respect for him. Oh, boy. So Mattisau is angry at Polk for making that video. Saying he lost all respect for him and that he's a punk. Then he got a bunch of responses and then he deleted that tweet in the first place. Probably because the responses he got were pretty negative. And the reason they were negative is because Mattisau should not be doing that. Now, in the thread about this on Poker Fraud Alert, someone brought up an interesting point. Sean Fanning's limp dick responded. Not Sean Fanning, only his limp dick. But Sean Fanning's limp dick said, Mattisau's drug-ravaged brain just says the first thing that pops into his head. He wasn't saying he would have made a flush in order to help Phil. That's far beyond what remains of his cognitive abilities. He was completely out of line, of course, but he's such a fish that nobody wants him gone. Well... I won't go as far to say that Mattisau's a fish. If you look at how he does in the World Series of Poker, he's still very viable. He's getting deep in a lot of tournaments at the World Series, and if he were really a fish, he would not be getting as deep as he is. But I do agree with the rest of the assessment that Mattisau's brain isn't all there anymore, probably from all the drugs he did, which he's admitted he abused a lot of drugs in his life. He's had other health problems, which can affect your brain. I'll tell you that the problems I had last year were affecting my brain at the time. I was having like blanks when I tried to think of things. I just could It was so frustrating. Like I tried to think of something that it, I wanted to say or that it just happened. And I just got like a blank in my mind. It was so strange. And that went away when the psychological issues I had improved. But that did show me of, if you're having problems that it, it can affect your brain and how you think and your sharpness. And I, I really do think that Mattisau just kind of blurted it out. <laughs> almost like almost like he had Tourette's. Just he sees the three spades out there. I would have made a flush. What? Fuck you. I would have had a flush. Like, <laughs> it's almost what it was like. It just, it just blurts out. It was like he's thinking, like, you'll see this. If, you, if you're if you a normal player, you see this and you think in your mind, oh, why didn't I come in with a queen nine of spades? I would have made a flush. I would win a big pot. You think this. But if you're not completely there, then you also might blurt it out. And I'm not making excuses for him, but I actually think that Sean Fanning's limp dick is probably correct, that this wasn't an intentional conspiracy to help Helmuth. This is just Mattisau blurting something out that should not have been blurted. 
a very obvious thing he shouldn't be doing. And he shouldn't be at the poker table if he can't control himself. So again, very important to know I'm not making excuses. This is awful. He should not be doing this. And really, if you can't adhere to that basic etiquette, then you should not be at the table. You should just say, I'm quitting poker. I can't, I can't control myself anymore. My, my mouth just runs. I say things that influence the hand that should not be. But sadly, I think that's much more... They call me Mike the Mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Sadly, this is probably more likely than some kind of conspiracy to help Helmuth win. Because Helmuth has a lot of money. Helmuth, he doesn't need some person cheating for him to win a little bit more money. He really doesn't. Helmuth isn't really known as a cheater. he, He was promoting a cheating site, but he isn't a cheater himself. He's never been known that. He, he's been someone who is a jerk at the table, obnoxious and narcissistic, but not a cheater, not an angle shooter. And you can say, well, maybe Madison is helping him without Helmuth wanting him to, but I don't see that happening. I think it's much more likely that Madison is just blurting out. If you're going to do it, why, why would he do it that way, which is so blatant? Like, uh, why not find some other way to let him know. Or you could say to Phil before, hey, Phil, if I scratch my nose, that means uh, that means I, I had something that was on that, on that board. And then you scratch your nose, and you know, Phil's like, no, please don't do that. I don't want that help. Don't cheat with me. And then Madison does it anyway, and then Phil can't unsee it. Like, something like that. Uh, if you're trying to help him, you don't just blurt it out. When he blurts it out, when it's a televised thing, televised on the internet at least obviously this isn't some kind of thing that they're trying to hide and get away but I understand the outrage regardless of the intention it was a very very obvious thing you don't do now Shoeshine Box who is also a, a poker dealer dealt to me at the World Series again this year the main event deep in the main event he said, in my opinion, Helmuth, is not cha- Helmuth not chastising Mike means he's complicit. Helmuth should have said, shut the fuck up when I'm in a hand. I need no help. Yeah, he should have. I agree. And I think Helmuth kind of treated it like, well, I can't unhear this now, so whatever. Too late. And I'm just going to, I don't want to make Mike look bad. He's my friend, so I'm just going to keep quiet. I don't think Helmuth was looking for the help. I don't think he was—he even wanted this to happen and then be in the center of controversy again. But once it happened, he, he didn't want to make Mike look even worse and call him out for it. So he just thought, okay, well, Mike probably shouldn't have said this, but okay, I heard it. <laughs> now I've got to consider this too. I think Phil should talk to Mike and say, you got to stop this. You, you can't do things like this with me backing you. It's going to make me look terrible. It'll make us both look like cheaters. So you've got to stop this. If you, if you can't help yourself, then you, I can't back you anymore. That's, that's what I would have said to him if I were Phil, like privately. And maybe he did. Maybe he did say privately. And just Maybe Phil is pissed that this happened but doesn't want to let the public know. I'm sure Phil does not like these accusations that he's a cheater and a colluder. Phil wants you to think he's a great poker player who would win every single time he played if it weren't for luck. He doesn't want you to think 
he's only winning at cash games because uh, his friends are helping him cheat. That's the last thing he wants you to think of him. You may say, oh, Helmuth isn't going to care what you think of him. He actually does. He just he doesn't care if you think his personality is bad. He doesn't care if you uh, don't like his whole poker brat routine. But he doesn't want you thinking he's a cheater or a bad person. So I'm sure he wasn't happy about this either. So while I don't think it was intentional cheating, even on either side, uh, very much out of line. What's your impression of and this? Did the Ace King guy did the Ace King guy turn over his hand and show him? Or did I'm, they just find out later? I'm not sure. I didn't actually watch the hand go down. Uh, he should have. He would have put him on major tilt. But yeah, I agree. There's absolutely no excuse. I mean, Mike, you know, he was also a dealer for many years. Yeah, that's that's like the biggest sin in poker. Yeah. And the guy backing you, I mean, that's out of control. Yeah, that's that, that's, that's, that's why it seems like he just blurted it out and was, this wasn't premeditated. What a stupid plan that would be. If, you, if that's the way you're cheating, that would be like the dumbest cheating scheme ever. I'm just going to blurt out what cards I have for my backer <laughs> while it's on Live of the Bike. Like, it couldn't be dumber. Right, while it's on Live of the Bike. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> like, no one's going to know there's anything wrong here. No one's going to think anything that I'm trying to help you, Phil, if I do this right on live with the bike. Maybe maybe that's his plan, though. Maybe he's going to be like so obvious about it. He'll go, come on. If I were trying to cheat, would I do it on live with the bike for my backer right out in the open? Come on. And they're like, yeah, you know what? You're right, Mike. Okay, we give you a pass. He's like, ah, Phil, I told you they wouldn't, they wouldn't suspect a thing. Too obvious. All right, now here's something that should have been obvious. But was not. This is a crazy story brought to me by A. Hoosier A, who now lives in Las Vegas, moved from Indiana. I met him this year. And he posted a story about the Free Rolls Poker Club from Houston. Houston has a lot of these semi-legal poker clubs. We've talked about that before in recent times on this show. This is not going to be about legality. This is going to be about a tremendous fail. <laughs> That's still hard to believe occurred the way it did. The Free Rolls Poker Club, which isn't really just Free Rolls. That's just what they call it. The Free Rolls Poker Club posted a video of the owner, Trent Daniel, congratulating a player for winning their promotion which was called Crack the Vault, and it was a promotion to win $250,000. This promotion worked as follows. There was a little machine, kind of looked like a kiosk, that was sitting there on the casino floor. And when you qualify to attempt to crack the safe, crack the vault, actually what it's called, when you qualify to, quote, crack the vault, there's no vault there, it's just a little kiosk, uh, but... You're supposed to enter a six-digit password that you just guess. And if you happen to guess the right six-digit password, which is one in a million, by the way. But if you get the one in a million shot right and guess the password, then you win the $250,000. It's not clear how long this is going to remain there. And like everybody doesn't get to, get, get to go up and do it. You have to qualify in some way. I don't know if it's a high hand or something something gets you to qualify. You can't just get in line to do it. So there weren't going to be that many people trying it. So let's say 
even a thousand people try it, there's still only a one in a thousand chance that the two hundred fifty thousand would be one. I don't know if they got insured for this. Sometimes you can have a contest like this and get insured. So this way, if the fluke happens, you don't get screwed and have to owe two hundred fifty thousand. I think they did, but uh, anyway. At some point, presumably, they were going to take this down, or maybe it would just be there for years before someone would probably hit it, given that, let's say they do one one person a day. Let's even say they did uh, three people a day. Three people a day, it would still probably take something like four or five hundred years on average for it to hit. So that shows you... I'm sorry, like that shows you how unlikely it is for this thing to hit anytime soon. Really, I mean, think about it. three people per day. That's almost eleven hundred per year. Think about it: a million combinations. Right, but that would be assuming everybody knew what the other people had guessed before that. So it's much bigger odds than that, right? No, it doesn't matter. It just it's just people guessing at. It doesn't matter if they're guessing right or wrong. It's just it's a. Uh, um, it's just them guessing at it over and over. I mean, it's, I, I'm approximating here. Yes, there there is some difference here. There is a little difference about that because you're you're guessing one in a million every time, not not one in a million, then one in nine and nine nine and one in nine 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 eight. I, I see what you're saying, but uh, um, it, it is pretty much taking a one in a million shot over and over and over again until it finally hits. So it's, uh, what my point is, it would take hundreds of years on average for this to hit, even if they gave three a day away. And you could say, okay, what if they gave 30 away a day? Then it would still take decades to hit. Well, imagine their surprise when just a few weeks into having this promotion that amazingly somebody hit it and won the $250,000. That is a shock. Talk about getting lucky. Within the first few weeks, and I guess unlucky for whoever has to foot the $250,000 bill, whether it's the insurance company that they contracted with for this or if it was uh, the Free Rolls Poker Club or some kind of combination of them. On their Facebook page, they posted a video of Josh Wachobe, and it's a picture of him standing in front of the Crack the Vault kiosk, Josh Wachobe, our $250,000 cash vault winner, September 15th at 6.10 a.m. And they were promoting this, that this guy hit it. But apparently there's a little problem. Apparently there's a little problem. See, they found out afterwards that they made a pretty bad error. There is a button on the machine called Show Prize. Show Prize, all it does is exactly what it says. It shows the prize. If you press that button at any time, it says $250,000. $250,000 cash is what it says. What is the prize? I don't know why that's even there. Like, People know what they're playing for, so I don't know why you'd have that button there, but that's the way the software is designed. Well, what happened, this is unbelievable, what happened is at some point, 
the guy who supposedly won, this Josh Washobe, pressed the button for show prize, and it popped up saying $250,000 cash, and they said, oh, well, look, you won $250,000 cash. <laughs> Apparently nobody had pressed that button before, so that's the first time they'd seen it. So what happened was this guy, this Josh Washobe, entered his six-digit code, and then he hit show prize instead of enter. So the thing popped up. So they thought that was the indication that he won. When in reality, if you win, you get this little animation of the safe opening, and it says you won $250,000 very clearly. That's a pretty bad mistake. That they thought show prize meant you won the prize. I don't think they saw him press show prize. I think they they believed that he pressed enter and he actually pressed show prize, which says $250,000 cash. <laughs> they thought that's the, that's the indication. They hadn't seen what it looks like when you actually win. So they took his picture and they promoted it. Well, they decided that uh, they're actually not going to pay him. Uh, apparently, so th- I guess this is run by some third-party company. They didn't invent this. This is something they just have in their room. Again, I don't know who it actually is that, that pays out the money. But they figured it out only after they spoke to the company that provides this thing. And the, the company said, okay, so they said, wow, I can't believe the person won so fast. And they're like, are you sure that... Uh, what did it look like? Well, it said two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash. Like, oh no, 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 no! It's, it's, the safe didn't open and show the cash. No, 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 no! Like, oh no, he pressed the view, <laughs> the view prize button. So they had to inform the poor guy that thought he won the two hundred fifty k. And I have a feeling this guy really thought he won. I don't think he was pulling a fast one. It's possible he's pulling a fast one, but I think it's possible that like, it's like. He he enters a six-digit code, and then he's thinking, okay, well, show me if I got the prize. I'll press show prize. So he presses that instead of enter, and then it pops up, and he thinks he's won. So on one hand, you can kind of see how it happened, but for them not to know how this looks when it actually wins is crazy. What's also crazy is they released a video to explain what happened. And this this video is so Eastern Texas, I can't even tell you. So you have these two people trying to demonstrate it, both with the, like, the slow southern drawl. And this is such, such a Texas thing where they, they try to act like they are being very clear and slow in explaining it, but then they miss details so you don't know what they're trying to say. They're explaining something over and over that doesn't need to be explained over and over, but then the important part they're missing. It would be like someone says... Uh, I, someone says to me, hey, Todd, well, give me $10. And I go, I don't owe you $10. He says, yes, I do. I go, well, can you tell me why? Well, yeah. Let me explain why I have $10, why, why you owe me the $10, why you need to give it to me, why you need to open up your wallet, take out a 10, and hand it to me, because that is the money you currently owe me. So the reason you owe me $10 that you need to take out of your wallet. You should open it up and make sure you got that there ten dollars there and put it in my, my my wallet over here. My hand actually I put in my wallet after that point is because that money is owed to me, and when it's owed to me, that means it should come from you. 
Like that's that's kind of like the same thing that went on with this video. <laughs> I'm able to play to you. I I watched this thing a few times and I had to ask a Hoosier a, what happened? I this video is six minutes. I still don't understand what happened. I probably won't play all six minutes, but here, here we go. Okay, so go ahead and say who are you? My name is Larry Smith. I'm a floor manager. I work at Free Rose Poker. Okay, great. Okay, so this is the crack vault machine. So if you could close out that grand prize button, hit the X there. So what I want you to do is hit the X and clear out that number. That number there. Okay. This is the number they're going to enter. Again. Okay. Now what I'd like you to do is to enter a six-digit code into the machine and then press enter. Okay. Enter. All right. So this is to simulate an actual gameplay, okay? Yes. So what do you see? Sorry, try again. Okay. Hit X. The incorrect code. All right. Hit X. Anywhere to play? All right. Now what I'd like you to do is enter a five-digit code and hit enter. Okay. What do you see? Invalid. Must have six digits. Okay. Why do that? That has nothing to do with what happened here. This is what I mean. <laughs> now try to enter five digits instead of six. Okay. What does it say? Oh, it says invalid number of digits. Okay. So we just proved that you can't enter less than six digits. Like why? We we already know like it's a six-digit thing. Why even have this in the video? Like this this happens over and over. Great. Hit X. We're a minute in. We like nothing's been shown yet. We're a minute into the six-minute video. There's there's nothing that has been explained yet. All right. Clear that code out. All right. Now what I'd like you to do is to enter six digits and then press the prize list button. Okay. All right. So what do you see? So it's prize list, grand prize, 250000 It okay. just shows me the list. Okay, great. Now, do you remember the night of the... 14th overnight on the morning yes, of the 15th. Sir, I do. Okay. Um, and you remember that the gentleman came up to it and he pressed a number. Yes, sir. Okay. And he actually did two attempts, right? Did two tries. Okay, great. So close that out. Hit the X. Okay. I okay, so they just demonstrated. All they had to say is, now, do you remember that night when that individual came in and he entered a number and then pressed this button and it popped up? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Now, do you know, is that what you saw that night? Yeah, yeah that's what I saw. Okay, so we just did the same thing here. We just entered a random number and hit, pressed it, and then this pops up. There was a mistake thinking that pressing this button, which brings up this prize list that says $250,000 cash, that was mistaken to be the prize. So is that what happened? Yep, yep, that's what happened. Okay, that end of the video. We're all done here. But instead, they go on for like four more minutes. Just Okay, now press X and clear it again. Okay, now let's do this again. Now, now press this. Now press this. Okay, okay. Like that's... <laughs> They never make the point. I was watching over and over. I couldn't figure it out until A. Hoosier A. explained it further to me. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what happened here. I want you to clear that number out of there, okay? Now what I want you to do is I want you to uh, not enter a six-digit code, but just press the prize list button. Okay, what do you see? Same thing, prize list, grand prize, 250000 cash. Okay, now does this screen here look similar to the prize list? That looks similar to what you saw after the, the win. Looks exactly like you see the prize list, and I see no code. Okay. Now, like, now that you know the story, it makes a little more sense, but I'm watching this. Like, What point are they trying to make here? What, what's, the, 
what are they leading up to? I couldn't understand it. I watched it over and over. I couldn't figure it out. So that's what happened. And they were able to demonstrate what it really looks like when someone wins because they since they opened up the envelope, which is do not open until someone wins, but they, they opened up the envelope and entered the actual number, and then it opened, and it showed the animation of the safe actually opening and saying you won. What a fail. I don't know if this thing is still there or if they've gotten rid of it. <laughs> what a freaking embarrassment. And I, It sounds like this guy got nothing. I understand he shouldn't get the 250000 if they said he won because he really didn't. They just made a mistake. But still, give him something. Maybe they did. <laughs> give him something. Either end the promotion mercifully or start it again and don't make the same stupid mistake. Now, I'm hearing that there is uh, they, they, there's some bashing of them on their Facebook page. I'm going to look this up. It's free rolls. I hope it's open. Poker Club. Let's see here. Okay, so I'm on their page. And yeah, scroll down. Okay, so oh yeah, there's 74 comments. I'm going to read some of the comments here. Uh, this is hilarious. The owners and employees plastered all over Facebook how he won. Wait till you see how much we're giving away next time. <laughs> no one realized he pressed the wrong button. And then they someone photoshopped the picture and say, Josh Watchup was almost our two hundred fifty thousand dollar winner. <laughs> and someone said someone should file a complaint with the Texas Gaming Commission. Uh, someone says it sucks, but he didn't win. I think everyone should have done a better job of being educated on the system. That's for sure. As long as Josh is good with this, I'm good with it. And they said. Then they actually responded saying, True. Literally, there's no training manual or videos of the system. We requested going forward a screenshot of a winner's screen that can be posted so everyone knows how to identify the winner's screen. Yeah, I agree this probably won't ever happen again now that lightning struck once, but how stupid is this? They should have verified it. Like someone said, you all should have verified before telling him he won. Yeah, exactly. You say, okay, we think you won, but let's, uh, we just want to verify with the company that this is, this is good, before promoting it at least. <laughs> Someone mentioned. Oh, they oh they promoted it. I thought you were saying the guy. No, no, they did. They promoted it on their own Facebook page. That's hilarious. And then they had to take it back and say, actually, and that's when they posted this stupid video I was playing from. Okay, now now enter six digit here. Okay, what does it say? It says invalid code. Okay, now enter five digits. Okay, and what does it say? Not never digits. Okay, now enter four digits. Okay, but we just just enter four digits. I told you. Okay. It says still invalid number of digits. Okay, now try entering three digits. Uh, sir, I don't understand what we're doing. I tell you to enter three digits as long as we make this as long as we can, then people can be confused as far as what happened better for us. So enter three digits and shut your mouth. Uh, Someone wrote, you've got an image problem when the majority of people are thinking, yeah, that's about right. This is multiple semi-scandals already. The first being the dealer staff pay from the Deep Stacks event. There was already a scandal here that uh, A. Hoosier A. was actually a victim of. New management needed in the worst way. You guys would already be out of business if you, had, if you didn't have a solid location and beautiful room. So basically they're saying the employees suck and are shady, but they, it's a nice-looking room and it's got a good location. <laughs> 
And how long how long was it between uh, him thinking he won and the time they told him he didn't win? That I'm not you sure know? about. No, I don't know that. But that's because I can see the guy. Oh, I'm gonna you know go buy a car. I got 250k coming. You know. Yeah, it'd be funny if have he, 20k to my name. It'd be funny if he's got like a crappy job and he's like, okay, he's like, I, I, look, I have 250k. I can take some time off now and take get another job later. He told his boss to yeah, fuck off. He goes, hey, hey, boss. I always wanted to say that you're an ugly SOB who's a piece of shit, who's uh, who has no morals whatsoever, and I hope you fucking die in a, in a burning car accident. And I've wanted to say this to you for a long time, but I couldn't say it before. And then I got some money that I wanted a poker room promotion. Now I don't got to give a shit what you're going to say. And then, uh, sorry, sir, you didn't actually win. Uh, yeah, boss, uh, that was, there, there, there's um some uh, prank caller trying to imitate me. Just want to make sure he didn't call you. <laughs> Pretty irresponsible. Pretty irresponsible. What a freaking fail. But yeah, this place uh, screwed dealers at one point and a very shady place. And I guess the owner is a convicted felon. So I, I wouldn't give my business to the free rolls poker club anyway, but they are, I guess they have a good location in Houston and, a lot of people want to play there, so sometimes it's one of these things, if you want to play live poker, this is what you got to deal with. Unless you want to drive farther or go to a substandard room. It might have floated away last, last or this week, too. No, that's right. Maybe maybe it, maybe it did float away. Maybe they, maybe they got uh, maybe they got what was coming to them. Maybe they'll do a new video. Uh, can you tell us, uh, what, what is your position? Uh, I, I'm actually the uh, the promotions manager here at uh, at the Free Rolls Poker Club. Okay, can you tell us where we're standing right now? Uh, yes, well, we are we are standing in the Gulf of Mexico. We have been uh, washed away, and we are currently standing in the Gulf. The entire casino has has actually uh, relocated in the Gulf, but not intentionally. Okay, and uh, can you enter five digits here, uh, sir? It's actually supposed to be. Six. Can you enter five digits here? Uh, it says invalid number of digits. See, we're still in the Gulf of Mexico. We're not even where we're supposed to be. And yet, you'll see that we still are not even for that right number of digits. It still is working that way. A call from an 833 number, which is a toll-free number. What's this about? Caller, you're on the air. Oh, he hung up. An 833 number is calling. That's so weird. That's a toll-free number. I'm supposed to call a toll-free number. It's not supposed to call me. Very weird. So, that happened. Big fail. But, I guess life goes on at the Free Roll Poker Club. A place life is not going on is the Poker Stars PCA. This is one of these cases where I had the right story two years too early. More than two years too early. In late 2016, I was given a hot tip that the PCA was going to be gone after the 2017 event, meaning no PCA in 2018. In a way, I was right because they rebranded it, but that wasn't what I reported. I reported that it was just going to be done because the numbers were declining and that... Uh, they, I figured that it just wasn't viable anymore because 
the people who were typically going to it in the past were American players on Poker Stars. And since Americans haven't been, been able to play on Poker Stars for eight years, or I guess back then it was five and a half years, that it made sense that they just wouldn't have it anymore. Because every year the numbers were declining. And if you think about it, the Bahamas are not a very convenient location for people outside the U.S. The Bahamas are, are pretty close to the U.S., the southeastern U.S. So, so for people in Europe, it's just not easy to get there. People farther than Europe, like Australia, it's really far to get there. So I reported that it's going to be ended after the 2017 event. Eric Holreiser, the PokerStars marketing director, had to clarify on a PokerStars conference call that despite what Todd Wittellis was saying, that it is not true, that they are not going anywhere, that the PCA is continuing. That's what they said in 2017, that uh, my, or late 2016, that my rumor I was talking about was incorrect. Indeed, they did return to the Bahamas in 2018 with a different name, but it was basically the same event. And it actually did have a successful 2019 event when they gave away some 25K packages to some people in poker who were well-liked, such as Kev Math and Linda Johnson. And they actually gave it to a third person who appeared in a viral video of getting a World Series of Poker buy-in from his wife for his birthday and him crying about it. Like crying tears of joy. So he got a... Joey Ingram managed to get him a buy-in too. And I think they also gave Joey one as well. And Poker Stars really got a lot of credit for that. They've been taking a lot of heat for their player-unfriendly decisions, but that one everyone loved and it didn't cost them that much from a marketing standpoint as far as how much they spent versus how big the company is and how much they make. So it kind of seemed like the PCA may have gotten new life after the 2019 event. But there were still a lot of complaints from players of why are you still having it here if it's not in the U.S.? Or you don't have U.S. players. Yes, the U.S. players can come play it, but the, the, if you're trying to gear this towards your own players on Poker Stars, why are you holding it in a location that's far from every single one of your players? And Poker Stars couldn't really answer that. The answer is pretty much, well, we've just always been here. The PCA began in 2004, and at the time it was very groundbreaking. In early 2004, there were not tournaments all over the world. It was not common to have tournaments on an island where people could play poker but then also do the beach-like activities that are usually associated with uh, islands that are aimed at tourists. They called it the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure for that reason. It wasn't just a tournament. It was a Caribbean adventure, and it was held on at the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. The attendance there was actually... It, it skewed very young, because poker players online were very young in 2004. This was just as the poker boom was getting going. And a lot of young people had deposited to PokerStars, and a lot of people won their way in through satellites. 
the PCA at the time also had a lot of big cash games that went on. It was really a big thing that people went to every year. People used to ask me, why didn't you go here? Like people were asking, why are they not seeing me there? They expected to see me because it was really a big event. If you were a prominent player on PokerStars, why weren't you at the PCA? A lot of people were. I never went. And the re- reason I didn't go is because, uh, believe it or not, I kind of felt too old. I kind of felt like this was aimed more at young people. It was almost like a summer camp feeling. Like, uh, uh, in, in fact, you only had to be 18 to play there. And there were just a lot of kids there. This is really their first trip by themselves. And I heard complaints from people. There's a lot of annoying kids there. Kids mean like of that age, not like little children. But uh, a lot of young people acting like young people. And it was an environment at the age of my early 30s, early to mid-30s, that I just didn't really want to be in. I also heard that the staff at the Atlantis Resort didn't treat people very well during that week because they uh, they were basically tired of the young Americans coming in there and acting that way. So they uh, pretty much everybody got bad service. I heard those complaints. I heard that the water was surprisingly cold in the Bahamas in January. People hear Caribbean and picture that uh, it's going to be warm water. Like, for example, Jamaica, the water in the winter is like 84 degrees, which is beautiful. But I heard that it, in the Bahamas in January, the water is actually kind of cold. So uh, people had complained about that. that they, they expected the water to be nice, warm and nice. And they're like, oh, this is, it wasn't like so cold you couldn't get in, but it wasn't like what you expect going to the Bahamas. That was actually another thing that kind of dissuaded me from going. The food is ridiculously expensive there, just crazy expensive. So even if you get a free room by winning, like, satelliting in or something, which is another problem. I didn't satellite in. I didn't play the satellites. But the, you're going to spend a, a fortune on food. So all these things combined, I just said, you know, it's just not that appealing to me. I, I kind of don't want to just be here with a bunch of young douchebags who are, it's like their first time away from home. So I, I didn't go. And I, I don't regret it. But this was a very big deal until the tournament scene exploded and there were so many tournaments everywhere that this became less and less relevant and then it really took a hit after 2011 when Black Friday hit and Americans were no longer allowed on PokerStars. And then it just became a headache for everyone to travel there because most of the players on PokerStars or all the players on PokerStars were very far from there. The PCA was actually the place where genocide was first spotted. The first time there was ever attention on genocide was at the PCA. A very young genocide who was not even 21 yet, but was old enough to play at the PCA. She was only, uh, I I think, uh, 19 at the time. In the 2004 PCA, she showed up there, and I think she played the main event, and there was a lot of interest in her. Like, who's this pretty young girl that's playing? Who is this? And there were a lot of pictures of her taken and posted on the official PokerStars blog saying that a lot of people are asking about her, and her name is Jennifer Lee, also known as Genocide. That was the introduction of the poker community to Genocide, or maybe the other way around, Genocide to the poker community. She was, genocide was kind of created at the PCA in a way. 
that was also where she met John D'Agostino, who she went out with for some months. And uh, there is an interesting little uh, love triangle that occurred where John heard that uh, from a friend that genocide thought he was cute and he was very flattered that uh, genocide thought this of him especially given what a sensation genocide had become on poker stars so she was he was like oh sweet she thinks i'm cute the problem is he had he already had a girlfriend that was much older than him in fact his girlfriend was uh, i think like 12 years older than him something like that and while he, he seemed to like his girlfriend just fine he just you know, to him, she wasn't genocide. Genocide was younger and hotter. So he dumped the older girlfriend, who was a... She was an Atlantic City regular. John was from that area, too, in the Atlantic City area. So he dumped that girlfriend, and he started going out with genocide. And... Not that long after that, I actually played with his ex-girlfriend, who was my age, at the Bellagio. We play, we ended up like in a three-handed game. She actually ended up winning there. She she did very well. But I talked to her there, and we got along pretty well. And then there was uh, the David Williams thing came out, not not what you're thinking of, not the feet stuff, that came a little bit later the The thing that came out then about David Williams was from me, that I had seen David Williams kissing the girl who played the, Mat- the Matador's daughter in the ESPN drama Tilt, the poker drama Tilt which some of you may remember from 2005 I had posted about uh, about that and uh the, I guess she was friends with David Williams And David said I don't know who this Dan Druff guy is But uh, if you could get him to take that down Because I'm actually cheating on my girlfriend With uh, with this girl from Tilt And I, I don't want this out there So I was talked into taking it down By The girl you know, I got a message on Neverwin Poker Saying, hey, I'm the one who just played with you yesterday. I was the female who just played with you. Can you please take this down? David Williams asked me if I could ask you. So I took it down. And for the moment, David Williams really liked me for doing that. Until the foot fetish stuff came up. <laughs> from The porn video he was in and uh, on Neverwin Poker. And that we did not take down. And then David Williams did not like me. But anyway, she stuck around on Neverwin Poker. She posted there as silence. For those of you that were in this community back then. She doesn't post on Poker Fraud Alert. And I don't think she even plays poker anymore. But uh, I was friends with her at the time. I got to be friends with her. And I remember she was telling me that uh, she's still friends with John D'Agostino. And that he's not happy with genocide. That he finds her annoying and immature. And he kind of wants to break up with her. But she's really into him. And he he, he wants to give her a chance. But at the same time she's kind of just getting on his nerves. So she still really had a big thing for John. Silence, that is. It was really with Marie Elena. And Marie Elena kept telling me, you know, I, I'm thinking of getting back together with John if, if he dumps genocide. And I said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. He, he's, he's way younger than you. He's, he's only in his early 20s. 
you're in your mid thirties. Uh, it's it's you're in different places in life, and the the fact that he just left you for her when she showed interest in him that, that should show he doesn't have the maturity to really be in a serious relationship at this point. And uh, I, I think you should date someone your own age. <laughs> and I, I I wasn't. I wasn't looking to date her. Like this wasn't a pitch for myself. Even though I was her age, I wasn't looking to date her. I was, I, in fact, I, I was with someone at the time. I was just giving her my true advice that I thought was the right advice to give. But there was no getting through to her. She just was still obsessed with John, and she uh, was just waiting for him to dump genocide, and was really getting the idea it's going to happen. In fact, she kind of hastened it by. Uh, Encouraging him to dump her, like say, "Oh, come on, you don't want to stay with that dumb bitch." You know, she's so shallow, she's so stupid. Like, yeah, she was just trashing her as much as she could to John, so John would think even worse of her, and it worked. So John eventually dumped genocide. He got sick of her and dumped her, and then he went right back to Maria Elena, and then they never broke up. They're still together today, and they have two kids together. So I guess it's a success story. I guess I guess I was wrong. I guess I guess it did work. Usually it's not a good idea. Usually it's not a good idea for a woman in her mid-30s to chase after a guy in his early 20s, especially after he already dumped you for a younger girl that's his own age. That's Usually it's time to walk away then, but I, I guess somehow she made it work because all these years later they're together and they have two kids and they're married. And uh, I don't really talk to either of them anymore. But anyway, I, I know I got on a tangent here, but that's where genocide was first discovered from a poker standpoint. But back to the PCA... PokerStars has confirmed that after 16 years of the stop from uh, 04 to 19 that they are entering, that, that they're ending it. And they basically stated the reason I stated back in 2016. That the PCA has been losing momentum and there's been increasing player criticism of the location. As such, we will not be returning to Paradise Island in 2020. So that's the end. It's over. It actually began, you know, I, I was a little bit wrong on the date. Um, the genocide one was in 2005, but it did begin in 2004. In January, on a cruise ship. And Gus Hansen actually won that one. Then the next year, they went to Atlantis in the Bahamas, where it's been ever since. From uh, 2005 through 2019. It was rebranded for one year to the Poker Stars Championship Bahamas in 2017, which is where I got my semi-incorrect information. I had heard that the last year is going to be 2017. They're just ending it like they are now. The truth was that they were changing the name in 2017. So there was a change coming up, but I didn't get the details right. But I went on a tip. The tip was partially wrong. That's what happens with tips sometimes. So that's the end. Makes sense. It's kind of a thing that didn't really have relevance anymore. It's one of these things that was once cool, was once innovative, was once interesting, was once unique. And now it's just one of many, many tournament series and one that was inconveniently located for most of the people playing it. So why keep it just because it was a thing that it was always there? So that is that. And presumably they're going to be just replacing it with some other tournament series. 
and uh, I understand all things have to come to an end. That, that's what I thought back in late 2016, to be honest. I, I thought it had run its course then. So it had a little more time. Trader Risky, are you still with us? I am, but I'm making the tea. Uh-oh. Tea time. Um, how did the Atlantis turn out with the hurricane, by the way? Do you know? That is a good question. I know I don't know. And the article I'm reading about this doesn't mention the hurricane. I, I didn't even think about that. I got a call from this 833 person. Um, how do they even have an 833 number? I, isn't 833 toll free? Yeah, it is. Well, he, he could have put in a – it is, but he could have put – sometimes I get, when I, I get calls from there from like Wells Fargo or customer no, no, no. service, probably even a couple scam calls too. No, no, but this person's texting me now, so it's a real number. He says, sorry about that drop. It wasn't supposed to dial you. I wouldn't have called during a segment to interrupt. Yes, it's a toll-free number calling you. It wasn't your imagination. What the heck? This guy has a toll-free number? Why? If you're still listening here, 833 number, text me why you have a toll-free number. Like, I can understand a toll-free number for calling in, but for calling out? I, I know you can show anything with your caller ID on certain phone systems, so maybe you're calling from a business that just shows that. that that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Because that, that's something that some of you may not know. The caller ID is not true. Yeah, he says for my business. Okay, I got it right. Caller ID is not true. It is uh, basically just transmitted by your telephone switching equipment. So if you're using a cell phone, then it's going to be true because your cell phone, it, it, it's sent by the carrier. It's, it's, it's sent by the cell phone carrier to... Uh, to, to whoever's calling and the cell phone carrier is not going to spoof it for you. And same with like a home phone. But but if you have your own voice over IP system that completes calls, you can actually just send whatever call your ID you want. And that's how those caller ID spoofers work. And that's a flaw in the design of caller ID, which was designed back in the 80s. And that's why it doesn't have better security. And that's what allows these scammers to falsify phone numbers and to be supposedly calling you from a number that uh, looks like it's in the U.S. when it's not, or even to scam, or, or even to simulate calling from numbers that you would trust. So, okay. The, the person just told me what this 833 number spells, which is interesting, but I don't know if he wants me to say it, so he probably doesn't want me to. I, I kind of know who it is now, but I'm not uh, if he can text, the thing is, it's not just false caller ID because he, he's able to text from it. So this really is a number that uh, can be used in and out. No, he doesn't want me to reveal it. Okay, I won't. See, I'm I'm courteous about your personal information. Uh, someone from 507 texted, I think you don't see anybody at that Live at the Bike game complaining because they know that in that cash game, Helmuth and Mattisau are the weaker players. Most of the people complaining seem to be people who aren't in that game. Yeah, possibly. Uh, Helmuth is wrongly thought to be a strong cash player by some people. He's not. And I, I believe with Mattisau and Helmuth, both of them are not, uh, cash games are not their forte. And it it tends to be more that the good tournament players are bad cash players than the other way around. But it is true that there are some good cash players that are very mediocre tournament players that just can't really do much. 
uh, in tournaments. They just they have a different mindset. And uh, Helmuth obviously has a lot of talent tournament wise, and and Mattisau I, I I believe still does. If you look at uh, his results, you can't say he's a fish, but maybe in cash, uh, especially at no limit holding, maybe he's not as good in cash. I know Mattisau is pretty good at 08, but that's a pretty big distance from no limit holding. A weird embezzlement story has come out from Goldman Sachs India that appears to have an online poker connection but I'm not sure I'm not sure if the way it's being reported is correct here's this uh, odd story with this embezzlement situation which I'm only talking about here because of the online poker connection and it's it's weird to say the least. So Goldman Sachs India, which I, I didn't realize was a thing. I knew Goldman Sachs, but I didn't know they had a headquarters in India too. But there's a Goldman Sachs office in Bengaluru, India, and they have arrested an employee there. It's very hard to pronounce his name. It's Ashwani Junjuwala, I think. Junjunwala. That's it. Aswani Junjinwala was arrested on September 9th after embezzling a very large sum of money from there. The amount that was embezzled was $1 million. Times 5.3. $5.3 million, or $5.4 million, was embezzled. And supposedly, according to Indian News, $70,000 of that was to go to an online poker debt. Junjanwala did this by using the computer of three people who worked for him. He found excuses to send them away. He said, uh, hey, I am very hungry right now. Can you go get uh, some chicken with curry for me? Okay, I'm being very racist here, but... He would send them to go get food or things like that. And these were people who worked for him, so they went and did it. And then he would go on their computer and use their computer to embezzle the money. Because these were uh, the, the computers they were using had access to transfer funds around. So he did this to all three different employees. I, I don't know why he thought this wasn't going to come back to him. Like, these are people who work for him that would have denied it. And they're like, okay, well, who had access to their computer? And they, they figured it out pretty quickly. Pretty dumb scheme. But he sent, uh, with three different transfers, one from each employee after sending them away for, on errands, he sent it to uh, Hong Kong. And then uh, the reason this was caught was that the three of them were, were talking with each other and going, this is kind of weird that, uh, like, why, why does he keep finding, like, excuses to send us away? And then they uh, they figured out that something weird is going on, and they checked their computers and realized that these transactions had been done, which they knew they didn't do, and they went and reported it. 
this was caught so quickly that the money actually wasn't embezzled. It was returned. They actually were able to stop the transfer. That's how quickly it was caught. Now, he wasn't acting alone. There was uh, another person involved named Vedant Rungta, who had already been fired. And that somehow he was involved in this scheme too, at least in the planning of it. Junjungwala was in debt and feeling the pressure to pay his debts. And supposedly one of those debts was $70,000 worth of online poker debt. So he did this embezzlement. Now, some people are wondering, as I am, why would you embezzle $5.4 million, which is much more likely to get caught, if you only need 70000 to pay an online poker debt? Well, first of all, he, he may have other debts that he had to pay, but still, 70000 to $5.4 million. Was he really $5.4 million in debt? That's a lot for one individual to get into debt who didn't ever have that type of money. It's not like the guy was once really rich and is that much in debt. This is, how does a guy who didn't have that much money get in debt that much? Like, like most people, no matter how much they tried, could not get $5.4 million in debt. They just wouldn't be granted that much credit. But let's look at the online poker part. Trader Ruski, if you wanted, could you get an online poker site to allow you to play up to $70,000 on credit? That would be, you'd have to be there a long time and have played a lot. I don't think walking in. I can't even imagine. I, I couldn't do it. I, I can't think of any time I could have gotten that kind of uh, credit. Uh, it's, it's very hard to get credit. And, yeah, but I would think you can't get any credit. Right. And, and, and But, uh, you yeah, you couldn't get any credit. And, like, what does this mean? Like, uh, maybe you could make some electronic fund transfers you can't cover. And then get that there, but uh, well, why did he feel this impress this intense pressure to pay? Like, which sites were these, and why 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 was it better to commit embezzlement in his own country, as his own employer, rather than just not pay the online poker sites who gave him this these this credit? So I think this wasn't something like Bovada he was playing on. I think he was playing on one of these underground sites, and probably someone extended him the credit, and he was probably a big fish. And he probably portrayed that he had a lot more money than he did. And they probably gave him, and maybe it was more than 70000 Maybe Maybe it was uh, a lot more than that, and maybe that's why he stole so much. But uh, even for 70000 they gave him this much credit because he was a fish and they wanted him to keep dumping money there, and he convinced them he was good for it, and then he really wasn't. And he, he, he figured he wasn't a fish and he was going to win it back, and then when he didn't, he's like, oh, crap, what do I do now? And maybe he was afraid of the person who gave him the credit. Maybe he's afraid they're going to hurt him if he doesn't pay because he lied to them to get the credit. So maybe that is what... Now, this is just speculating. This is not mentioned there, but maybe that's how this happened, is it was some kind of underground thing, kind of like these PP poker sites, where they sometimes will give people credit. In fact, that's sometimes how these PP poker sites go down, is not because they're initially conceived as scams, but sometimes they give credit to fish who claim they have the money and either don't really have what they claim or just refuse to pay. Uh... He had tried to get a bank loan, and in fact was successful once, back in July. And then he also borrowed some money from this accomplice of his, 
And then the accomplice said, hey, you know, instead of borrowing money from me, uh, you still work there and I don't. Why don't we just steal? He's like, ah, steal? I didn't think of that. As far as I know, there's not further updates about which site this was, how he got $70,000 credit, where the rest of the money was supposed to go, why embezzled $5.4 million if you're only owing 70000 It could have been one of these things where he was going to embezzle it and then just vanish if it was successful. Remember, this it's not like he got away with it and kept working. This was stopped before it went through. So maybe that was the plan. It's embezzle $5.4 million, split it with the accomplice, and say, okay, I've got $2.7 million. I can live on this, especially in India. I'm just going to run and disappear somewhere, maybe even leave the country. And maybe he felt that he created kind of the perfect plan to get the 70 k and they would never have caught it if the guys didn't figure it out when they sent him away. Yeah, but why, why $5.4 million instead of 70 well, because if Well, because once he found the loophole – He's like, well, fuck, you know, it's billions of dollars. <laughs> if I take 5.4 million, they yeah, maybe that was the, the thinking like, okay, I'm either going to get caught or not caught. So I might as well go big. Yeah, go big. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> maybe that was the solution. And maybe it was, he was going to, if, if, if it was successful, he's just going to disappear. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe there really only was 70,000 in debt. But he's like, oh, I do not want to be working here anymore. and always be in debt. I, I want to take it and I want to get on my carpet and fly away. Actually, I, I think it would be. An Arab who'd get on the carpet. I don't know. We're going we're to lose a lot of yeah, different well, he could buy. He, he could come, move to Los Angeles, buy a 7-Eleven, he'd be in business. That's true. They say, uh, hey, uh, Mr. Gentinwala, uh, uh, how did you get the money to buy the 7-Eleven, right, when you get uh, – what was your job there before? Oh, I was on, I had a big on, online poker player. I went very much money in India. It was very good. Uh, so I, I used to be a Goldman Sachs employee, but I, I have – do very, very well on a poker. I, I moved to the U.S. and my dream to start a 7-Eleven. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Um, yeah, thanks for telling me the story. Hey, hey, you, you, you either need to put the magazine back or, or, or you need to buy the magazine. This is not a library. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. So I, I hope we don't have any Indian listeners. Otherwise, they're going to be mad. A lot of, a lot of uh, Indian impressions on this one. There's a lot of ethnic impressions on this one. Good thing I'm not running for office, otherwise I'd, I'd be in a lot of scandals. Okay, so... Are you going to say something, Trader Ruski? I was just going to say I have a lot of Indian friends, so oh, I uh, can say that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, let's get away from stories of, of Indians and another... Ethnic minorities, though I, they're not really an ethnic minority. There's a lot more of them than there are white people. Uh, Seth Polanski, who's not an Indian, another white guy. I think he's a white Jewish guy. Seth Polanski has revealed to Card Player Magazine something that I probably should have found out a long time ago. I, I could have emailed Seth and asked this question, and I, I never did because I just figured he wouldn't be honest about it. Not that not that he's like a liar, but I just felt like. Caesars was not ready to announce this, so he wasn't going to tell me anything special. But I probably should have, given what was revealed to Card Player, and they, they scooped the whole thing like long after I've been speculating about this, but didn't really have the answer. And that's about the World Series location in the future. As we've talked about before, they have been building the Caesars Convention Center in the Center Strip, of Las Vegas, it'll be walking distance from every Caesar's property in Vegas except for the Rio. 
So it gives you a lot of different choices to stay at Caesars Properties and be able to walk to the World Series if it moves there, as opposed to the Rio, where the only one walking distance from the World Series was the Rio, as far as Caesars Properties were concerned. And it was also off-strip, so there really were not many properties close to it, period. I announced about this convention center plans back in December 2017, and I said that I think this will be the future home of the World Series of Poker. It took eight months for Vital Vegas Poker, not Vital, Vital Vegas, not Vital Vegas Poker, Vital Vegas to jump on this story and say, hey, the World Series is going to be moving. Well, yeah, where'd that come from? I was definitely the first one to put that out there, that it's going to be the future home of the World Series. It was originally going to be called the Caesars Forum, but when some genius at Caesars said, hey, you know what? We already have a Caesars Forum. Oh, yeah, that's right. With the Forum Shops. Wow. Wow, we almost made a big mistake. Okay, it's going to be called the Caesars Convention Center. <laughs> you can laugh. That's really the way the conversation went. <laughs> they, they called it the Caesars Forum, and then they go, oops, we already have a Caesars Forum. Well, damn it. Why didn't we think of that before? So the Caesars Convention Center has been under construction. It is, last I heard, slated to be done in the spring of 2020. And when I heard that that was the case, I said, well, if it's going to be done in the spring of 2020, that means there's not going to be anywhere near the time to get it ready for the World Series of Poker. So clearly 2020 will not be the year that the World Series of Poker moves there. Mind you, the World Series of Poker would not announce that they were ever moving there. They just would not comment on it all this time, despite all the speculation that has been going on. There's also been additional speculation that the Rio is about to sell, which I keep saying is not going to happen until they have a place to move the World Series. And of course, it hasn't sold. But I did concede that, yeah, it's not going to be there in 2020 if they're just going to be done with it like a month before the World Series. So Card Player finally went to Seth Polanski, the VP of Communications for the World Series of Poker, and asked him, is it moving? And Polanski responded. He said, I can 100% confirm that the World Series of Poker will take place at the Rio in Las Vegas in 2020. He said, that's been our home for a long time. I don't understand why anyone questions that. There have been rumors on the Rio for, I don't know, I've been here 12 years and there have always been rumors that the Rio is being sold. It doesn't matter. The Rio is our home and that's where we'll be. We're not looking to hold it elsewhere. And people have to understand the convention business. You have to block out. We need 62 days blocked out to be able to hold the event. It's not easy to get 200,000 square feet of convention space. You need years in advance to do that. If, if you were to recall the early days of the Rio when we started there, we were working around other conventions going on at the same time, which is true. The World Series of Poker footprint was much smaller. It's true, and that was, it was annoying because they didn't have enough space for it, and they had to do alternates and all the other stupidity to accommodate events. They finally realized, hmm, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't hold other conventions during the World Series, and then they, they don't anymore. I didn't know they need two full months, but I guess it kind of makes sense because they have to prepare for it and also take it all down. So they need extra time beyond the seven or so weeks the event actually takes place. He said, so it's a big Jenga puzzle, all that stuff. 
things are figured out years in advance, so there was never any doubt to us that the World Series of Poker would be at Rio this year, just trying to keep the rumor mill from going nuts. Okay, so that answers 2020. That doesn't change what I've been saying, that they just uh, that's where it's going to be, and that there's a lot of time needed in advance. And he didn't say that here, but they're not going to have that time with the convention sitters. Yeah, it's coming back in the 20, in 2020, and I knew that. But then they go on about 2021. He says, the convention space is booked out. In fact, people should feel confident that the 2021 World Series will be at the Rio as well. These things are booked and resolved years in advance. I'm going to comment on that in a second. That one's not as straightforward as it sounds. Now, what if the World Series were to... Or not with the, what if Caesars were to sell the Rio? Then what would happen? Would, would Seth have to go back on what he said, that they are going to hold it there in 2021? What if it sells before 2021? I've said before that Caesars needs to have viable convention space for big conventions, which is the Rio right now. That's where you have to have a big convention if you want it at a Caesars property. There's no other room. They have convention rooms at other properties, but not enough parking, not enough space, so big conventions have to go with the Rio. So I said they're not going to sell the Rio till the Caesars Convention Center is ready. They haven't announced that's the case, but that's what I've said is the case. But once the Caesars Convention Center is ready in six months or so, might they then sell the Rio? And the answer is yes. And even Seth is not denying this, but Seth says this if they do sell the Rio. He says, if there were a new owner in place, owners can decide whether they're going to honor contracts or not, right? They can decide to allow something to happen or not and, and can decide to be embroiled in litigation or not. We have agreements with the people operating the Rio, and therefore we feel confident. So he's basically saying, hey, if the new owner refuses to honor the contract to hold the World Series there, well, we'll just sue them. I don't think they're going to want that, so I have a feeling it's going to be there. They can try to get out of it, but we've got a contract, and I don't think they're going to screw with that. I don't believe it. I'll tell you what I don't believe. I'll tell you the part he's leaving out. Now, he's not lying here, but he's leaving out something big. The, they do have a, quote, contract with the Rio to cover their ass. Even though, like, why, why would you have a contract with yourself? I don't think Trader Ruski, I know you're a businessman. Have you ever signed a contract with yourself? Maybe. Oh, go, go ahead. Uh oh. Sorry, Grant. Oh, can you hear me now? Sorry. I, th- um, I, th- I thought you got back on and were like, like sleeping. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were like sleep <laughs> answering here. Now my phone's acting funny, but I have not. Yeah. So why would why would the Rio, which is fully owned by Caesars, why why would they need a contract with uh, the World Series of Poker as far as holding it there? Why? Why do they have to agree with themselves to hold it? Well, it's, it's exactly because of a possible sale that they want that in place. So therefore, the new buyer has to assume that contract and have it there if Caesar so desires. But what he's not saying here is that it may not be a two-way contract to where it has to occur there. It could be a one-way contract where the Rio is agreeing to hold it there unless the World Series of Poker determines otherwise and would like to hold it somewhere else. So the World Series of Poker can cancel, but the Rio can't. I'm not saying that's what the contract says. I've never seen the contract. 
but it could say that. And it would make sense to say that because this would protect Caesars. What do I mean? Well, think about it. Let's say they complete the convention center in April 2020. And then they put the Rio up for sale. And then the Rio sells in March 2021. Uh Uh-oh. Then in May of 2021, the World Series of Poker is coming. So how do they get everything ready so quickly at the Caesars Convention Center or even clear out the space that they may have sold to other conventions to move the World Series there so quickly? Well, they can't. That wouldn't be possible. So what do they do? What do they do? Well, they have a backup. They have a backup that if the Rio sells at an inconvenient time for the World Series, that the World Series can take place there anyway because they have to assume the contract when they buy it. But what if the World Series of Poker doesn't want to be there anymore? What if they? What if it sells, say, in uh, September of 2020? And they have plenty of time to prepare between September and May of 2021 to get the Caesars Convention Center ready and book the space. Well, then they probably will not want it at the Rio with a different owner. Why? Because, number one, they would have to pay this other owner instead of paying themselves for the space. So that's a problem. They've already got a new expense they didn't have before. They have to lease the space from the owner for two months. Number two, the owner will derive all the benefit from all those players coming in. All the hotel stays, all the food eaten, all the gambling that's done outside of the poker. All of those benefits that Caesars gets out of all these gamblers coming to Vegas to their property, to the Rio, to play the World Series of Poker, all those benefits they get, these side benefits of having the World Series there, will all be derived by another company, by the competition. And I can't see... Caesars wanting the competition to derive these benefits unless they have no other choice. So I do not believe, and notice that Seth is not saying it's going to be here for the next 10 years, that we're going to have a long contract with them, and that uh, even if it's a different owner, it's going to be there for the next whatever number of years. He's just saying it'll be there 2020 and 2021. Basically, we're booking it two years out just in case it sells. I think it's what he's saying just to cover our own asses if it sells and we have nowhere else to put it. Therefore, we can force the new owners to lease us the space. But we only need to do two years because if, if it sells at an inconvenient time, then we have it one more year at the Rio and then we'll have time to move it to the, to the, the next year. Totally makes sense. So it totally makes sense why he's saying it's booked through 2021. And Seth probably knows there's no sale at the moment in line for the Rio. So he thinks it's very possible that a sale would not be completed in time for 2021's World Series. Which sounds kind of strange to be saying in, in 2019. But it, it's keep in mind, they're not going to sell it until the convention center's ready. So we're already into mid-2020. And then they have to find a buyer and it has to go through. So they, it probably they they won't have time. So... I do think he's telling the truth that we can. there's a good chance we can expect the, the Rio to be the home of the World Series of Poker in 2020 and 2021, but not for the reasons he's saying. But if the Rio does sell earlier than expected, then I think there's a good chance they move it for 2021. Provided that the contract is two ways. Also, something about the contract is, even if it's not two ways, 
they can void the contract before the sale. Remember, the contracts are themselves. They can, with both sides agreeing to void a contract, you can always void a contract. Right. And I was going to say they probably put an out in there so they can have a reduced cancellation yeah. fee or penalty, if any. Yeah, it's with themselves, so why not? <laughs> you can put anything exactly. There. Now, th- and that's probably why they didn't sign it only two years out, too, because they could have just put in a ten-year deal that said we can cancel whenever we want, and then it's their option. But then that probably would have been seen as not really kosher. Yeah, like it could affect the buyer. The buyer said, "We don't want to get into this. We don't. We don't want you here for the next ten years." So they probably put it two years just to give themselves always a place to be, no matter what, no matter when it sells. And and that's probably what's there. Now, what this did say, however, is that it's possible that their view of where they want the World Series to be. Right? Actually, I, before I get to that, I should read you something else he said. He said, uh, the reality is we're not the most lucrative business by any stretch to be tied up in a convention center space for 60 days. When you look at the economics of the business, having three, four days convention in and out all the time is a better model for the operator of these venues. So the, 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 the forum, he means the convention center, he's using the old name, was never a realistic choice for us. And he says, we love the Rio. It's off strip. It has easy parking, easy in and out access. It's away from the congestion. We've been operating there for a long time. I have a good team in place. It's not easy to set up and put an event of this magnitude. People sort of overlook the logistical challenges of the infrastructure of things, uh, like the trussing and all those things that, that are in place, the wiring for the surveillance cameras, all the stuff, that, the retrofitting that's been done at the Rio Convention Center to accommodate our event. It should not be discounted in the terms of how meaningful it is to get that in regards of setup time and those sorts of things. What it sounds like he's saying here is that we're happy with it at the Rio as long as we still have the Rio. So if we continue owning the Rio for, let's say, the next five years for whatever reason, then we're not going to move it. We're not going to move it to the Caesars Convention Center at the first opportunity. Like I thought they were going to, but now I'm believing they're not going to. Now I believe they will move it only after the Rio sells. It sounds like what he's saying is, Caesars can make more money selling short conventions for this new convention center. And they don't want to hog up the space in the Caesars convention center if they don't have to. That they're, the convention business is good enough that they would rather use it for other things and just leave it at the Rio where it's basically working. I think he's saying, look, we, we get such good numbers, people coming to the Rio, why change anything? Why not hold it at the cheaper place? Why not hold it where it's always worked, people are used to it? It's not like someone's going to say, oh, why is it at the Rio? Well, because it's been at the Rio since 05. So people are used to it. They can hold it cheaper over there. They've already got everything in place. It's easy to set up and, and take down because they, they've already retrofitted it in ways that, for how they need it. And he's saying, we don't want to hassle with all that with the convention center if we don't have to. Now, what he's not saying here, but I think is probably the truth, is that they are going to try to shop the Rio and get rid of it once the convention center is done. And at that point, then they're going to have to move it there. So what this changes for me is, number one, I think it's likely it'll be there in 2021 also at the Rio. And number two, that it may there be there beyond that, that they would only move to the convention center because they have to, not because they want to. I used to think that they can't wait to get out of the Rio and move it to the convention center. Now I'm thinking, no, they actually want to keep it at the Rio as long as they still can, as long as they still own it. That's 
what I think is the real answer. And if you read on this card player article, if you read his answers real carefully, you can kind of figure that out. You'll see what he says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't say it's going to be there all through the 2020s. He doesn't say that, uh, you know, because I don't think they want it to be at another company's property. He doesn't say the Rio won't be sold. That's important. That's an important omission. He doesn't say, oh, no, we're not trying to sell the Rio. He did say, oh, I've been hearing rumors about the Rio sales since I've been here. But he has not said, we're not trying to sell it. That's because they probably are. Just not right now. Another indication that the Rio will probably be sold is the very, very minimal money they are putting into the Rio itself. The maintenance, very, very low grade. They've actually cut staff. There's barely any maintenance men there. I have had maintenance men there actually complain to me about that. You'll see holes in the walls, uh, broken elevator buttons, uh, things like that. You will see a lot of little maintenance issues that you could tell if they cared about the property for the long term that they would fix. They also have taken away everything interesting in the property to where it's really just in a holding pattern. It's got the basic structure to stay open, but nothing interesting anymore. No more show in the sky. Uh, really not much of interest over there other than a few shows like Penn and Teller. They don't have much of interest. They've, they've taken everything away. And they've even stopped the whole thing with trying to brand it as like a locals place. They just It really seems like it's just left in a holding pattern. They're not renovating anything. They're just they're leaving it in a holding pattern because they think there's a very decent possibility that they're going to sell, and then the buyer's just going to wreck it. So why spend money on renovating if the buyer's going to blow it up and wreck it? If, if you can blow it up and wreck it, the, the renovation does not have any value for the buyer. So it seems like they're just keeping it in a holding pattern where it's just barely functional. And I think if they plan to keep this long-term, that they would be working a lot more on it. And keep in mind, they're working on a lot of their other properties that are older. They've been working on Flamingo, on Harrah's, on The Link, even on Caesars, they, they renovated everything. So there's, there's lots of renovation going on at Caesars properties in Las Vegas. But not Rio. And often in these types of situations, you need to more figure out what is there from what isn't there. Figure it out. Figure out the truth from what they're not saying and what they're not doing. So that's what I think the truth is here. Not quite what Seth said. Close, but not quite what he said. In a nutshell, the Rio will be the home of the World Series in 2020, will probably be the home of it in 2021, and will probably be the home of the World Series for as long as the Rio is owned by Caesars. And when it's not owned by Caesars, if if the sale completes with enough months away from the World Series of Poker taking place, then it will move. Otherwise, it'll be there one more year and then move. That's what you can expect. Which means... I will have another shot to come back to Smashburger at the Rio and see if it's improved. And I will, too. 
And I will report back next year if Smashburger has improved since I got the night manager fired. I bet it has. I mean, it couldn't be worse. It was it was really awful. They, Smashburger admitted this was one of their worst performing locations at night in the entire country when it comes to customer satisfaction. He said it was one of the absolute leaders in complaints in the entire country. And, and the, 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 the manager actually said he's never seen anything like this, actually, of all the ones he's, he's been involved with managing or overseeing the management, and that he was specifically brought in to take care of the night problem there. So I was a small part of that. Actually, I'm more than small. I was a large part of that. They should have paid me for this to to make the final complaint to fire the toxic manager who had been a big part of it being a fail there at night. Because that's what they needed. They were they they didn't want to terminate her without like a real just cause that they could point to in court. So here was like a totally un unbiased, unrelated to them party who's like coming in and is going to write them a whole statement about how terrible it was and how he got mistreated by her. Like, a, I'm just gifting them a way to fire her, which is fine. She deserved it. But like, they, this is exactly what they wanted. They must have been jumping for joy when I came around. Like, we, we want to fire her. She's going to sue us. We're worried. And then, oh, my God, a gift from heaven, a Jewish gift from heaven. Not only with a complaint that's valid, but also he's willing to write the whole thing up very clearly. (laughs) So I will be able to revisit that next year. How do I feel? You probably want to know that before I end the segment. How do I feel about it continuing at the Rio? I have mixed feelings. I hate some things about the Rio. I hate the fact that it's isolated from the rest of the strip. And if I I have to drive to the strip and deal with traffic if I want to go there. I hate the fact that it's kind of run down. I hate the fact that the food choices suck big time. But what I like about it are that I know it really, really well and don't have to learn anything new as far as the logistics of the event. There's just certain things I've learned, certain tricks I know that would be gone if it were to move. So there's a certain familiarity there. That makes me kind of feel like I'm playing on my home court when I uh, when I go to the Rio to play the World Series of Poker. And even little things like knowing which bathrooms to go to when there's a huge field event and uh, knowing exactly which rooms to stay in, knowing which restaurants to go to at certain times and not at certain times. Just little things like that that you get to know when you go to a property so much. So those are the good and the bad. All right, moving on to our next topic here. I think we're getting close to the end here. The chat room, referring to Mike Mattisau, I Am Greek says, it was just Mike being Mike. I see that his medical history could have played a role. He probably realized the error as soon as the words left his mouth. Yeah. I can understand that. Let's see if we've got any more texts. No. I keep thinking it's Thursday. I keep thinking like tomorrow's Friday. And it's not. It's actually Thursday with tomorrow being Saturday. Friday with tomorrow being Saturday, not Thursday. MGM 
may also sell some properties, but much sooner than Caesars would sell the Rio. MGM may be selling the Bellagio and its namesake MGM Grand very soon. There actually might be a sale. But it's not as shocking as you might think. If this were a bigger deal, then I would have made this one of the top stories. But it was not. The time we spent discussing Bill Reaney probably would have been less, and there probably would have been more discussion of the Bellagio sale and what this means and who's going to own it and what, how it will operate compared to the way the current Bellagio operates. But the reason we're not making this a major topic, and it's only going to be a, a short topic and a short discussion, is that the average Vegas visitor will not be able to tell that a sale took place because it's still going to be managed by MGM and it will still be an M-Life property in both cases. So there's been several news outlets, including the Las Vegas Review-Journal, reporting that the Bellagio and MGM Grand are up for sale in order to raise cash for an international expansion that MGM wants to do. But they're not ready to let these properties go from an operational standpoint. They still want to reap all the profits that these properties bring. They just are willing to give up the actual land and the buildings. And this is something Caesars did in a different form which we'll get to shortly. So for the typical visitor, if these sales go through, their M-Life card will still work at Bellagio and MGM Grand. There won't appear to be a new owner. It'll still be an MGM property. Everything will be the same. All they're doing is selling the real estate and then leasing it back. And that would be built into the agreement. So it would have to be done. They they wouldn't have to beg the new owner to lease it back to them. It would have to be leased back to them as part of the terms of the sale. There's a current uh, discussion back and forth between MGM and Blackstone Group, Inc., with Blackstone being interested in perhaps uh, buying it. And uh, then, uh, see, this is what I'm not understanding. I'm, I'm reading this article from the Review Journal. I paused for a second because it says that they're talking in advanced talks with Blackstone Group to do a sale leaseback. But then, if it does sell, that the properties would go to MGM Growth Properties, the company's affiliate. Real estate trust. So that would be more that Caesars is doing. See, Caesars sold its Vegas properties to Vici Properties. And the reason that doesn't really matter is because that's them. That's one of their subsidiaries. So, it's, again, it's kind, of, it's kind of a trick there. This is uh, – at first I thought they were really selling it to – and maybe they are – to this Blackstone Inc. and then just leasing it back. But then – they may not be. I just I don't understand because the Blackstone Group does not seem to be associated with MGM. That's a New York City-based investment firm. 
So I don't understand. Is it? It's, are they selling it to their own growth properties, or are they selling it to the Blackstone Group? I'm not sure. This is really weird. But uh, the reason they would be doing this would be to free cash flow, and they're hoping also to increase the value of the shares. Then they're hoping that they can take that cash and invest it internationally. Believe it or not, they think they might be able to get a property in Japan that toward uh, a gambling property in Japan. They're trying to get a gambling license in Japan, which is tough to get. But they, they're they making that attempt, and they're hoping that if they do get that, then they'll have enough money to build this new casino in Japan or anywhere else they may want to expand. They also think that just in case there's another recession coming, that they're, they'll have more cash on hand to weather that storm. So regardless of who they're selling it to, whether it's themselves or Blackstone, that they are looking to sell it. The Blackstone Group actually owns the Cosmo. Now, some of you have heard about the Circus Circus sale. And at first this was just being posted on Vital Vegas and they posted a lot of BS, so I didn't really take it seriously. But the Las Vegas Review-Journal has revealed that an anonymous source sent them documents dated July 19th, or July 2019, not July 19th, July 2019, that showed it was for sale. And it doesn't mean there has been a sale yet, but that it was for sale, provided those documents were authentic. MGM won't comment on whether they're authentic or not. Circus Circus was built, I believe, in 1968. And it's estimated to be worth almost a billion dollars. It's actually been making more and more money each year. And it's been doing the best, at least as far as growth is concerned, in the last few years out of MGM's properties in Vegas. But there's thought that they may want to get rid of Circus Circus because it doesn't really fit in with its other properties. They don't even make it an M-Life property. And it's kind of a lower-end type place that they don't even want to say is one of theirs directly. So they may just want to get rid of it. But it has been making a lot of money. I can tell you it's always crowded. Benjamin likes to go there and play those games, but boy is it jammed there when we take him there. Just wall-to-wall people. It's kind of hard to walk there. It's kind of ghetto, to be honest. Like the people you see there, it's it's, it's really kind of a ghetto destination. And I'm not saying this from any uh, racial standpoint. It's a ghetto destination for all races. But it makes a lot of money. A lot of families love it. It's It actually is a very popular destination for uh, lower middle class people. And just because the people are lower middle class doesn't mean that they don't spend money there. They do. And there's a lot of them who spend money there. 
also they are considering selling it because Resorts World is being built and uh, they think this could make its value higher than ever that someone may want to wreck Circus Circus and build something else there that the North Strip which was once considered a has-been might be very relevant again once Resort World opens and that maybe some companies want to buy a, a property with a, a large lot like Circus Circus and, and build something there and have it ready not too long after Resorts World opens. So that actually might happen. A sale of Circus Circus. But uh, others believe that that's not even true, that it hasn't been sold. And that's it's not even really for sale. And the reason is that if it was for sale, some say that they wouldn't be hiding it because of the perceived increased value in that area in recent times and because it does have a strong cash flow that you would think that they would be very open about the fact that they're selling it. It wouldn't be a secret. So we'll see. That's actually more of an interesting development than the sale of the land of Bellagio and MGM. The land and the building, I guess. Trader Risk, are you still with us? We're almost done here. I am. Did you go to Circus Circus when you were a kid? My first trip to Vegas was, I think, 21 or 22. Oh, okay. So, nope. I did. I, I went there in the 70s. My parents actually used to stay there. It actually wasn't that bad of a place back then. It wasn't run down like it is today. But uh, I remember staying there in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, and I loved the games there that you can play to win stuffed animals and watching the little circus acts they do there. It seemed like a really cool place. And then when my parents stopped going there in the 80s, they're like, oh, why are we not going to Circus Circus anymore? And my dad's saying, Circus Circus has become crap. We're not going there anymore. And then they, they take me there sometimes just to play. But then I got too old anyway to really be interested. But that uh, I still remember when we'd stay there. That's where we would go. And... Uh, I I really enjoyed the place. And I will say there's a lot of things that are like identical to how they were 40 years ago. Like I, there's some things I have clear memory of being just exactly the same way in that gaming area at least. I guess some of these things are timeless. All right, final topic. A lawsuit has been filed against Kevin Hart by a woman for making an unauthorized sex tape of her at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Kevin Hart, who recently had a bad accident that left him with a bad back injury. He actually said that uh, he can't even believe he's alive after that car crash. 
He finally just came back home like a day ago. Uh, the picture of the car wreck looks pretty damn bad if you've seen it on TMZ. And he uh, he's still having a lot of issues with his back. And he spent uh, 10 days in the hospital with heavy pen, pain medication on him. But he said that uh, he's very thankful he's alive after that terrible crash. He's got still some time to that he has to spend recovering. But uh, yeah, he actually has three st- spinal fractures. So that's pretty bad stuff. But he has some more bad stuff going on from a non-physical standpoint. He's being sued by a woman that claimed that he made a sex tape at the Cosmopolitan. Kevin Hart also is a sometimes poker player. You may have seen him playing on some poker broadcasts. He also uh, plays at the Poker Stars PCA. I guess he won't be anymore, but he has before. He had that boxing match with Antonio Esfandiari. And now he's got the situation with the sex tape. I guess it would be worse if it was a sex tape that was alleged to have been with another guy. But nevertheless, he's being sued for $60 million over a sex tape that was made in 2017. A woman named Mancha Sabag, and she actually met him at the Cosmo in their marquee nightclub, said that... uh, he filmed her during sex and that he had set it up beforehand. And that while the sex was consensual, she wasn't saying that he raped her in any way. She said yeah, she willingly had sex with him, that she did not know he was filming. But um, she also says that uh, there's, there's a complication to this. So, J.T. Jackson is a friend of Kevin Hart's. J.T. Jackson was uh, arrested on two counts of extortion in 2017 when uh, it came out that this sex tape existed. And at the time... She thought that Kevin Hart was not involved, that, uh, that this J.T. Jackson, Hart's friend, uh, was extorting her on his own, and that Kevin Hart was kind of a victim, too. That basically, uh, he was using Kevin Hart to then extort, the, uh, extort her, and, and maybe Hart also, to, uh, to get money out of the whole thing. And she even said that she's not going to sue Kevin Hart. At the time, she said that uh, she didn't want anything from uh, Kevin Hart, and that she just wanted to find out you know, who, who set this up and go after him. But now she's changed her mind. 
However, after that, then she made a financial demand to Kevin Hart, asking for something in the low six-figure range to get Hart out of the whole thing, and Hart said, forget it. I guess Hart's position is basically that uh, he didn't set up this sex tape, that uh, this Jackson guy did it, and that uh, he was a victim too, and that she even said so at the beginning. So he and his lawyer said back, no, (laughs) we're not giving you anything. You already said that you believe that it was all this Jackson guy, so go after him. But she has kind of a weird claim here. She's she's suing him for $60 million and claiming that he was in on it the whole way, that she was wrong at the beginning, that he actually was in on it the whole way, and that he did this so he can get more publicity. He's countering with, look, even in 2017, I was a very big star. I didn't need publicity. All, all this would do would uh, make me look bad because I actually was with someone and uh, I, I don't want publicity that I'm a cheater. Why, why would I want the type of publicity when my career is going well? It's not, like, it's not like my career is in the toilet and any attention is good attention. I, I, my career is great. Why, why would I want to ruin my image? Which is a good point. Kevin Hart has been working with the district attorney for two years in their case against J.T. Jackson, who was arrested for extortion. And that's another piece of evidence that would be favoring Hart in this situation, in the civil suit, that uh, if he's working with the district attorney, that he wasn't one of the perpetrators. Kevin Hart is still saying that he will not pay anything to this woman, even though the lawsuit is for $60 million, that he won't pay her a penny. There will be no settlement, he says. Here's the old video of uh, Lisa Bloom, who was uh, Mancha Sabag's attorney from TMZ. Therefore, we are announcing today that we will go to the authorities immediately to report this matter. We want to be sure that these crimes are thoroughly investigated and that the criminal responsible for these felonies is apprehended. We will fully cooperate with law enforcement. Montia and I are not asking for a cent from Kevin Hart. Well, that's, that's, that's going to be hard to come back from. <laughs> this, they put this out two years ago, and, and now they went from, we don't want a cent from Kevin Hart to, yeah, actually give us the low six figures. No, nah, actually give us $60 million. She's switched lawyers since then. She's not with Lisa Bloom anymore. So this this is her third lawyer now, who's now trying to hit Kevin for money and hitting him with a gigantic lawsuit to scare him. And that's a, a common tactic in these civil suits, where you, you hit someone with just a gigantic, eye-popping number. In this case, something so large that it would even break Kevin Hart. Because if you sue Kevin Hart for $5 million, $5 million is a very common number that people will sue each other for. Like, is it like a, a scare lawsuit? Like, oh my God, what if I lose this? What if I owe $5 million? That'll you know, make me broke and then some. That's what most people would say. 
if you're Kevin Hart, five million, you don't want to lose it, but you can afford it. Uh, sixty million, he probably can't afford. So they hit him for sixty million, hoping he's going to panic and go, "Oh my god, oh my god, what if I lose this? You know, even for the small chance I lose, you know, maybe I'll give her two hundred k and make her go away." That, that's what they're hoping for. But Hart's just standing firm, probably because they've got this video right here from this press conference saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're not going to go after him for one penny." And then, yeah, we're suing you for sixty million. A little bit different. It probably looks like that J.T. Jackson was the guilty party and Hart had nothing to do with it. It kind of looks that way. If you're cheating on your... I'm not sure if he was married or had a girlfriend. If you're cheating and and you're a big star already, do you really want to make a sex tape and document that? I mean, I guess if you have a fetish for it, fine, but this would kind of seem like something you wouldn't want to do if you were in Hart's position two years ago. You kind of want to just have sex with a girl you met at the Cosmopolitan, cheat on your girlfriend, and have no one ever know about this, ever? That's the play that most people would make with that? They wouldn't be making video evidence of this that others have access to? I think they just saw dollar signs because of how rich Kevin Hart is, and said, hey, why not? Why not sue him? But unfortunately... Words mean things, and when you say two years ago that you're not holding responsible, that that's going to come back to bite you. So I don't think she's going to win, and that's why Kevin's not settling. And if I were him, I would do the same thing. You just you get those type of lawsuits, you just got to ignore the eye popping number and just say they're never going to get that. They can never show that kind of damage, or even close to it, even a fraction of it. In fact, it's a bogus case. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be sued for. I'm not going to pay off lawsuits for things that. I didn't do. And that have like very little chance of success. And that's the attitude I would take. I fortunately I have never been sued in any uh situation where uh Well, in fact, I, let me go further. I've actually never been sued. I've actually never been sued. I I've gotten lawsuit threats before, but I've never actually been sued to where I had to uh, go defend something in a court of law. I've never even been served with a lawsuit. But if I was, I would take the position of if if it was something where they really had a claim, then I would settle. But if it were something where it was just totally frivolous to try to scare me into paying with some kind of eye-popping number... Or just the make me afraid I'm going to run up attorney's fees trying to defend it. I, I would actually run up the attorney's fees defending it. I would I would not give them a penny. I would I'd rather pay an attorney a hundred thousand dollars to win the case and pay zero than pay ten thousand dollars to them to make them go away. Even if I knew, even if you could see the future and say, okay, you can pay a hundred thousand dollars to this attorney eventually, and uh, and you'll win the case. But you'll be at $100,000, or you can just pay them 10000 to go away, even though you totally don't owe it, and it's just a totally frivolous suit. I said, no, I'll, I'll pay the 100000 to the attorney. So that's that's what I would do in the case of a frivolous suit. Uh, my dad found himself in that position about 35 years ago, involving a car he sold, where he was totally in the right, and 
a year and a half after the car was bought, it developed mechanical problems, which happens with older cars, and the guy decided, nope, you're taking it back and give me a full refund and give me extra money for my trouble. And my dad said, F you, that's not how it works. And this guy filed a lawsuit, and my dad said, F you, I'm paying you nothing. And then they, you know, his lawyer tried to negotiate and say, hey, how about settle for this, settle for that? And my dad just said, no, not settling for anything. So he stood firm, and eventually the matter was dropped, from what I remember. Uh, I think may- maybe they gave him like very little money, but nowhere near. And this wasn't like a $5 million suit. It was just an unreasonable suit and asking for crazy things. But I know, I know someone. I have a friend who was hit with a $5 million suit over stupidity a few years ago. It's still ongoing, actually. In fact, there's some listeners to this show who know who I'm talking about. No one in poker or anything, but you just—if you get hit with something like that, you just gotta put it out of your head what they're asking for, and then contact an attorney and say what could they realistically win here, and go from there. Well, we're done. We're done. Thank you for listening. If you're a new listener and you found the show recently, feel free to contact me. You can text me at 775-372-8355 or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com or PM me on the forum, Dan Space Druff. I, I got a message this week from a new listener. It's always happy to get those. Uh, I, I like hearing how people find the show, what their impression is of the show, what they like about it, what they dislike about it. It doesn't all have to be compliments, by the way. You can you can be honest. You can say, I enjoy the show, but I think this type of segment sucks, and tell me what you think sucks. I may still do the segment if I don't agree, if I think that most people like it. But it also helps me to get negative feedback, because if I get enough negatives about the same thing, then I don't do it anymore. And if I get enough positives about the same thing, then I do more of it. There are some segments on the show I enjoy doing more than others. Some types of stuff I enjoy discussing more than others, but it really is a show for the listener. So if the listener doesn't want to hear it and most people don't want to hear it, then I don't do it. I've tried to make some more phone calls recently on recent shows because I know those are popular with a lot of the listeners. Some people don't like the phone calls, but a lot of people do. And I can see why, because I always get kind of excited when a phone call gets made, just like a candid phone call gets made on a radio show. If, I, if I'm sure that it's just re- being done like live, if, I, if they're making some kind of phony prank call that was pre-recorded and staged. Pre-recorded is not that bad, but staged is bad. But a lot of times they are, that you hear on mainstream stations. By the way, I, I, I had a Facebook, I wouldn't say argument, but I, I had a Facebook uh, disagreement with one of my Facebook friends. And I've had this discussion with others before regarding, like, things that are fake, like fake screenshots that are, quote, funny. And people get mad at me for saying, no, I don't think this is real. This is fake. Here's why it's fake. 
And people call me a Debbie Downer and, and a Killjoy and someone's, oh, you must be fun at parties when they see me say things like that. But it really annoys me when people share things that are pretty obviously fake because that's exactly what the creators of this these fake screenshots or fake videos, like sometimes there'll be a video of uh, something that's staged. That's easier to tell usually because they're, they're usually poorly acted or poorly written. A little harder to tell these fake screenshots, like fake text messages back and forth. Usually, like, someone will show a text conversation they had, they had with – usually it wasn't them. It was a text conversation someone had with someone else where someone says something really witty and like, oh, they got them there. Wow, this is, this is hilarious. And it's not if it wasn't a real conversation. And I, I try to make the argument that, number one, when you're distributing phony stuff – you're doing exactly what they're hoping you're going to do. And often it's to make themselves famous. They'll have some link back to their Instagram or whatever. Uh, and number two, it's only funny if it's real. And I compare it to, let, let's say I showed you a video of someone tripping and falling flat on his face. Well, if, if it really was a, a, a candid shot of someone tripping and kind of falling in a funny way, you, you might find it funny. But what if I told you that this video was staged, and after 25 takes, they finally got it right, and the guy falling was a, was a stuntman who knows how to fall without hurting himself. Like, would you still say, oh, man, that's hilarious? No, you'd say you'd be kind of annoyed that you just watched a video that they staged of a guy tripping and falling. So I say, use that test. If, if you, like, think of the tripping and falling tests. If, if you, if it's something that is staged, that's supposed to be funny because it really happened, then it's not funny. And the people say back, well, what about uh, you watch sitcoms when there's physical comedy and you, you think that's funny or someone has a funny line in a sitcom. Well, that's written by a professional writer and then acted out by an actor. Why do you laugh? And I go, well, that's, that's different because these are established characters on a show written by professional writers. And then you, you, they're honest with you too. You're going into it with this is fiction, but watch this and, and, you know, kind of suspend disbelief for the moment and watch this as if these are real people, knowing that it really is still fiction. And so you can approach it that way, and it's different. It's different than you're watching something which is only funny because you think it really happened. Or I've seen like embarrassing moments where someone's texting something really sexual, and then they've accidentally texted their mom, and they're like, and the mom's back like, "What? Uh, what are you saying to me? Ah, ha, 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 ha. Isn't that hilarious? No, it's not. If 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 it's a, a fake text with the person's mom, that's not funny at all." I don't remember how this just came to mind, but I just had this kind of debate with someone on Facebook who posts a lot of this stuff. And then, then they always defend it like, well, no, but this could have happened. Like, you know, this, I, I think the one I was criticizing had to do with like a bad date. And like one girl texting the other about the bad date. And the, it just looked very, very contrived. And then the person who was doing it was someone who has a, an Instagram they're trying to promote and a, a lot of their shtick is posting funny text messages they've had with their friends, but there's like so many of them. They either have like the funniest friends or, or this is all staged. And of course everything's always blocked out of who the people are that's sexing. So I go well, like, look at all this. It's obviously this person's trying to promote themselves with it and it's working because there's, it's being shared a lot. So like I would feel like a chump sharing things like this. 
And in fact, I, I never once on Facebook or Twitter have ever shared anything like that. I've never shared viral text exchanges or, or viral uh, – any kind of thing that's supposed to have occurred that's funny or embarrassing involving strangers. Like, ah, ha, ha, this is so funny. I, I never do it because it's usually fake or probably fake. Thus, I don't find it funny. Thus, I do not want to share it. Thus, I do not want to be their pawn in giving them free publicity. They want to pay me to share it. I'll share it. But (laughs) I'm not giving them free publicity. And I think the reason this bothers me, I mean, it's not a huge deal, obviously, but the reason this kind of irritates me, and yeah, I'm just ranting at the end of the show. I have nothing else for you guys. You, You can turn it off. You don't want to hear this rant. But the reason this bothers me is because it's kind of indicative of the entire modern culture of just people believing everything they read and not wanting to think critically. And then if you try to help them think critically and point out as politely as you can that they're accepting something at face value that may not be true, they get mad and lash out. And that's bad because you should always strive to think critically. But I, I think there's more and more, more where people just, they, they want to believe that things that they read on the internet are true. They want to believe their first reaction is the correct one. If you think something's funny, then you don't want to think it's fake because then you feel like a fool for thinking it was funny in the first place. So you've got to defend it. You've got to say, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Or I'll get, well, but it's still funny. And No, it's not. Not once it's fake. So I, I'm the jerk who ruins everyone's fun and says, hey, actually, it's fake. And then I, I then people argue with me, then I state why. I state why it's likely fake. Either everything was too perfect or or there, there's no reason to be blocking out the names that they're blocking out or the, the, the person sharing it is trying to promote something else and hoping you share it so the thing they're trying to promote gets exposure. Things like that. But I, I don't share memes either. My view on this type of thing is that if I have something entertaining or funny to say myself, I'll say it. And if someone else has done it, then I don't have to share it. Now, occasionally I'll retweet something that I think is amusing or interesting, but that's different. Retweeting is a that's a different type of platform. That's different than like taking someone else's meme and reposting it. On, on Twitter, if you just retweet, it's kind of like saying, oh, I, you know, I think this is a good tweet. I think this is an interesting tweet. That's fine. She's like, hey, hey, everybody following me, I think you want to see this too. That's fine. But I, I never like things that are, are phony. It's kind of like back in my days, you know, in, in in chat rooms, and there'd be fake girls there, and I'd say, People would say, why does it matter? You know, unless you're going to meet her, why does it matter if it's really a dude? Why does it matter if it's it's not who they say they are? I go, because the person's lying. I don't want to give them credit. And if you're one of those people who shares these things, first of all, it doesn't make you funny because you share something funny. That, that, that's the first thing to know. If someone else wrote something funny and you're sharing it, you're not funny. You're no funnier than someone who records a funny show on TV 
and 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 uh, has a friend come over and watch it. They're not going to say, "Oh, you're a funny guy because you you enjoy this funny show." No, they may be happy you turn them onto a show that they enjoy, but not uh, you're not going to get credit for being funny or entertaining because you're sharing something else funny that someone else posted. That's the first thing. The second thing, you just look like a chump doing it. And as my final statement, anytime you get a warning of you, you need to share something to let people know about some kind of threat of hackers or whatever, it's, it's always fake, especially on Facebook. So you don't have to share, don't accept this friend request from this person, they're really a hacker, or, or, you, you, or you have to post this, this disclaimer that your pictures can't be used by legal code such and such, otherwise Facebook can take ownership of your pictures. Don't post that. Whenever people send you that stuff to repost, don't. It's, it's just about always, like 99.9% of the time, it's, it's a hoax, and you, you look like a fool. Just You'd be better off just not sharing any of that type of stuff. Just only post your own thoughts. And there's people who do this on my Facebook, and I, I they kind of annoy me, but then I, I I don't know. People who just share regular memes, it's okay. Like, I don't do it, but if you just share regular memes, it doesn't really bother me. It's, it's when stuff is shared, which is, like, super obviously fake. <laughs> that bothers me. Or people who share hoaxes, that bothers me. See, now you're, now you're getting my cranky side here because I'm, I'm thinking of this phone again. I have the phone sitting right in front of me that I'm having issues with. Uh... Well, yeah, what the hell? I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I'm not going to tell you the whole story yet, but uh... basically uh... someone I know was hoping I could help them get the phone on a cheap plan give them kind of like a cheap smartphone on a cheap plan and uh, they actually wanted to get one for like the whole family so I am helping them with this and it's, it's been a tremendous tremendously difficult process when it should be very simple and I'm not going to go through all the stories of what's been happening but the, the latest thing, the thing that held me up from radio was that the plan that I signed up for was a promotional plan that's been promoted. It's not no, not promotional plans. A, a plan that's being promoted everywhere. It's not promotional though. It's a it's a standard plan that's being promoted everywhere for twenty five bucks a month per phone, and that's for the plan itself, not the phone itself. You know, it's, that's just for the plan. So after a lot of hassle, I finally got it, and I got the phone, which was the the phone they wanted was. Uh, very difficult to find. I finally found it. I, I drove some distance to get it. And after all that, it turns out that my plan is $40 a month. Or their plan. It's not mine. But the plan that that was signed up for was $40 a month, not 25 And they can't explain it. There, there's a sign right over. A giant sign right over where I signed up that says $25 a month for the exact thing I signed up for. And it's 40 And they can't explain it. Nobody can explain it. Nobody can figure it out. And then they basically want me to undo the entire thing and start over. But that would cause all kinds of other hassles I won't even get into. And nobody can explain why it's $15 more a month. And I don't know what the hell is going on. They don't know what the hell is going on. 
And this after a ton of hassle with this already, with trying to find this phone where they, they have it and then they don't have it, and then something else fails. I mean, I've never had such a hard time getting a cell phone. It's not even for myself. But I'm like pot committed to do this. I'm pot committed to see this through. But So I have the phone in front of me now, but I'm on a plan. Uh, this phone is on a plan that's... Uh, Way more expensive than it should be, and nobody can explain why. I got texted, man, that guy who works at the Venetian should get a promotion. <laughs> he probably should, you know, like a, he sat on the phone with Chico Loco for all that time and took the call seriously. I mean, can you imagine how many calls they get like this? Doug Polk tells everyone to boycott, and he gets all these tens of thousands of views and Probably all these people calling up there. I know there's people calling up there. Because on Facebook, people are talking about calling up there. If this is the first call they ever got, I'd understand giving it the time. But wow, that guy! That guy really tried hard to defend it. I, I actually gave it a little bit of respect that he put so much effort into pitching this. I didn't believe like eighty percent of what he said, but at least he put the effort in. All right. Now, I'll admit this show is like longer than it should have been. I know some of you like that, but this this is like last week. There were so many topics and so many long topics that we had to take seven hours. This this week we've taken like five and uh, five hours and what fifteen minutes or something. And to be truthful, I could have done this show in less than that. Probably could have done the whole show in three and a half if I wanted to, and not really left anything out. But you don't want that, do you? You guys like the long shows. At least some of you do. I don't even know what to do about the long shows because there's some people that that's the big draw that they got all these hours to listen to. And they're disappointed when the five hours are over. They're like, oh, no, no, why isn't it six? Why isn't it seven? Why isn't it eight? And I do get people saying, look, I'd listen to this thing if it weren't so oppressively long, in which I say, well, okay, I have timestamps, just jump to what you want to hear and skip the rest. That's why I'm doing the timestamps, so for those that don't have the time to invest in it. Look, I, I wouldn't listen to my show for five hours. Like, if, if I wasn't the one doing this show, like, I would be interested in this content. But I probably wouldn't put five hours into listening to this. I just got kind of get burnt out on these podcasts and shows because I I'll listen to shows I'll watch shows on YouTube but if it was like five hours I'd go no I'm, I'm not doing it maybe if I split it up over days I don't know it depends how much it helped my interest but I'll tell you I don't listen to any five hour shows so if you do great but I, I would shorten it if people really wanted me to shorten it. But I, I get more positive than negative about the length. And I do it once a week. And I'm doing it at night and nobody else is awake here. So, you know, like, what the hell? Like, why not do it? It does take something out of me. Like, it does require some effort. My throat hurts at the end for talking all this time. Sometimes in the middle of the show I start to get burnt out a little bit, but then 
like that happened tonight. And in the kind of middle of the show, I started to go, oh, I don't know why I do all these topics. But then, then I got right back into it, and it just kind of flew by. We'll be back in six days, most likely, on September, September 27th, Thursday. Be there. Shalom. <laughs>